Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Hellas. This is being brought to you live and recorded live on May 28th, 2021. The time right now is 10.13 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. As we do just about every week, we have a cash free roll. This is a free roll where we pay you real cash money in many ways, just about any way you can think of to be paid, we can do it. This is not just like online poker room money. This is real cash money. I will pay you completely free to enter. Go to pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll, all lowercase, to understand the rules to qualify for the free money. Pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll, all lowercase. It already began at 10.05, but don't fret. As long as you have an account on there, you need a separate account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room where it takes place, which is near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. Once you've created that account and once it has been validated, then you will be able to play and you have until 10.30 tonight, 10.30 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time to get in there with a full stack with late registration. If you're not already there, we are giving away $50 of real money, 25 for first, 15 for second, 10 for third. This all came from the listener who goes by Hooded N, and uh, I thank him for that. He gave that donation in the last uh, two days or so, so thank you very much to him. And the free roll has already started, but you can get right in there. You can just sit right down, and I guess the advantage you have is that anybody who busted already, you don't have to contend with. You've already beat them before you've even played a hand. Think about that. So get into that free roll. Not a lot of people because we have the show pretty late. We have a smaller field these days than we used to. Not because listenership has gone down, but because live listenership has gone down due to the later hour of the show. We've kind of drifted later and later. We were starting at 7, then 8, then around 9, then now it's around 10, now sometimes after 10 Pacific time. So this counts out a lot of people on the East Coast and Europe. So not as many people can play live as they used to be able to just because of the hours but we still have most of our listeners, almost all of our listeners listening in the archives, but we do broadcast live every single week, and keep that in mind if you don't listen live. This is not just a podcast. It is also a live internet radio show, and we have this free roll every week, just about every week, where we give away real cash money that is almost always coming from the listeners of the show, not even from me, which is good, because I'm a cheapskate. I probably wouldn't donate every week, but these guys do, and I appreciate that very, very much. We also have a chat room during the live show. You can chat there. The chat room is really only used during the live show, but you can chat there. I will read it occasionally during the show. I'm doing too many things at once here when I'm doing the show, so it's hard for me to chat, but occasionally I'll take a look at it, so go on into the chat room if you're listening live, and you can talk with the other people in the chat room, or you can talk to me in there. Though, again, I don't really read it that often. I'll check it a few times a show. If you want to reach me during the show, it's actually better to do one of the following. You can call me at 775-FRAUD-55. 775-372-8355 is how that number breaks out. We also have another number into the show. It's the Mount Charleston line. It's an old 70s rotary phone, which sits on top of Mount Charleston in a cabin there. Mount Charleston is about 40 minutes away from Las Vegas by car. And it's a real mountain, which gets snow on it during the winter. And it's very nice during the summer. The summertime weather is like 75, 80 degrees as opposed to Vegas, which is like 110 degrees. But Mount Charleston, we have a phone there and it forwards to me wherever I go. That phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. 
You can also text me during the show at the main phone number. Don't use the Mount Charleston line, but the main phone number, you can text me at 775-372-8355. I will read your text on the air if it comes in during the live show, unless you ask me not to at the beginning of the text. But you can also text me any time of the day or night, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I will probably respond to you because I do check that number throughout the day. I get notifications and everything. It's, it's a regular phone number. That's not my main uh, number that I use personally, but it is a second number which is attached to my phone that I also get texts on. Don't try to call me on that number because I don't enable calls except during the show. But you can always text me, and if I'm awake and if I'm available, I will see your text and I will respond to you. 775-372-8355. You can text me anytime for any reason. We have the call to listen line, which isn't a way to interact with me, but if you want to listen to the show and you want an easy way to do it, and in fact, maybe you don't have a computer, maybe you don't have a smartphone, maybe you don't have the internet, maybe you don't have a data plan, maybe you can't use your data for this, maybe it's going to waste too much of your data, maybe you have a very poor cell phone signal while you're driving. Well, there's an easy solution. Just use the call to listen line to listen to the show. It's a number you just call up and listen. It couldn't be simpler. It's just a regular phone number in the U.S. The phone number is 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736. We also have the alternate call to listen line, which is 641-741-1095. They both work the same way. We just have two of them just in case one breaks down. They run independently of one another and... They never buffer, never freeze. You just call up, you just listen. It's not like a streaming experience where you need a good connection and it'll sometimes hang there for a second while it's still loading. No, 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 no. It just plays straight through, never pauses, never freezes. It's a great invention, the call to listen line. Over a million minutes have been listened to on it since I put this up, since I put this together in November 2015. And it's going to stay up. And it's a free call as long as you can call the U.S. for free. Unless you have T-Mobile, then it's one cent a minute because it's considered a high-volume line, which I guess is kind of a compliment to me in the show. But it's also frustrating that people can't listen for free if they have T-Mobile. But that was not my decision. And I don't get any of the money, as I've said many times out here. Just wanted to warn you of that if you have T-Mobile. Are you telling about the free roll? You have about 10 more minutes to get in there. We actually have two interviews tonight, so I'm going to give you the agenda, and then we're going to get going. Brandon said to me that he wants to come on tonight, but he wants me to save the Vegas topics for the second half, which I have done, but there's one little problem. The number of Vegas topics we have on the roster is... Zero point zero. Yeah, I couldn't really find any, (laughs) but... Brandon has his finger on the pulse of this stuff more than I do. So I'm sure he will have Vegas topics to bring. So I'm just going to let it be free form when he calls in, provided that he is around when we come to the end of the show. Uh, We'll just let him bring out Vegas topics he'd like to talk about, and we will talk about them. And I'll learn about them during the show. I'll be producing the show during the show, one of my favorite things to do. But he says he'll come on. Hopefully we will get him tonight. We've had him most of the weeks recently, if you've noticed, listening to this show. But we do have two interviews, as I mentioned. The first one will be with the new attorney of Chris Moneymaker. 
that is our first topic. We're going to call up Chris Moneymaker's new attorney that he is using to sue PayPal. In fact, it's going to be a class action lawsuit, and there's already a lot of people interested in this. So that'll be our first topic. We're not calling Moneymaker himself. We're calling his attorney, whose name will be revealed when we call him up. Our next topic is another interview with an online poker grinder named Mike Holtz. Now, you may not have heard of him before, but he is very, very active on WSOP.com. In fact, uh, he claims he is the online leaderboard champion at the moment. Uh, there, there's a, a leaderboard contest where you earn points as you play, and whoever ends up with the most points wins a ring. They win $10,000. A lot of people try to win that every year on WSOP.com, and he claims he is the current leader, but a little problem. That's the reason we're having him on here. He's been banned from the site. Mike Holtz alleges mistreatment and unjustified account banning from WSB.com management, and he is going to complain about it out here, and I'm going to ask a few questions because he told a story on Facebook that caught my interest, and I messaged him and said, hey, would you like to come on the show? He said yes, and I said, okay, but since we're fair here, since I'm not just going to automatically take the guy's side because he's the individual and WSOP.com is the big scary company, I am going to ask him some questions, and we're going to figure out who is likely in the right here. At the moment, to me, it looks like he's in the right, but we're going to find out. There's some things I don't quite understand about the situation, but we're going to find out together. That interview will be at about 11.15 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. That'll be after the uh, interview with Moneymaker's attorney. Then we're going to have another Moneymaker topic because America's Card Room had another crash on Sunday. Their Sunday tournament was a complete mess due to a crash, and people were very unhappy. They've had this happen many times before. So we're going to discuss that tournament crash and... Chris Moneymaker jumping into the fray and trying to calm people down. Remember, he's an ACR ambassador now, but are they just using his face? Are they just using his big name to promote the site? Or is he going to have an active role in matters like these? So we're going to talk about what happened there this week and Chris Moneymaker's involvement in the aftermath. Here's a breaking story that was brought to you guys by PokerFraudAlert.com just a few hours ago. We were the first ones to report this, and now we're going to be the first show to talk about it. Billy Joe Taylor is the name of a man who was recently arrested for an alleged $88 million COVID testing scam. A huge bust. The FBI busted this person, and he's alleged to have cheated the government out of $88 million in a scam that partially involving COVID testing. The reason we're talking about it on this show and on Poker Fraud Alerts Forum is because this is possibly the same Billy Taylor who plays on poker streams and uh, has played in several high roller poker tournaments. So we believe that there's a good chance that this is the same player known as Bildo. This has not been verified. So if this is wrong, I apologize to the Billy Taylor, who's the poker pro, but we are going to try to figure this out. This just came to my attention. This had not been reported in any poker media 
I was the first one to bring this forward because a listener brought this to me. A listener brought it to me privately. I brought it forward publicly. And now we're kind of unraveling it today. So didn't have much time to research it, but we are going to talk about that tonight. I have an update on the Florida gambling bill. Remember I said that uh, online poker is a good chance it'll be part of it. It looked like it wasn't, then it looked like it was. So it looked like there was a decent chance that online poker, legalized online poker, was going to come to Florida, which is a very large population state. Not quite the size of California, but it's uh, very close to the size of New York. So that would be very big for online poker if a major state like Florida, population-wise, would get legalized online poker. I will give you an update of where that went because we now have an answer of what looks like the final, uh, the final way it's going to be, that bill. Disabled poker pro K.L. Cleeton got a special van through a fundraiser done by poker players. So this is a heartwarming story. We talk about so many negative things on the show, so many scams, so many scandals, so many people acting badly, so many people acting like jerks, so many poker players acting weird, maybe even one who got busted for a COVID testing scam. Look, look at all this negativity we have here. So we're going to tell you a positive story about a disabled poker pro who got a special van that he needs. This isn't just a van like anybody who's getting a van to drive around in. This is something he needs because of his disability. And this was finally achieved through a fundraiser. And the poker community got together and did it. So I'm going to bring that out here and I'll tell you who organized it. It's a familiar name to you guys. Hopefully Brandon will come on and do his Vegas topics. Then we have two COVID topics, including... California's big day, June 15th, everybody. June 15th is the day that California will fully reopen. And if you want to play live poker in California, keep that day in mind. If you want to go see a Dodgers or an Angels or a Giants game or an A's game, a Padres game even, keep that in mind. Because a lot of things are going to change on June 15th. That'll be one of our two COVID topics. The other one will be about the Wuhan lab theory. Where did COVID really come from? We're going to revisit that. That's our agenda tonight. You never know what will come up. I want to tell you guys about what happened to me last week during the show. If you listen to the last two hours of the show, you probably won't notice any difference in me. I'll probably seem normal, probably seem like the same old guy. Well, I wasn't. Something really weird happened to me last week during radio that I tried to ignore I tried to put aside, I tried to power through it, but it turned out, yeah, something was happening. Some of you know about it already, but I'm going to tell the story out here anyway. At around the four-hour mark of the show, I started to feel cold. And last week was cool in the West United States. It was unusually cool. And I was not running the heat. And outside... It was about 47 degrees at the time when I started feeling cold, but I hadn't run the heat at all at any point during that day. So at first I thought, okay, well, it's got to be because it's in the 40s and I haven't run the heat, so it probably got cold in this room. So I used my phone to control my thermostat, which I now have uh, the ability to do that, and I turned up the heat in the room. Then I took a break, and during the break, boy, did I feel cold. So I let the heat run in the room during the break. But even as I was walking around the house, I just felt colder and colder. And I wasn't understanding why I was that cold. Because it's not like this is the middle of winter. Now, you may say, well, in LA, 
there's not much of a winter, and you'd be right. But where I am, it actually does get around freezing sometimes during the winter. But 47 degrees and around freezing are two very different things. It's quite a difference, especially when it comes to having to heat your house. So while you sometimes do have to heat a little bit when it's in the upper 40s, uh, it's not like uh, the house is going to be dreadfully cold if the low drops to that and you haven't turned on the heat yet. But I was feeling like it was getting real cold and I wasn't quite understanding it. But I thought, okay, well, whatever. Maybe I'm just feeling cold right now and maybe it's a little bit cold too, but I'll turn down the heat and it'll be fine. Now, one thing about the Poker Fraud Alert Radio Studio, where I broadcast from every week, the vent here is very powerful. It's a ceiling vent. It's central air, but it's very powerful in this room. So... It gets hot or cold very quickly if you turn on the AC or the heat. So I figured, okay, I'll turn on the heat. After it runs for about 10 minutes, I'll probably be roasting and I'll want to turn it off. And I figured that's what I'd be doing. However, two hours passed and not only wasn't I turning off the heat, I was leaving it blasting the entire time with the door closed and it was getting real hot in the room, but it didn't feel like it was hot. In fact, I was getting colder and colder. So for the next two hours of the show, the heat was blasting nonstop. The room must have gone up to like 85 degrees. I didn't have a thermometer in here, but that's my guess, given how strong the heater is in this room. And yet I was so cold, I was actually shivering and my teeth were chattering. Now, you didn't hear any of this because we had Brandon on at this point. And when Brandon would talk, I would mute it so I could shiver and my teeth could chatter and uh, you guys wouldn't hear it. So I'd say something and quickly hit mute and my teeth would chatter again. I knew there was something wrong at this point. And what I really should have done is just turned off the show and said, okay, sorry, guys, there's something wrong with me. I must be sick. And I could have just ended it right there. I'm sure you all would have understood. But, you know, we just got Brandon on. He joined right around that time when I started feeling cold. And I wanted to talk to him about Vegas stuff and other things that he was bringing up. And I didn't want to shut it down right then. Like, I was actually enjoying the show. I was enjoying doing the show, minus the fact that I was feeling freezing and I wasn't understanding it. It was just getting worse and worse and worse. And I knew that these were really bad chills. And I got chills from the second COVID vaccine, but this is worse than that. These I rated these as the second worst chills I've experienced in my life. The only worst chills I had was almost 30 years ago when I had mono. But aside from that, I've never had chills this bad. So I knew there was something really weird. And I had a feeling I might have a fever. So when the show was over, and boy, it was hard in the last 20 minutes or so, boy, it was hard to get through that because I not only was I cold, but I started to feel kind of fatigued. I started just feeling real lousy. And so I, I said, okay, I'm just, <laughs> I'm going to finish this. I'm going to fake it. And you go back and listen. You'll never guess. That was one of my best acting jobs ever, where I just pretended it all sounded fine. So you never know when you hear me on this show how I'm really feeling. There's been a lot of times that I've faked everything's normal when either something very stressful is going on in my life, or I've just uh, lost badly in poker, or in this case, I was sick. I was just faking it real well. <laughs> go back and listen. You won't be able to tell. I even messaged Brandon afterwards. I go, I bet, I, I told him, I bet you'll never guess this. But I told him what was going on. And he said, wow, you sounded totally normal. Well, first thing I did was go get a thermometer. And I took my temperature. And keep in mind, I just about never get fevers. I got one from the second COVID vaccine, but that was the first fever I had in a very long time, maybe as much as 15 years. But sure enough, I took out the thermometer and 
I had a 101 fever. So what was this? If I never get fevers, how did I get a fever? Was it related to the COVID vaccine? No, I had that in April. It's been over a month since I had the second shot. It wasn't from the COVID vaccine. So what was it? And why am I back on radio? And why is everything fine so quickly? And why didn't you hear much about this? Well, I had a feeling I knew what it was. I had a dental cleaning, a deep dental scaling for the first time in over a year because of COVID. I hadn't gone to the dentist in all that time other than a root canal I had. So this cleaning was obviously likely to dislodge a lot of plaque, tartar, bacteria, and probably more than usual because I had never gone this long between cleanings. I wouldn't have if it hadn't been for COVID. So what probably happened, and this can happen, by the way, this isn't like a crackpot theory. This is probably what happened, is that bacteria that got kicked up from this cleaning got into my bloodstream and then I developed an infection. Not a gum infection, but actually a whole body infection with bacteria in my bloodstream. And it took about 15 hours to happen from the cleaning. So I I felt it abruptly. Like I was totally fine when radio started. I felt completely healthy when radio started and for the first four hours. Then I abruptly started getting cold and then it rapidly got worse. So it was really an abrupt decline. So it took about 15 hours for my body to react to the point where I would feel it. And what I was then feeling was my body attempting to fight this infection. I thought that was very likely to be that because I just about never get fevers like this. And I really didn't have any symptoms except for these really, really intense chills, the fever, and fatigue. I didn't have anything that was COVID-like, which wouldn't make much sense anyway since I'm vaccinated, but I didn't have any other symptoms that are typically associated with COVID. So I really thought because of the timing that it was from the cleaning. So I said, okay, well, at least if it's that, I can get antibiotics and this should clear up pretty fast because this sort of thing, what is good is if you jump on it quickly, antibiotics just wipe it out very fast, like within hours. The problem was getting the antibiotics. I tried to call up the periodontist who did this and I got their exchange because it was Saturday. Their exchange is like their answering service, but their exchange was having a problem and they couldn't hear me. It wasn't on my end. It was on their end. I heard static. Sometimes they didn't answer at all. Sometimes they'd answer to hear nothing. Uh, one time they couldn't hear me at all. I tried like five times and I could not get through. There was no way I could speak to them. And every other number I called was fine. So it was them. So couldn't get anything done through that dentist. I called up my general physician and he was on vacation. He was going to be on vacation for two more days And they said, if you need anything, go to urgent care. Well, I could have done that, but I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to go to urgent care. I was tired. I was very cold. I knew what I had. I knew what I needed. I just wanted someone to prescribe antibiotics for me. So I thought, well, who else could do this for me? And then I thought, well, I do have a general dentist too. In fact, that general dentist just filled a cavity for me the week before. So I called up the general dentist and he actually answered the phone. I called up his practice's number and it forwarded to his cell phone. And uh, I told him the scenario and I said, I... I'm sorry to bother you about this on Saturday morning, and I know this doesn't have to do with you, but I am a patient of yours, as you know, and I can't reach the periodontist, and I can't reach my general doctor, and I'm just about sure this is from the cleaning I just had, so can you please prescribe antibiotics for me? So he said yes, and he prescribed antibiotics for me, and I went and got them. Actually, my girlfriend went and got them because I was 
really fatigued. I couldn't really drive at that point, but she went and got them for me. And I took them, and within hours, I was better. So that really made it look pretty obvious that this was a bacterial infection that was kicked up from the cleaning. So that's almost certainly what happened to me. And that was the first fever I've had in a very long time that wasn't related to the COVID shot. And it was it went as high as 102. I took the antibiotics at that point, but it got as high as 102. And that was uh, also the highest fever I've had in about three decades, also since the mono back then. I was a little bit worried about one thing, though. I knew a guy in the 2010s. Actually, someone, someone I knew since the 90s. Wasn't a close friend, but I knew him. He wasn't in poker. And he was very, very overweight. And he died of a heart attack at age 51. But the reason I thought of this was that he died exactly from something like this, where he had dental work and bacteria got into his bloodstream and it affected his heart and it killed him. Like very fast. Now, I knew that I was not in the same risk category as him or anywhere near that because he was over 400 pounds. I'm probably like half the weight that he was when he died. So obviously when you're at that weight, you're at a constant heart attack risk where I am not. But I am at a moderate heart attack risk because I'm over 200 pounds and I'm male and I'm almost 50 and males do die this way. So I was wondering if this could get to my heart like it did to that guy and kill me. So I actually messaged my brother, who is a cardiologist at Stanford, and he said that he agrees with my assessment that it was probably from the cleaning, but that it's not an emergency and that the guy I knew who died is, you know, again, because he was over 400 pounds. But for me, it is not an emergency, but I should get antibiotics uh, that day, which I did. So it's taken care of. And th- the remainder of that day, that Saturday, this is the day after radio. I guess the day uh, the day I finished radio because I do it overnight. But I felt not 100%, but I felt mostly better. I wouldn't have... Uh, wanted to go out and do anything. And in fact, that home game we were talking about, I didn't end up attending. And I warned them in the morning. I said, you know, there's a good chance I won't come here. One, because just in case it wasn't this, I wouldn't want to give it to anybody. Uh, This was not contagious, but I wasn't 100% sure that's what this was. So number one, I didn't want to give it to anybody. And number two, um, I wasn't sure if I would be well enough at that point to come. So when the game started in the early evening, I still felt somewhat fatigued, and I just I didn't feel totally right. I said, I don't feel totally right, and also I'm a little worried, what if it's not what I think it is? So I wouldn't want to give this to anybody, so I didn't go. And it's too bad. I would have liked to have been there, but bad timing. What can I say? But the good news is that I missed no radio from it because I finished off that last show with the 101 fever and the massive chills, and then I got better very quickly to where I can do this show. I actually got sick during the radio show. It's really weird to start out the show feeling great and two-thirds of the way through just really feeling awful. And then I still did it for two more hours. But go back and listen. So I'm going to play you a minute from last week's show. It was right when I came back from the break. It was around the four-hour, 11-minute mark. And I noticed during the break I was cold. 
and I attributed it to the unseasonably cold weather around where I live. And little did I know it was not the weather. It was me. Okay, we're back. I actually turned the heat on, which I didn't expect to have to do in late May. It's now May 22nd. And usually by May 22nd, I'm not turning the heat on while I'm doing this show. Usually it would be the AC or nothing. But there is a cold spell that is currently hitting the western United States. And in fact, it snowed on May 21st in Mammoth, in Lake Tahoe, in Gardnerville, in Minden, in Carson City. These are all places in uh, California and Nevada, in the northern parts of the state, kind of inland. So... Actual snow in California and Nevada on May 21st, 2021, including areas that aren't super high. I'm not talking about places just like Mammoth, which are at 8,000 feet. I'm talking about places like Gardnerville and Minden, which are like at 4,000 feet. Even in the Los Angeles area, we were seeing temperatures in the mid-40s. Pretty unusual for this time of year. So I noticed as I took my break, it's cold. I'm going to turn on the heat. And I ended up not turning off that heat for the entire rest of the show. So the room got really hot. I was still freezing. My teeth were chattering. I hit the mute button whenever Brandon was talking so I could chatter my teeth. It was a freaking mess. I can't believe I got through it. But good news, I'm better and everything's fine. All right, let's get going with our regular agenda. And we are going to talk about Chris Moneymaker. And we're going to make a call to Chris Moneymaker's attorney. To quickly refresh your memory, and you don't need much of a refresher because we just talked about this last week, but last week Chris Moneymaker revealed through Twitter that PayPal confiscated 12,200 and change from him. They just outright took it. It had been frozen for 180 days. Those 180 days ended fairly recently, and instead of getting the money back, as it seemed like was going to happen, they just took it. And he brought this out publicly on Twitter and said that they stole from him. And after looking at what he presented, I have to agree. So there's a very egregious action taken by PayPal to just steal Chris's money. And other poker players came forward and said the exact same thing happened to them. Ryan Feldman said he lost 25K that exact same way. Mike Matisau said he lost 11K the exact same way. Chris Moneymaker, it turned out, was not even getting money through PayPal for anything gambling or poker related. This was fantasy football related, which is legal to do. This wasn't even any kind of illegal gambling that Chris was doing through PayPal. It wasn't quasi-legal. It wasn't semi-legal. It was totally legal. It wasn't even gambling. It was a traditional fantasy football league. And PayPal just took money that he was holding for the league. I don't know what's going to happen to those people who are in that league because it was their money too. It was 12 people's money he was holding, but PayPal just took it without any justification, without any kind of explanation, without any ability to appeal. They just took it and they said, we're taking it all because you violated our terms and we are charging you for our time and effort to investigate it. And that's our new policy and we're taking it from you. Really, really bad. I'm totally on his side. You should be on his side, too. This is outrageous. To me, this looks like just outright theft. And he said he's going to sue them. Now, that was last week. If you want to hear the whole coverage of the topic, where we spent over an hour on it, 
that you can go listen to last week's show on May 21st. We're not going to redo that right now. But we have a big update on this story. Because Chris did get an attorney. And Chris is going to file a lawsuit. Hasn't been filed yet. He just got the attorney. But they are going to file not just a lawsuit, but a class action lawsuit against PayPal. Because obviously Chris is far from the only victim. And Chris lost $12,000, which is pretty bad. But you know, it's, as far as uh, the cost of getting an attorney involved, that would definitely be more than $12,000. So really, Chris's only options were to either do it in small claims court or to get an attorney and start a class action where everybody victimized by PayPal in the same way will get together and sue PayPal. So it's going to be the latter. There's going to be a class action lawsuit against PayPal. Chris has retained an attorney, and the attorney is going to come on this show tonight. He's agreed to come on this show. He's not been on any other shows since Chris has retained him, and he's going to explain the whole thing. So what we're going to do is we are going to call up that attorney right now. Hello? Yes. uh, Might this be Chris Moneymaker's attorney? (laughs) Yeah, it sure is. How are you, Todd? Eric Benzamokin. Yes, everybody. I didn't say that in the intro. I don't know. Eric, you may not know this, but I didn't say in the intro who the attorney was going to be. Now, I guess if they followed online in the last uh, day or so, they would have seen. But yes, it's actually you. It's Eric Benzamokin, the same attorney who represented me in the defamation lawsuit where I was a defendant by Mike Possel. And uh, also a very good friend of the show, a personal friend of mine. And uh, now he is representing Chris Moneymaker in this important lawsuit against PayPal, and there's so many reasons why I hope this succeeds. So, Erica, why don't you tell us about uh, why you feel this is a good case? Well, for a few reasons. And putting aside for a moment that Chris Moneymaker, in in a lot of ways, is really sort of an ideal plaintiff because he's not a guy marred in scandal. You know, he's he's one of the good guys out there. He's a good ambassador. Uh, He's good for poker. He's good for the community at large. Um, everything I know about him or read about him and in my discussions with him, he seems to be a very straightforward and honest guy. Uh, so he, he's kind of an ideal plaintiff uh, for this. But, but putting that aside for a second, uh, PayPal essentially engages in a form of legalized theft, and they've been doing it with impunity for well over a decade and a half, or close to 20 years. And somebody at some point has to step up and t- you know put a stop to this. And Chris really being uh, kind of a, a media presence and, you know, uh, a great poker ambassador, you know, really is a good person to, to sort of lead that fight. But we're finding just in the last 48 hours or not even 24 hours, really, uh, we're getting inquiries from dozens and dozens of people that have all uh, had money confiscated or seized for essentially no good reason given. And that's really the problem, you know, Todd, it's, it's the, Besides the terms of service and this, this kind of ridiculous uh, acceptable use policy, um, once PayPal makes a decision that they're going to freeze an account and confiscate, they don't provide details as to why. They come up with some generic uh, or some random you know, auto-generated you know, responses or canned responses, and that's it. And for little guys that lose four, dollars 500000 600 uh, it, it's financially you know, infeasible to try to tackle a global conglomerate like PayPal. So this is, this is really much, much bigger than Chris Moneymaker. And this really needs to, you know, somebody has to put an end to this. I mean, because, you know, PayPal, again, PayPal is just operating with total impunity. 
And when you take the individual, you know, little guys, uh, not one of them can put up a fight against PayPal and, and, and make it. Um, now you start to put a lot of people that are similarly situated uh, with Chris Moneymaker leading the charge. And, you know, I think our chances are, you know, look a lot better. Yeah, that all makes sense. And I said on the last show, and I'll repeat again here, that I have some experience in this realm. Uh, I'm not one of the victims here because PayPal is not currently holding any money of mine. But I had my account suspended many times in the past with PayPal where they absolutely will not tell me anything. And, in fact, I remember one of the phone calls where I asked, uh, who can I appeal to? Because I had been uh, suspended because people donated to the free roll for this site, and they wrote for the free roll. And, as you guys all know, the free roll is not gambling because you can't lose anything. It's a free contest where you win money, and at worst, you lose nothing. So, there's, there's no downside to it. It's not gambling. It, it's missing one of the major elements that define gambling, which... Uh, I, I tried to explain. I wanted to call up and explain to PayPal. So I called up and I explained the whole thing and they said, I'm sorry, we can't uh, put you in contact with anybody to explain this to. I said, what? They said, no, there's nobody you can talk to about this. I said, well, can I write to somebody? No. Can I email somebody? No. Can I fax somebody? No. They were, the person on the phone understood me. In fact, they said that they kind of agreed with me, but they said that I'm afraid I'm not the one who can make this decision. And the people who could make this decision do not take any contact, that there is no form of appeal. Once this has been decided, not only are you banned, not only is your money frozen for six months, but also you are uh, also once that happens, you're not allowed. They won't even tell you why. I I knew it was because of uh, someone sending me money and labeling lead free roll, but that was for my own deduction. But uh, they would not tell me the rule I broke. They would not tell me what the official reason why. And I couldn't believe it. And I couldn't believe there's no way to appeal it. The only way I got my money back was because I knew this person. So I refunded the money back to them and they paid me another way for the free roll. That was the only reason that free roll, that, that PayPal didn't end up holding up my money for six months. Now I have a question for you though. I had been under the impression that after the six months that they return the money and uh obviously with chris that didn't happen after the six months were over when he thought that they just took it from him with this stupid claim about the damages that they claim to have suffered when do you do you have an idea when they started doing this were just outright taking the money after six months rather than just holding it for six months and then returning it so that's a really really good question because we in the research that we've done so far and in some of the complaints that we've gotten this seems to be a bit more uh, modern of a trend or, or, or a little bit newer um, of a result from PayPal. So the freezing of an account is bad enough, right? Because consider for a second that this isn't free roll donations of fairly nominal amounts. Imagine, though, if you're in business, you're in an e-commerce business or something like that, where you're heavily relying, uh, relying on PayPal uh, because of the nature of the business you're in, and they freeze your money for six months. I mean, most businesses will collapse if they don't have access to their working capital uh, or money put away for a six-month period of time. Uh, and, that's, and by the way, six months is completely arbitrary. There is no rhyme or reason why it's 180-day freeze. That's just whatever they decided. Now, they turn around, and after that, allegedly, they're conducting this investigation into what the, what the purpose of the transactions were, and if they determine, without giving you the details, of course, but if they determine that you would, then went on and violated what they call their uh, acceptable use policy, they claim that they have the right to confiscate based on uh, reimbursing themselves or compensating themselves for the time and money it cost them to investigate the alleged violation of their terms of service to begin with. 
So you, so you see what I mean? So it's, it's kind of a crazy circle. It starts off with, okay, we're freezing your account for six months. We think you violated our terms of service. I'm sure they've got these algorithms running and the, or these bots that look for certain keywords or red flags. So if somebody puts in their memo section, free roll, or you know, for cards or whatever, it, it you know, sends up a red flag, they freeze the money. Now, according to their acceptable use policy in terms of service, they start to incur up to $2,500 per quote violation, which then they turn around and say, okay, well, since we had to spend time and money to investigate what, the, you, know, what you did or what you were involved with, we're gonna reimburse ourselves and generally they just start keeping the money. And that's how they've been trying to get away with it. And again, if you're a, a small individual or even if, you're, even if you're a professional poker player or a professional handicapper or whatever, it doesn't really matter. The idea is while they may be justified in canceling an account or banning you from future use of PayPal, they just can't keep the money. And I can tell you that this is not just me at this point. I, I, uh, I, I brought on a special staff of attorneys to work with me in this particular case because of the, the sheer volume of, of potential claimants. And we all come up with the same resolution at the end, that they just can't keep the money. And that's what they're doing. They're just keeping it and they're trying to make it as if it's some kind of liquidated damages or some means of reimbursement to themselves. And part of my language is just total bullshit. That's what it seems like to me. What's crazy to me is that they feel they have the right to decide this. So even if they feel that this person has cost them this much money, if they feel that this person uh, legally should owe them this money for the cost of investigating them, uh, they can't just take it. That would be like if, if I felt that uh, my neighbor cost me money and I just stroll into his house and uh, open up his safe and take money out and say, yeah, I, I feel you cost me uh, $10,000, so I'm just taking it from you. I, I couldn't do that, even if there wasn't any kind of forced entry, even if his door was wide open, even if he left his money sitting on his uh, front porch. I, you know, I couldn't just take money from someone that I felt had wronged me. I would have to sue them and get a judgment against them. So this is crazy that just because they happen to be holding people's money, remember, it's not PayPal's money, everybody. It's, a, it's these people's money, the customer's money. It was Chris Moneymaker's money, or the money he was holding, at least for others. And then PayPal takes it because they happen to be holding it. And to me, that's insane that they think they have a right to just confiscate because they happen to have it in their possession. Well, I'll do you one better. Not only is that insane that they just determine, you know, sort of arbitrarily that if the violation occurs, which by the way, they don't have to prove, right? It's enough for them to just red flag it and lock it up because then they come to their own conclusion and the end user or the consumer or the business owner really has no recourse uh, to appeal whatever bullshit decision they come up with. But, but even, even beyond that, the idea that, PayPal is essentially an online escrow service, right? It's, it's a holding, you know, uh, it's a holding company um, that they can just confiscate at will, and and you can't, you have no resources. There's nobody to just talk to. There's no appeal process. There's nothing. It's sort of like well, tough luck because for the privilege of using PayPal for your business or your personal transactions, you have to agree to these terms of service. And if you don't click that you agree, uh, too bad. Then you can't use it. Now that might fly with smaller customized businesses, but PayPal is such a giant at this point for commerce and for business and for, you know, for the world that we're in that to simply allow them to confiscate money with impunity uh, is, is, is just wrong. I mean, just plain wrong. And by the way, Chris Moneymaker had nothing, the, the, the money that was seized out of his PayPal account had nothing to do with poker or gambling or anything else. He was holding money for himself and 11 other friends in a private uh, fantasy sports league for the 2020 NFL season. 
which, by the way, is not illegal. In fact, it's a specific uh, exception to the UIGEA uh, to a lot, you know, for fantasy sports and things like that. Uh, and that's under uh, 31 USC 5362 1E6 or 1E4, sorry. So literally, he was just being a host. No different than if I host a home game and I don't take a rake, I'm not doing anything illegal. Well, Moneymaker was holding this money, essentially hosting his little private league. He takes no profit. You know, th- th- there's no, quote, rake. He's simply holding the money and holding the funds for his group of fantasy sports players. At the end of the season, whoever wins gets the money, and that's it. 100% legal as far as what he was doing. Yet PayPal decided, whether it's through some kind of algorithm or a bot or whatever foreign service group they're using to weed these things out, that he violated something, they froze it for 180 days, then they confiscated it as a penalty. Yeah, and what's that also crazy... Is, oh, yeah, that's just wrong. Yeah, it is crazy. And, and as you said, the fact that there's no appeal process, because since bots are probably doing the initial account freezing, and then afterwards humans may or may not go forth and investigate it, uh, with a huge company like PayPal... There have to be many times where the bot gets it wrong, and maybe the humans who probably have a lot to do, uh, they get it wrong. And the fact that you never even get to submit your side, forget about the fact that you don't have visibility, forget about the fact that uh, they shouldn't be making the decision here, they shouldn't be the judge and jury here as far as deciding whether they get to keep your money. Aside from all that, you don't even get to present your side. It's not even like they send you a message saying, hey, please explain why you're holding this money, right? They just they just freeze you for 180 days. You sit and sit, can't talk to anybody, can't even make a statement. And then six months later, you find out whether they're just going to take it from you. And what you're saying is perhaps the most critical part of how we're going to or at least how I believe we're going to be presenting this lawsuit in that even if the terms of service are deemed to be legal or not what we would call in the law a contract of adhesion, uh, and even if the acceptable use policy is considered to be legal, the fact that there's no means by which an innocent person can appeal and say, listen, guys, you just made an honest mistake. And I'll give you an example because we've already had people We've had, at this point, in 24 hours, we've had something like 65 or 70 potential claimants uh, reach out to uh, uh, my email. Um, One in particular, though, is super egregious in that there's a person that literally started a trading card grading company. So there's nothing to do with anything gambling-related, poker-related. He's baseball cards. He's grading them. He gives his opinion. That's it. Somebody sent money, the word card, or, you know, trading cards or playing cards, I think, were, were you know, put in, you know, uh, in, in the description. PayPal froze $68,000 and then confiscated all of it at the end of 180 days. Wow. So the amounts are obscene. It goes, and it's the full gamut, Todd. It's from 150 bucks to, you know, close to 100000 in some cases. And this is, and there are likely tens of thousands of people that this has happened to. Uh, over the course of 15 or 20 years. PayPal freezes money. They don't pay interest back to you. So consider you've got $100,000 in a PayPal account. They freeze it. So not only can you no longer access your working capital for your business, you can't borrow against it because you can't guarantee that it's going to come back to you so you can't use it as security. You've got to replenish that in order to maintain your business. 
And then to find out at the end of six months, oh, sorry, we think that you violated this policy. We've had to spend time and money investigating. We're just going to keep it all. And you have no recourse. You can't even appeal that decision. Just let that sink in for a minute. That's, that's just so disturbing on so many levels. And because PayPal is who they are, people in the end eat it because you can't be in a commerce or an e-commerce business today without having access to PayPal or at least accepting PayPal because all these other people use PayPal to pay. So you're really stuck. And by the way, and I'm sure you know, PayPal owns several other companies. So when you do business with Venmo, that's really you're doing business with PayPal. If you're a company and you take a loan through a, uh, a company called Loan Builder, that's PayPal, right? They're everywhere and they're huge and they do this with impunity and it's got to go, you know, it's time for this to stop. Definitely is. I, I'm, I'm so glad that this is happening. I would have been thrilled to see this lawsuit, even if you had nothing to do with it. And even if uh, the main plaintiff or the, the one who got the whole ball rolling uh, was Chris Moneymaker, who, by the way, I agree with you, is a great ambassador for poker. I agree is someone who's been part of poker for two decades here without any kind of scandal, someone who had a huge hand in making poker as big as it is, someone who, despite all of that, uh, never developed an ego, is nice to everybody. He's still the everyman he was before he won the uh, 2003 main event, and, and I've always really liked him. And aside from all that here, just knowing, I've complained about PayPal for many years, many, many years. Before the show existed, I complained about PayPal and this sort of thing. I wasn't aware of the actual confiscations of money until this happened to Chris, but even the freezing I thought was egregious, and I always felt that they were a horrible company. I had a bad experience with them, as I explained on the show 20 years ago. I had one back in 01. So I, I dealt with this firsthand many times, and I had always hoped that uh, this would stop. And there was a class action lawsuit in the 2000s, which I was part of, and I even got a check for it over what happened to me in 01. It wasn't just about me, obviously. It was about a whole lot of people in my position. But I thought after that it would stop, Instead, it seems to have gotten worse. Now, uh, why is that? How come after they lost a class action suit or at least settled one in the 2000s, why is this still going on, in fact, worsening in the 2020s? Well, I think it's a couple of reasons. One, PayPal's annual, first, they're publicly traded and their annual revenue exceeds $17 billion. So I don't think they have an incentive to really stop because even if they pay out, a $250 million class action that took 10 years to settle, the amount that they've made over that 10 year period, you know, that 200 something million dollar settlement is, you know, dwarfs the amount that they actually made over that period of time in the transaction fees. And, you know, uh, we, we're, at some point through the use of discovery, we're going to figure out exactly how much they've confiscated over the past say, 10 years and how much went into their pockets. But I would not be surprised if we're in the, you know, 10-figure range at this point. Wow. The global, (laughs) I mean, you're talking about millions of people that use PayPal, uh, uh, probably on a daily basis at this point, worldwide, right? This this is not your local vitamin shop. And and also what's interesting, uh, we're getting uh, inquiries and reports from people that want to participate that their money was confiscated for selling products that have nothing to do with gambling. They have to do with firearms. Uh, speed loaders and things like that. So PayPal basically makes their own rules as far as what's acceptable and what's not. Now you don't have to be on any particular political, you know, side of the political aisle. Uh, if somebody sells a product and is legal to sell, as much as 
you know, you may want gun control or whatever. There's nothing, there's no reason that that person should have their money taken away or confiscated just because they sell speed loaders or other accessories. They're not selling actual firearms, not selling actual ammunition. So, and so PayPal just decides that these are, and, and in a way, it almost feels like there's a political slant to it, right? Why, why gun accessories? Why gambling? Why gaming and poker? Why, why are these things such red flags, such hot topics for PayPal? You know, the guy that sells, you know, dirty magazines over the internet can, apparently can use PayPal without a problem. But uh, poor lady, I got an email today. There was a 65 year old woman in Florida. That's her business with her husband. They sell these accessories and they sold speed loaders and they had something like $2,800 confiscated, frozen, and then, and then stolen basically from PayPal. So wow. th this problem is far, far bigger than I think most people realize. And it, it goes far beyond the poker community. Yeah, it's really bad. And yeah, one can only imagine how much they have taken from people, people who are not given even the opportunity to give their side of it to PayPal. You, you can't even tell PayPal hey, here's why I feel you shouldn't take my money. You're not even allowed to say that. You don't get to even say anything. They make their own decision based upon whatever they feel like making it, and they don't even take your own input into taking your money. It's absolutely insane, and that's why I said if it wasn't you, wasn't Chris, didn't have to do with poker, if I just read this story somewhere on the internet and didn't know any of you, I would say, yes, I hope the plaintiffs win. The plaintiffs totally deserve to win this one. This looks... Uh, this looks like a lawsuit with tremendous merit and something that will put a stop to a lot of innocent people being victimized. And you're right. It shouldn't matter how you feel about uh, whatever items are being sold on PayPal, that as long as it's legal, as long as people are doing this without breaking any laws, as long as they're not scamming anyone, then uh, PayPal should not be taking their money. If PayPal doesn't want this on their platform, they could say, okay, here's your money. Get out of here. Don't ever come back. Uh, but, but not say, we're taking your money. And by the way, these are people who didn't come back to PayPal after being previously told to go away. These were people who had a valid account in good standing that just had their money confiscated with, with nothing they could do to stop it, and they had no idea they were doing anything wrong, correct? Yeah, that's correct. And, and what makes it even worse is the idea that they calculate up to 2,500, quote, per violation, because what that does is it essentially guarantees that if you've had less than that taken, you'll never get that money back, right? And all they have to do is say, well, we found one violation of our acceptable use policy or our terms of service, and as such, we're entitled to charge you up to $2,500 for quote our costs for time in investigating and all that. Do you think any of these people got a report as far as the outcome of those investigations? No. Who investigated and what did they investigate exactly? Nobody knows, right? Because PayPal doesn't release that information back. They just get, you know, send these generic, uh, you know, computer-generated notices. Sorry, our investigation been concluded. We determined that you did violate this policy or accept the lease policy, terms of service, whatever, and we're keeping your money. And if you're, you know, small mom and pop guy and, you know, you're just buying, you know, baseball cards or whatever, and you've got seven, eight, and a hundred, nine hundred dollars in the PayPal, that's it. They're 2,500 quote, you know, per violation that wipes you out and your money's gone. It, and it's, it's, it's a form of legalized theft that really shouldn't be legal. And right. I wouldn't be surprised if now maybe even the DOJ gets involved at some point to look into this um, just to, because the degree in which they're doing this. And, and, and these numbers, again, they're all over the playing field. Anything from, you know, a couple hundred bucks to, you know, fifty-five, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 confiscated. Now, 
I don't know anybody that wouldn't miss 70 K. I mean, maybe I'm just not at that, at that social level, you know, with uh, my group of friends or whatever, but everybody would be a little bit hurt over a lot, you know, $70,000 loss. Imagine if that's your, all your business capital, that's your, that's your livelihood. Imagine that. So freezing it for six months is bad enough. That's enough to put you out of business. But then let's say you weather that you never get it back. Right. You, 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 that wipes you out. It, and there's nothing you can do. Nobody you can talk to. That's crazy. I've never heard of a private business seizing money from people. I've heard of the government doing it. I've even heard of the government doing it where it isn't justified and where it shouldn't be legal. But I have never seen where a non-government body in the United States seizes money. It's crazy. I mean, this isn't like a temporary no. seizure for the for uh, law enforcement or anything else. This is I'm, an actual private company just saying, we've made a decision, we're just taking your money. I've never seen that in my life. No, you're right. And that's a very, very important point because even banks don't confiscate money. They close an account, they give you a check back. And, and that's if they think you're like a money launderer, like the worst of the violations, right? They don't keep it. Here you go. We don't want your business here. Best of luck to you. Here's a cashier's check. Go on your way. That's how it should be. You're right that the federal government can seize based on certain laws, you know, the seizure laws and things like that, but that's the government. And so if the government seized your account with PayPal, just like your bank account, that's a different story. But even the government allows redress and, and there's an appellate process if you lose, right? PayPal is no such thing. Right. So this is worse than a government seizure. Uh, and they, they shouldn't be doing it exactly. in the first place. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, there's so many issues to this whole thing, which just seem so wrong, and just get me so mad to think about. I mean, I've I've hated this whole type of situation with PayPal for two decades, but this is taking it up to such a higher level, and it's just so offensive and so egregious. And I'm so glad that there is something that is going to be attempted to be done, and I I hope so much that it's successful, and uh, I. I'm really glad that you are taking on this case. So, you know, as as my friend, I would root for you anyway. In, in any case, you're uh, oh. that you're running, but I, but but here in this, I would root for a complete stranger. I'd even root for a lawyer I hate to win this one. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not even well, kidding. I, I, no, I appreciate it. And I really appreciate the endorsement. I'll tell you what. Uh, one of the attorneys, he's actually he's a securities attorney in New York. He thinks John Lucenhoff, and he's on this with us. Uh, he and I go back uh, quite a while. Uh, so John basically said, look, we're either going to be the firm that takes PayPal down or we're going to be the firm that dies trying. But whatever it is, we're not going to stop. This has to come to an end. That is very good. And I, I, I know this is all very slow. I'm sure the listeners would love us to update you guys in two weeks that this is over. But uh, obviously, that's not going to happen. The legal system is uh, not <laughs> yeah. exactly swift, swiftly moving. Uh, even uh, before COVID, it was slow. So uh, don't expect immediate updates on this but uh will you come on this show to tell us what you can i know you can't reveal a lot of things uh until certain things have happened sometimes things have to be kept confidential at least for the moment but uh, will you come on this show and update us uh with progress every so often and what's going on here with this case absolutely uh it'd be my absolute pleasure i can tell you that right now the plan is to have the suit filed before the end of June and we'll be seeking immediate class certification, which is sort of like a procedural necessity in order to go from a regular plain, you know, plain Jane lawsuit into a class action where you can then like legally solicit potential claimants to join the class and things like that. So 
that'll be that part will be fairly swift. Hopefully, the court will give us a date within a few months of uh, our application for class certification. And if we gain class certification, then it's a very long process, but that's full steam ahead. And is this going to be in federal court or California court? We're still considering the options because there are some financial limitations as far as federal court, meaning that if, in order to have uh, federal court standing, each claimant has to be at a loss of over $75,000. So unless the first few have that much, but then each additional is supposed to have that same amount. What I think is more likely is since they're a California-based corporation anyway, um, we'll probably file in California and in state court. Although I wouldn't be surprised if PayPal themselves remove it to federal court as a defendant, which gives them a right to do that as opposed to a plaintiff filing it there. So we may end up in federal court anyway, but I think we'll probably start at the state court level just because the amount of the claims per claimant aren't going to all exceed 75000 And is that going to hurt you if, if they move it, if they successfully get it moved to federal court, would that hurt you with the 75000 thing, or that's only for the plaintiff they have to worry about? Right, that's only for the plaintiff. If the defendant removes to federal court, that they're doing it on their prerogative and you know, to be honest, I wouldn't argue that because, uh, at least for me, it's a bit more of an advantage because my general, you know, my main area of practice is in the federal courts, and I know the federal rules a lot better than I know local state rules. Uh, but we've got a team built at this point already in anticipation of this case, so wherever we end up filing it, we'll, we'll be fine. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you that about the team if you had uh, brought on other attorneys to help handle this, since this is going to be a uh, very large case. And uh, I actually had not asked Eric this yet prior to this show. So I guess we have our answer that uh, Eric has, is putting a, uh, a super team together of attorneys to take down PayPal and their uh, very, very uh, predatory practices of just taking people's money. And I really am rooting for this. Every time there is a positive development for this, I will feel happy about it. And if when the whole thing's over, you guys emerge victorious, that will be a... Uh, a great moment here in uh, e-commerce history. I'm not even exaggerating because PayPal has been doing this for so long and for them to have to pay for it and hopefully have to stop this type of behavior. And as you've heard from Eric, these are it's not just gamblers. You may say, oh, you know, Chris Moneymaker. You know, uh, yeah, it was just for fantasy sports. But, you know, this is these are just poker players. Nobody's going to care. These are these are regular people also who are caught up in this. People who just run their, their small businesses that are getting devastated by this sort of thing is beyond unfair and I'm glad that uh, you're going to bat for all these people and we will have you on here whenever you'd like to come on and give updates to the status of this case now, much, most appreciated and I absolutely will PFA uh, is going to always be my uh, my first in the interview spot so okay, anytime thank you. something comes up I'll let you know okay thank you Eric and good night alright Todd I appreciate it have a good night man thanks again so, yeah, this is big. This is big. It's a little bit of a bigger case for Eric than mine, wouldn't you say? <laughs> I was impressed with his work on my case. And while that's a much simpler matter, it's a much more difficult undertaking to take on a corporation like PayPal than to beat Mike Possel. Still, he did a great job, and I'm sure he's going to do a great job here. You never know how things shake out in court. Sometimes the attorney can do a great job and doesn't win anyway. Sometimes technicalities keep you from winning, but I'm sure that Eric and his uh, team of attorneys will do put up a great fight on this one, and I really think there's a pretty decent chance they're going to come out on the right end. And of course, there may be a settlement too. This may not 
be a case where it actually uh, gets to the point where it's decided by a jury. It may actually get to where uh, PayPal realizes that they messed up and they may settle. That's often how these class actions end. So we will see and we will update you. And that is the first time that this has been discussed anywhere, other at least on any kind of podcast or radio show. And you'll keep hearing it here. Every time Eric has something to let you guys know about here, we'll have him on here to give an update. By the way, if you want to contact Eric about this, if you have been cheated by PayPal in the same way, you can contact him, eric at eblawfirm.us, eric at eb, that's eb, like Eric Banzamokin, lawfirm.us. If they've confiscated money from you, or even if they have frozen a decent sum of money for 180 days, definitely let Eric know, because he may be interested in including you in the class. And of course, it'll be up to you if you want to be part of this, but uh, definitely contact him if you have been a victim of PayPal in a similar fashion. Eric at eblawfirm.us. And uh, again, I thank him for coming on. We're going to move along to our next topic, something I think you'll find quite interesting. We're going to call up our next interview, Mike Holtz, and we're going to find out about his situation because he has a pretty interesting story. He is a uh, WSOP.com grinder. We're going to find out his story. Mike Holtz, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Glad to be here. And as soon as I saw your story posted on Facebook, I'm going to read what you wrote, and then you can uh, talk about it in your own words about what's going on. I wanted to give you uh, a chance to come on here and explain the situation. I know if I were in your shoes, I would be pretty disturbed about the whole thing as well. And I also have had the heartbreak of uh, being banned from a poker site when I shouldn't be. And you have your money on there. You want to keep playing, and it's very frustrating. I once got banned on – Bovada with 56k in my account. So that was pretty tough. I I got oh, it. Wow. I got it. I got it resolved, but boy, that was a scary few days. Anyway, here's what you wrote on Facebook on a Facebook group and immediately when I thought saw that, I thought I got to have this guy on the show and we got to talk to him about this. And I have been critical many times of wsp.com and their management going back to the beginning. Going back to the early Bill Reney days, which are now over, and now with Danielle Burrell in charge, unfortunately, it has not improved that much, in my opinion. I don't get to play that much because I am not a Nevada resident, but I'm going to read your post, and then we'll talk about what happened, and I have some questions for you as well. Sure. Sounds perfect. So Mike Holtz, who, again, is a very uh, active player on WSB.com, a cash player, he wrote, as some of you know... I'm the current WSOP Online Player of the Year. And he's referring to a leaderboard that they keep, by the way. I'm currently well north of 150K since January. On Monday, I logged into my account and saw it was temporarily disabled. I checked my Caesars Rewards account, which is well on the way to seven stars this year, connected to my WSOP account, and it was also deactivated. The Caesars Rewards is the same as Total Rewards. And... You can actually connect that to your WSOP.com account and earn status through that instead of earning it through the casino. I mean, you can do both, but this is a way to earn status through Caesars. So that's another advantage of playing at WSOP.com. So he found that was deactivated too. So he says, I called WSOP. They could give me no answers and assured I would get a call within 72 hours to get to the bottom of this. My next step was to go to Caesars Palace, where after 10 minutes of waiting, I was escorted off property by security. 
Two days of phone calls, handwritten letters, and emails, and I was finally promised a phone call from Danielle Burreal, the poker room manager, over at Caesars WSOP. Today, Friday, four days after my ban, I received the call. I was informed that because I withdrew several amounts in February under 10K, that my account was now frozen until I provided tax returns for the last two years, even though the vast majority of my wins were in 2021. I have several withdrawals north of 10K, including two above 35K. All of my recent withdrawals have been 13K or more. They demanded that I send them my last two years of tax forms, which I did immediately, but they won't give me an answer till next week. This is written a week ago, by the way. The, the whole thing is absurd. Has anyone heard of this happening? They removed me from player of the year, that is the online player of the year, and the circuit leaderboard as well. I'm just at a loss for words. So uh, before we ask Mike here some questions and have him tell us a bit more about this, I assume the reason that uh, they're concerned about this is because of structuring. That's what he's referring to, the under the amounts under 10K. Structuring is a law that, uh, a federal law that started in the mid-1980s that makes it a crime to do transactions that are uh, under, specifically under the 10K threshold in order to avoid having to report it to the IRS. These are cash transactions. So any cash transactions you do for physical cash that's for more than 10K, you are required to fill out a form called a CTR form, and that has to be submitted to the IRS by the institution where the, uh, the transactions are taking place. So what people do sometimes to avoid that form for whatever reason, they will purposely do a transaction of like 9,500, 9,900, whatever, so so it stays under 10K, and this way they don't have to fill out that form. So if you do this on purpose, it's called structuring, which is against the law, and institutions that do transactions like these, such as banks and casinos, are instructed by the federal government that they have to report any suspicion of structuring, and they have to make some effort to keep track of people doing this so they can catch structuring and report it to the government. So when uh, so we're, we're going to have some questions for Mike here, but he says that uh, they supposedly shut down his account because he did some withdrawals for under 10K. So my first question for you is here, uh, these under 10K withdrawals, were these cash withdrawals that you did at the Caesars cage or were these online transfers to your bank? So if I recall correctly, I believe all of them were cash at the cage except for one. The, the problem with, with WSP.com, one of the problems is that um, even though you have your bank account linked and can do deposits right away, when you go to withdraw, when you're doing um, uh, anything in your bank account, I mean, it can take 10 to 14 days. So I believe I might have had one of them go to my bank. And then when I realized like how long it was taking, I just started doing them at the cage because you get an email, I don't know, maybe 24 hours after you do it. And it's, it's fairly quick. It's easy. You go into the cage and then, um, yeah, you, you get to go out. So I, maybe I did four or five of them, 7,000, 4,000, 9,000. And, um, the way I, the reason I was doing that was just because I felt like when I kept too much money in my account, sometimes I would get, um, I want to say, I don't want to say frivolous, but it almost felt like uh, winning became less. Like it, it wasn't like I was. It was like I was less hungry. You know what I mean? So I would I would try to keep my account under eighteen k. Um, so anytime I got above the eighteen k mark, I would just if if I won a big tournament, I would just uh, 
I would just withdraw it there. And I didn't think anything of it. I, I've never even heard of structuring until a few days ago uh, when I actually talked to WSOP support. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I did the majority of these at the cage. Okay. And you said uh, you also made some withdrawals, uh, like two over 35K and, and some over 13K. Were these also at the cage? Yeah, these were also at the cage. So I actually went and um, I bought a new car. Um, and I went, I paid all cash for it, which got reported to the IRS immediately. Um, and then the, the withdrawals I made, I have to think exactly what they were, but I think one was 37 and one was 45 and they were done at the cage and I hadn't made a withdrawal of under 10 K since February. So when they banned me, I mean, I, I, I had gone through, I mean, so many reasons of why it could be. I mean, I, I, I couldn't think of anything that would be valid. I figured it was some sort of mix up. And uh, maybe someone had used my name or someone had found my Caesars card. I, I never thought that, that this would be what it was. So when I got the call that they were concerned about my withdrawals from February, it was, it was quite a shock. And uh, so you got the call of four days. Was it four days late? When did you get the call uh, from when you asked them to call you? Four days? Um, so, so, yeah, it was four days later. Basically, I went to log in. I'm trying to think of the exact day. Um, I believe it was Sunday. It was it was um, it was either Sunday or Saturday morning. Um, I can't remember the exact day of the week that it was, but I went to log in. And I, so, so I, um, you said earlier that I play cash. So I actually play tournaments. The player of the year is for um, is for MTTs. So I play all of the uh, all of the MTTs above like the uh, the thirty rebuy now. Basically oh, anything above okay. fifty ninety dollars total. Um, so I, I log in every day around the same time, around four or five. And, um, yeah, I played till about 11 o'clock at night, midnight, something like that. Um, and, uh, uh I, I logged in my account actually before that I logged in, my, I went to log in my Caesars rewards account because I'm on the way to seven stars, which, um, is a nice perk that WSP has. You're allowed to connect your account and then the, the points from online actually transfer to your card. So I just wanted to see how close I was to that. And it said that my account had been deactivated and that I needed to go see the local casino's Caesar Rewards manager and mention error code one. So I called in to Caesars and no one was helping. Um, so I figured I'd have to go in person, but I figured, you know, whatever. It's like some sort of weird mistake. It doesn't make any sense. So I'm on WSP.com. I'm registered for tournaments. And all of a sudden, my WSP.com, it, it crashes. And so I go to re-log in. And it says that my account was temporarily suspended. So immediately, I mean, I'm, I'm like freaking out. So I called a couple of buddies and they actually recommended that, uh, that I go down to Caesars and find out what's going on in person. So, so, so let, me, let me stop what, you here okay, for a second. So, so you, you first ha found your Caesars rewards was banned and then WSP.com, you're actually able to play for a little bit and then it crashed and you also were banned there like after that. Yeah, so I didn't even get to play. I registered tournaments, and then uh, I got kicked off, and they wouldn't even unregister for me from the tournaments. They just let me blind out. From <laughs> That's pretty. I think they should owe you that money back. But uh, yeah, so all right, so so then you so you went down to Caesar. And it actually had instructions. You should go to Caesar Rewards and say error code one. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what it says exactly, and I could check, but it, it basically says my account was deactivated and to contact the local Caesars Rewards group and, and say error code one. But um, I don't know. I'm sure you've uh, you've had dealings with with their support before. I mean, it's you can't get anybody on the phone who knows what they're talking no, about. No, you can't. No, 
yeah, it's just it's just not possible. So I went down, I waited in the line at Caesar's Rewards, and um, this is during the circuit uh, and where where you you know you win a ring if you uh, if you win any of the tournaments, and there's a multiplier on there for Player of the Year. So it's extremely important that I participate in the circuit events because in my mind, WSOP Player of the Year is something that. Uh, I mean, before this year, I thought would be unattainable for me in my wildest dreams. Like, so for me to be winning this, like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm super stoked about it, or at least I was before this. Um, and yeah, I went down to Caesar Rewards and they escorted me off property. They wouldn't tell me why. So I want to ask you about that because that caught my attention a lot, and you didn't fully explain that in your post on Facebook. So, um, they escorted you off before you could even talk to anybody? Like, what, were you arguing when they decided to escort you off? They just decided you're banned from all Caesars properties and we're not even talking to you and, and kicked you? So the manager there wouldn't. I, I spoke with um, – I waited in the uh, like the, uh, the, the seven-star VIP, like, platinum line, whatever it is. And uh, I got to the front. The lady was quite nice. I gave her my ID and my card, and I explained the situation in detail. And she went to a back room, and 10 minutes later – um, another lady came out and she, uh, she uh, two security guards had walked up and I, I didn't think anything of it. I'm, you know, security guards, casinos all the time. Um, so they're, they're to my left and, uh, she hands them my ID and my Caesar's rewards card. I'm looking at this and I, I realize what's going on because I've seen people get escorted off, you know, playing two five at, you know, the win or Caesars or whatever. I've seen it happen multiple times. And I, I realized what was happening. I was getting 86 and I, 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 panicked immediately so i asked what's going on she wouldn't even look me in the eyes and she said you need to talk to them so they pull me to the side and uh they radio to somebody higher up i guess because i'm telling them I, I don't know what's going on i'm not banned no one's told me this and they said that i've been told that i'm a trespass and that i'm not allowed on property and that I've, I've definitely gotten some sort of email or letter or phone call and that i'm not allowed to be here and if i come back i'll be arrested and then they escorted me off the property. Wow. That's that part is the probably the most surprising to me of this entire story. In fact, I'm sure it is. Uh, while I don't think they handled the structuring thing very well, at least I understand why they're concerned about it. In fact, they're required by law to have some concern about it. But to, I, I, I still don't understand. And maybe we'll, you can tell maybe you'll know when you can tell us tell us the rest of the story why they would possibly ban you from Caesars while they're giving you the chance to show you weren't structuring. This is the strangest thing. That what, Why would they be banning you from the property? So uh, did you ever find this out? Um, no, I'm still banned from Caesars. Oh, I, wow. I'm, I'm restored on WSOP. I sent probably, I don't know, five or six emails to Danielle Burrell, um, and she didn't answer me for the first few. And then today she said that she would uh, direct me to the correct department. And I got an email later on from WSOP.com operating, which, I mean, they have nothing to do with Caesars Rewards. And they said to talk to them from now on. So I sent them an email basically saying, I'm banned from Caesars Rewards. And they said, we can't help you with that. So, I mean, I, I'm, I am still currently banned from Caesars Properties, but I am playing on WSOP.com again. That's the weirdest thing. So yes. supposedly you're banned from Caesar's Rewards for structuring, and yet you're allowed on their online poker product to play again. That Correct. makes zero sense. And so, and you're sure that you weren't banned before this because you've been logging in regularly to Caesar's Rewards, right? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I like 
the only time I ever go to any Caesars property is to either park for free because I have the, um, you know, my, my card allows me to park for free um, or to go get, they give you like uh, four free drinks every day at Starbucks. So if I'm near the strip, I'll go there, I'll grab a couple, uh, a couple Starbucks drinks or something. So there's no, like, I, I don't gamble. I don't, uh, I don't play blackjack. I don't play slots. Uh, I don't drink really. So like, there's definitely nothing that I've done that would make me banned from Caesars. Um, and yeah, that's, that's the weird thing. It, it doesn't make any sense to me why, number one, why they couldn't have just said to me, hey, man, in, in an email, just, hey, hey we, we're curious with some transactions in February. Can you, can you give us your tax returns and maybe clear this up? Instead, they ban me and then they escort me off property. And for four days, and if it wasn't for Daniel Buzgon, I believe that's how you say his last name. He's Juice on uh, WSOP. He told me, uh, he gave me Danielle's email address. And I actually emailed her. I had called WSP support three times a day for the first three days. And they told me I would be guaranteed a call within 72 hours. That that's, that's how they work. And it had been, I don't know, 100 and some hours. I still hadn't received a call until I emailed Danielle. And, I, and that's when they called me and explained the situation to me. Would, have you tried to ask Danielle, I know this isn't her department to ban or unban you from Caesars, she's right about that, but have you tried to ask her if she can verify that Caesars banned you over this matter? Yeah, so she, she actually, she was listening in on the phone call I had with a guy named, I believe it was Dallas with WSOP, but he confirmed that yes, that's the reason why I was banned from Caesars. See, that's what doesn't make any sense. She shouldn't be washing her hands at this point if this has to do with them. If for whatever reason she had no visibility into why you were banned, I would still think she should check with them. But And then if she were to find out it had nothing to do with this, she I could see why she'd say, well, this is totally separate. I see why you think it's related, but it's not. So this is out of my hands. I, I, I can't help you. But if you got banned from this site and that caused you to get banned from Caesars and then they've cleared this up, Obviously, if they're letting you continuing to play, it really is on them to correct the, any fallout on the other end within their company. And how does Danielle explain why this isn't her responsibility to clear this up with Caesar that it's all cool? I mean, she she hasn't explained anything. Um, she responded to my original email and just said she would have someone call me. And that's when Dallas called me. Um, after that, I waited, I believe it was five days because uh, I, I missed – I missed Sunday through Tuesday, so nine days total of play. And um, if you know anything about online poker, Sunday and Tuesdays are the big days. So yeah. I missed all those days. And then they actually unbanned me Tuesday night, and they didn't send me an email. They didn't send me anything. I just – somebody messaged me and said, hey, man, your name's back on the player of the year leaderboards. And I went to log in, and I could log in fine. Um, but it was after all the tournaments, so it was, it was pretty unfortunate. But, yeah, I mean, she never explained to me – anything i mean i i really have had had no answers from her at all has she stopped responding to you in email she stopped responding to me in email yeah the last three emails i sent and um maybe i'm getting a little ahead of myself with the story but basically um after they did that I, you know i said to her like why did this take so long because they said they just needed my tax returns and it in the time it took from when i was on the phone with them when they um, when they sent me the email where I could um, securely send my tax returns through their like uh, their system in the 45 minutes I had checked you know I only had five I believe they're w2gs um, I only had five from them and I guess that's what they're looking for in the tax returns or I, I'm not even really sure but 
I mean, my taxes weren't long. I mean, it was very simple to check. I looked, I had five of them from Caesars and I had five of them on my taxes and I, I had additional gambling winnings. I mean, it, it, I mean, I, I don't see how this could possibly have taken 10 days. I mean, it, it makes no sense to me. Yeah, it, well, I can understand them being slow there. That's just kind of what they are. They're just, their support has always kind of been crap since the beginning. Uh, that's, the 10 days is frustrating. See, like, I understand your frustration because you're trying to be this uh, player of the year, and here we are close to the halfway mark in 2021, and, and you were at the top, and, and you were uh, thinking, okay, you know, this isn't just me doing well in January. I'm, I'm go- I've gone through five months here, and, and I'm still there. And so you start to really feel like you can do this, and these are precious days. And if you end up losing this by a small amount at the end, it'll be frustrating knowing that these days when you were banned uh, could have been the difference. So I understand how you're feeling that way. Uh, however, I can understand on the other side where they say, well, it's not our problem if uh, you're chasing player of the year and – uh, something like this happens and we happen to take some time to process. It's unfortunate, but but it's not like an egregious uh, problem on our part customer service-wise. But where I do think there's really egregious problems here is, number one, the fact that you're still banned from Caesars over this when you're allowed on their site is just insanity. That just makes zero sense to me. Number two, uh, the the not calling you in the 72 hours promised to where you had to track down Danielle through someone who had her email, and then she stops answering you. And so you are still left with nobody to communicate with. You're still left with nobody to help. Now, who is this Dallas person? I'm a little confused by this. What is his title or what is his position? They, he just said he's a supervisor. He would not give me his exact title. But does he work with Caesars or WSOP.com? D- WSOP.com. Okay, so she's above him then. Um. So I, I honestly, before this call, I didn't even know where Danielle's position was in the company. I guess – so she, is she the, the president of operations there? Or? Well, that's a funny question. <laughs> so I've talked about this a lot on this show. It's, it's very bizarre what's going on there because after Bill left – Bill Reaney, who was whose managerial style was just to hide from everybody and get mad and insulted whenever anyone would criticize anything there. Sure, so, it seems so, like they're keeping his legacy going. Right. So that, like I that. thought. I thought when he left, I thought, okay, good, he's gone. Whoever replaces him is probably going to be better. Then I see no announcement of who's replacing him. In fact, they didn't even announce he's leaving. It was just kind of figured out, and then I talked about it and I saw no indication of who was running the show. Once Bill was clearly gone, there was no indication. But then I saw in like some press release, it said that uh, WSOP.com poker room manager, Danielle, Danielle Burrell said, blah, 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 blah. And it was about like just some kind of promotional thing sure. they were trying to put out. And I said, well, that's weird. How come they're quoting her in these press releases and she's never been introduced to anybody as the poker room manager you think this would be something pretty significant hey we have a new poker room manager and here she is now she was from within the company and in fact i found a a youtube video where she won some award within caesars and you you get to see her talking about what she was doing then and she was setting up the tournament structures and she was uh it seemed like bill thought highly of her and probably handpicked her to replace him but what I was getting from the video of her, and I've never met her and I don't know her, but what I was getting from the video of her is that she's very shy and she doesn't seem to like confrontation either. So Bill's it was kind of like not shyness. It was just kind of like passive aggression. But uh, yeah. with, with her, it seemed like she's just kind of this shy girl who really would be in a much better spot to be working behind the scenes. So she doesn't seem incompetent to me. She seems like someone who doesn't want to 
be the public face of anything or deal with controversy. And that's not good to be that way if you're going to be the card room manager of WSB.com because there is going to be controversy. There is going to be confrontation. It's inevitable, no matter how good of a job you do. And if you can't handle that, if it's just not in your personality to do, which is no slight against her, it's just that some people are built different ways than others. So you sure. have to be able to handle that. And if that's not you, which it definitely wasn't Bill, and it probably it looks like it's not her either for a different reason, then you're not right for that job. So as a result, since then, and it's been quite some time since, uh, I think it's been close to two years now since uh, since Bill left, she has never really come out like directly of, hey, I'm the leader here, talk to me, which even Bill did. Even Bill identified himself as, as hey, I'm the one in charge of this show here. She doesn't even do that. So nobody even gets a clear fi- picture of who's in charge, but I believe it's her. So it's interesting you ask that because I've I've levied that exact criticism that they need someone to come forward and be the one in charge and to just say, hey, I'm the one in charge. Come to me. I'm the manager here. I'm the leader of WSB.com. And it seems like she doesn't do that, and I think it's intentional. So anyway, uh, it, it bothers me that she is not taking the lead here, now that she's been made aware of it, that she's not taking the lead to make this right for you. Uh, I don't mind them so much bringing up the suspicion in the first place. They have to do it by law. Uh, I see your point that these were back in February, and that since then you've made large transactions. And a point you didn't make, but is in your favor is that if you're going to structure, it would be a very stupid thing to do regarding WSOP.com cash outs since they monitor every single hand you play. Usually right. structuring is for the point of uh, people do it in order to either hide income or to launder money. But when there is an exact record on WSOP.com what you have actually won, then going to the cage and taking it in cash isn't fooling anybody because the, it's seen as a withdrawal either way. They have it on record you did a withdrawal. Whereas in, in a live card room, if, if you let's say you won $13,000 in a session in a live card room and you say, hey, I'm going to split this up in two cash outs and this way that the IRS will never know. And, and people right. do that. This is, it's not like this never happens. This happens a lot in card rooms in, in higher stakes games. This is, oh, it's course, illegal. Yeah. but That it, seems like it would be a common thing. Yeah. It is. So, so if... There is that type of concern that, uh, hey, this, we have to track this because uh, otherwise you can completely get away with winning this money without the IRS ever knowing, and it's more than 10 k Fine, but here they have all the records. It's all right there. So I don't see why they would believe anyone would structure anyway. But fine, since they're still told to watch out for this, they're told to watch out for several cash outs in a row that are kind of in the uh, – four-figure range, but mid to upper four-figure range that never seem to breach 10K, I understand. But I would say if after that, then you're doing several that are above 10K, including way above 10K, you would think a logical person would look at this and say, okay, if it were just these February ones alone and we're sitting here like on March 3rd, yeah, you might think the guy's structuring. But yep. if, if the guy's making big ones since then, including some over 30K, you're going to, okay, well, looks like that's not what was happening because uh, it wouldn't be very smart to structure a few cash outs in February just to uh, do large ones that you do fill out the CTR forms in uh, in subsequent months. But but still, if, if they, they could come back with, okay, maybe you didn't expect to win as much as you did going forward. So at first you were thinking, okay, I'll structure. And then once you had too much, you, you're like, okay, well, there's no way I can get away with structuring anymore. I'm going to just, uh, I'm just going to now just do it normally. So they, they just in case they wanted to investigate that, thinking maybe that was the case, fine. And I understand that's their legal requirement to do. And it's it's subjective what they think is suspicious. But 
if they thought it was suspicious, fine. And if they want to ask you to show them some things, fine. But I don't think banning you is is the correct move, and especially not with any kind of uh, real communication to just log in and get these error codes and um, you know, for you to have to wait four days to get a phone call to even find out why you're banned. Uh, and I don't even see why they would have to ban you for this because it looks to me like it wasn't like they've proven you were structuring. It's not like they, they caught you on uh, on their property uh, talking with a friend about how you're structuring your cash-outs. Here, they just were looking at a pattern of cash-outs and saying, and saying hey, this this looks suspicious from back in February. Uh, hey, can you show us some things so we can feel better? So why ban you in the meantime? I don't even see why they should have to do that. So, uh, but But the weirdest part is to ban you from Caesars, actually escort you off property and threaten you with arrest if you come back. They basically trespassed you and not clear this up when the matter is done. And uh, so so where does this stand right now? Is it where you've said that you, you're, you're banned from Caesars and you can't reach anybody to talk to them about it? So the last communication I had was today with Danielle when I, when, um, I, I basically gave her an email. I said, look, I get it. You're not going to answer any of my emails. You don't care about the situation. It is what it is. But can I at least get my account reactivated? Um, and 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 can I uh, can I at least get unbanned from Caesar's properties? I mean, this is this is crazy at this point. And she said she'd forward it to the direct, uh, the correct department, and that uh, yeah, she said she forwarded it to the correct department. And then I got a, a message from the operational division of WSOP.com, and I emailed them, uh, responded to their email, basically said they were saying like. They basically were saying, don't email Danielle anymore, email us. So I responded to the email, and I got no response. But they're not going to be able to help me with the Caesars Rewards thing. Somebody needs to, to call Caesars, or Caesars needs to help me. You know, There needs to be some sort of communication. Yes, there. definitely. And uh, this is a big problem within Caesars, by the way. It has been for many years, is that the departments within Caesars have never communicated well. They all, they all almost act like they're their own companies. And I just, in fact, helped somebody on a different forum I run called Vegas Casino Talk, a totally different type of matter, but somebody who uh, who is a Seven Stars member and wanted to take their trip. This is an Atlantic City person who wanted to take their trip to uh, – their Seven Stars trip to Las Vegas, and the someone in Las Vegas thought that he didn't give enough action when he was in Vegas – and and basically denied letting him have any of the upper-end properties in Vegas. So he could stay at, like, the Flamingo, but he couldn't get Caesars. I don't think he could get Paris. Like, he, he couldn't get any of the well, better properties. He was that, told he could take a seven-star vacation. He, he not We're not talking about a suite here. We're talking about a regular room. They wouldn't give it to him at Caesars. And, uh, and they said, absolutely not. Last time you stayed here, you didn't play enough, so you can't have it, which is totally against the way the program works. So It doesn't make any sense. That's, uh, I've, read, I've read the program in detail to just check like what my rewards are going to be, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, that's, that's shocking. Yeah, so – and then he tried to complain about this in Atlantic City to, to his home property, and, and they were just basically trying to pass the buck. Nobody wanted to take responsibility and, and actually get this solved for him. And the worst part was that this was not – someone who was any kind of advantage player or any type of player they wouldn't want. In fact, this guy was an online slots player. You think that they'd roll out the red carpet for him. So he's an online slots player and he played a lot of online slots and that's how he earned seven stars and he asked them, well, go take a look at that. And in Vegas, they said, yeah, we can't see that. We we don't have access to the online system. All we know is when you come here, you don't play much. And then in, in Atlantic City, he goes to them and says, okay, can you help me? Yeah, we can't really see your online records either. So it was so frustrating for him. So he 
I, I gave him some advice about who to contact and everything. He ended up getting it uh, resolved, but it was very tough. It was very hard for him to reach anybody that could just simply say, wait a minute, this is insane. This is an online slots player who played so much he earned seven stars through the online slot system. And here you here the local market in Vegas is being petty with him. Like so yeah. why can't why don't they have somebody he can go to in his home market that could call Vegas and say, What the hell? What are you doing? So same thing here. There should be somebody, in this case the somebody should really be Danielle. So Danielle or somebody she directs to do it. She shouldn't be handing this off to other departments. She should either be doing it or saying I'm going to give this to this other department to do for you, not just, I don't want to deal with this, deal with them. That's not, maybe she wants to hide from it, but she shouldn't be. So she or somebody directly under her should be right now saying, we've resolved it by the fact that you're even on our site in good standing shows we've resolved it. So we are going to undo the damage that was done to Caesars for you, uh, and we're going to email the appropriate people. And if you had to wait a few days for the right person to receive it, especially during Memorial Day weekend at this point, fine. But they should get on this and fix it. It is unbelievable that you're able to play in WSB.com right now, but actually trespassed from Caesars properties over a matter in WSB.com. That is so classic Caesars. With, with the fail and the poor communication between departments and the fact that often nobody wants to just take responsibility for a situation. And I, I have so many stories in my decade or so in dealing with Caesars where someone won't take charge. In some cases, I've taken charge and said, okay, this is what you need to do. This is the department you need to go to. I, like, I feel like I'm the employee there in some cases where there's some fail occurring and nobody will take responsibility. So this is – I've never had anything as bad as what you have going on here. But th- this is incredibly frustrating, and I can—I I had no idea it was this bad from reading your post. I'm going to update my post about this. I posted about your situation on my uh, forum. I'm going to—I'm up- going to fix a few things that I had wrong, and I'm going to update this because this is outrageous. And uh, what? So you said today the operations WSOP account was emailing with you, uh, but or, or you emailed them and they haven't answered yet. No, so uh, yeah, yeah, they, they emailed me once after after Danielle responded, and she hadn't responded to my other three emails, which I sent her in the uh, the past couple of days. Um, now, I, what I actually didn't tell you, which was crazy, was uh, I sent her an email, and I and I said like like what's going on? Like, if you guys don't care about me, who do you care about? Like, I'm the player of the year, and and, and not that I should get special treatment, but like you should be able to talk to any of your customers about this happening. I mean, how, how do you leave me in the dark for this long? And then how do you unban me? Tell me that you'll send me an email with the details of the investigation or the review, whatever they called it, and then not do that and just completely ignore the problem. And I, I basically, I mean, I, I, I sent, uh, basically a, a, a fairly passive aggressive email and, uh, I get an email from WSOP later that day. Danielle doesn't message me back, but I get a random one from them telling me they've credited my account with $50, which, <laughs> I mean, I probably paid $50,000 in rakes in January. Oh, so, boy. Um, that was very kind of them. Um, did they and ever give you the money back? To her basically saying, are you serious? You guys, in 10 days, blah, 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 and you give me $50? <laughs> this is crazy. Like, it, you, you don't even respond to my email, so she doesn't respond to that. And then this morning, I said, okay, I get it. You're, you're washing your hands of the situation. At least unban me from Caesars, man. Like, what is going on <laughs> yeah. here? Uh, so what they they gave you the $50. Did they give you the tournament ticket back or the 
equivalent no. that you spent for, no, for they gave you get... me they don't answer about any of that I, I told her what happened she didn't respond to that so, so you're I still mean, you're still out the money from that tournament you registered for where it uh, blinded you off yeah from all the tournaments for that day yes so how much was that total got blinded off I don't know. I have to look, but I don't know. Maybe like uh, seven hundred and seventy-five bucks or something. Okay, I man, that's that's way more than fifty. So yeah. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. That's why I mean, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, it's crazy. The whole thing's crazy. Um, and yeah, I get it. You know, I get it. If some like I saw that they had lost a lawsuit with the structuring things. I, I did some research after this. After you know, they explained. So I get it. You know, you, you you think maybe I'm doing something wrong. You're required by law. Sure, go ahead and check it. But man, the time frame and banning me and making me feel like a criminal, like, come on, that is craziness. I did. I have done nothing illegal. I've done nothing wrong. It would be so foolish of me to try to launder money by by doing that and then withdrawing a hundred thousand dollars plus since then in transactions that go directly to the IRS. It just it just doesn't make any sense. And even the guy that called me, the Dallas guy, I mean, he even said that he was like, yeah, you're right but you need to read between the lines. And I said, I need to read between the lines. He said, yeah, man, you need to read between the lines. So I don't, I didn't, I don't even understand. I don't understand either. Yeah. That's, and I said to him, I said, so what, can I not do cash at the cage under 10 K? Is that what you're saying? He's like, no, I'm not saying that, you know? So I, 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 I don't know. Very, very odd. I mean, I felt like I was being accused of something that I clearly didn't do. I mean, I sent them my taxes. The second it was there, I already had everything in a folder. I sent it to them immediately. And I knew I wouldn't get a response in a day. But man, to take six days to look over a few pages of taxes and compare it to the records that they have. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just I'm just surprised it took that long. And I'm surprised that they t- kept me in the dark. And I'm surprised that they're keeping each other in the dark. It seems like no one knows what's going on. And there's so many other problems with WSMP.com. I mean, if Caesars knew how much money they were losing because of poor tournament structures, bugs in the app, bugs bugs with satellites not doing add-ons. Um, I mean, there's just so many different things. Leaderboards not paying out correctly, the wrong leaderboard getting paid out, and then they don't do anything about it. I mean, it, it's common knowledge between the highest-stake MTT players that the site is run beyond poorly. I mean, the the, the black market apps are run better than WSOP.com, which is supposed to be the golden standard in the industry. So for me, it's just shocking that, 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 that I mean, the websites run, I get, I get better customer service at Wendy's. How is that possible? Yeah, and that's the biggest problem. You know, with the software, it's not as simple as it appears. Number one, it's licensed software. Number two, the Nevada Gaming Commission is very difficult about any software changes. So whereas uh, Bovada or ACR can fix a bug right away if they feel like it, they have to get all kinds of approvals to change anything about the software, which is stupid. That shouldn't have been the case, but that's not Caesar's fault because that's that's the law. So I, I can understand a little bit from the software standpoint why they have some of these problems. However, there's no excuse from the customer service standpoint for it to be this poor. And just about everybody I know who has dealt with WSOP.com customer service and even management has had bad experiences. And this goes back to the beginning. I had some of my own bad experiences at the beginning, not as bad as you, not anywhere near as bad as you, but some very frustrating, mind-bogglingly stupid experiences like back in 13, 14. So this just never gets better. There's no excuse for it. And I'm very surprised because I thought when this started, I thought that they were going to make sure not to mess this up and, and put good people in place. And uh, apparently they didn't. And I even said with Bill Reaney back in the day that when they first hired him, it actually looked like a decent hire because he had experience in the industry and he was a software manager for uh, 
Full Tilt and some other uh, of these online poker sites for a while in the past. And it, it looked like a guy who was a decent hire to be the poker room manager. But when he wasn't performing and when he definitely wasn't cut out for the job, especially for the public facing and, and customer interaction portion of it, uh, they should have either fired him or gotten somebody to take over those parts of the job that he wasn't good at. They did not do that. And then once he was gone, it's been almost two years and nothing has changed. And I bet even he watches and it's like, ah, ha, ha, see, you guys were, you're saying I'm the problem. Look, look, you know, is it any better without me? And I, I hate to admit it, but yeah, Bill, it's not. So, well, I'm just, well, I'm just wondering what, what exactly, like if Danielle doesn't do anything with the software, if she's not responding to customer service emails, what what does she do? I, I've asked that before too. I used to ask that of Bill. I because he would uh, he wouldn't answer anybody. He if, or if he just begin to answer you and then it isn't resolved immediately, he just would block you or, or ignore you. Or he made he actually made his Twitter private for a while, which is hilarious. Uh, it was just he wouldn't interact with anybody. It just seemed like he did no leadership. And since he wasn't actually managing the software since it's third party i used to ask what is he doing 40 hours a week I, I was really curious i wasn't saying that to insult him i was really wondering like what does the guy really do 40 hours a week and well, i i wonder well, the same thing here with danielle and yeah i know there's things that go on behind the scenes that uh have to be done that the average customer wouldn't really know about even i if i took some time to think about it probably couldn't come up with everything that she has to do there but yes there's uh there definitely is a big question of why why is the customer service so badly? What is Danielle doing as the leader of the site? And why are matters like these? Like you said, you're, you were one of the most active customers on there. And the truth is the best customers should get the best treatment at, at any business. You, you, that doesn't mean you treat the regular customers like garbage, but it does mean that as a private business, what you should want to do is make sure that you don't lose your best customers and that you give them extra special treatment. You give them better treatment. And and that's always been true across uh, all industries. Look at uh, like airlines where you earn airline miles and you, you get to fly first class for free after you fly enough times. And the, the average person doesn't just get to walk up and fly first class for free. The, the best customers who earn a lot of miles do. So this has been across so many industries that the most loyal customers should get the best treatment. And they, if there's something goes wrong, they should definitely be tended to quickly. And they don't do this here. And I don't understand why management does not solve things like this. And then they also let it turn into a public embarrassment when people who are frustrated with how they've been treated come forward on social media and then people start uh, raising these issues, and it makes WSOP.com look like a crappy place to play. I have to imagine my listeners are not going to be uh, wanting to sign up there after hearing this story, and I wouldn't blame them. Yeah, I would never recommend WSOP.com to anybody. I mean, uh, the, the games are good sometimes. Um, during the series, they're, they're, I mean, the games are, are, are pretty solid, but, I mean, there's plenty other places to play. The games are solid everywhere. I mean... It's not – I mean, if, if I wasn't currently – and I, I'm still in the lead for player of the year by a decent margin, but the gap's closed. Um, I mean, man, I, if I wasn't player of the year, I, I wouldn't have played today. I wouldn't have played yesterday. I'd only be playing the bracelet events coming up in a month. And even then, I mean, I wouldn't play all of them. I'd play some of them. But now I'm in the situation where it's like – okay, like my friends and family outside of poker know I'm going for this goal. And it's one thing where like, I mean, if you win WSP Online Player of the Year, it's something where I can, you know, it, it almost validates 
me being a professional poker player. You know what I mean? So for that reason, I'm still going to go for it. I'm still going to play every day. But man, I, I really cannot cannot recommend not giving them business enough. I mean, they they don't deserve the business. I mean, they don't deserve to be the gold standard if this is how they're treating people. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I was looking at their page. I, I didn't know that much about Player of the Year, as you could tell, because I, I stupidly said that it's about cash games and not tournaments. But uh, I did look at their page, and it does show you your screen name is uh, Brock Lesnar, and it does show you currently number one. But there is a guy catching up quickly. This Pollux person is uh, – you have 31,900 points or so, and that person is 29 and change, so they're getting there. The, the third-place person is a little bit behind. They have 25-something. But, yeah, if, you, if you're out of action – then you could easily be caught up on. And, and of course, if this Pollux just earns more points than you, he could, who knows, he could finish slightly ahead of you in these 10 days you were out could uh, screw you. But it's, it does say that the 2021 player of the year will get a cash prize of 10K, uh, $1,500 online tournament tickets. I don't know how many you get, but it's a ticket, so I assume more than one. And then it says you get this uh, exclusive WSOP.com player of the year ring. So it's it's a title for people wondering why you want it. Well, it's kind of the same reason people want to win a World Series bracelet or anything else. It, it's a title that one would get, and he even gets a ring to commemorate, commemorate it. And if... Uh, um, if you say, "Oh, you know, why would you want that?" You could ask someone, "Why do you want to win a bracelet?" You know, it's it's uh, it's one of these things. It's it's a title you get for something you've accomplished in poker, and someone who's a professional poker player uh, would like to have these titles. And as someone with a bracelet, I understand that. So th- th- I can see why this was frustrating to him. And if you guys who are listening are saying to yourselves, "You know what? I bet that Mike is not telling us the whole story. I bet Mike." has actually done things to justify this treatment and he just isn't telling you. And I would ask you back, then why is he allowed on WSB.com? You can go to this page, this 2021 player of the year page on WSB.com. You'll see him right there at the top. He's still there. He's in good standing. So obviously he couldn't have done anything that wrong or wrong at all. If he is still on the site. He's, they restored him. He's in good standing. So this should turn back the clock and erase all consequences of anything they did here, which was way overblown. I still don't get why they banned him. I still don't get why you were banned because they don't have to ban you. The federal government does not say you have to ban anyone you think might be structuring. No, you, you, you were supposed to look into it. You're, if you are, have made the conclusion that person's structuring, you can ban them. But there's also... Other ways they could have handled this, even if they didn't want you on property while they were figuring this out, they didn't need to have security escort you out and have the Caesars Rewards Manager uh, call security to come over and get rid of you so she doesn't have to deal with you. They could have said, we're currently investigating you for structuring. You need to send your tax returns over to WSB.com. In the meantime, we'd like to ask that you don't come on our property while we're figuring this out. So can you please leave and uh, deal with them and then have WSB.com inform us when this is, uh, when this is settled, but you know, please stay away from the property in the meantime, because uh, we're, we're, we don't want you here in the meantime, while this is being investigated. Like they could have said, that. I, I bet you would have stayed away. Been, I, I, don't, I don't mean to interrupt, but I, I would have been okay with them. If they, from the get go, sent me the email and said, listen, your account's going to be suspended until you send us this tax return, these these tax returns from the last two years. Uh, you Please don't come on property, et cetera, et cetera. Like you just said, I would have been totally okay with that if it was a reasonable amount of time. I mean, this was 
I mean, it took 10 days from the time I was banned to being unbanned from the website. And I just don't understand, like, if they have someone on top of it, just check the thing. I mean, I just, I just don't, I don't understand how that wouldn't be like, it's, it's just a PR and you would think it'd be a PR nightmare for them to have something like this get out. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not getting a crazy amount of coverage with it, but I mean, it's not a good look for WSOP.com. Yeah, it's not, and it's it doesn't make any sense. The player of the year, the guy number one in player of the year points right now with five months in the books, that they are treating this way, and they were really treating him like he was guilty before they even investigated, and then they investigate and find he's not guilty, let him back on, and he's still banned from Caesars Properties. I mean, is that, is that incompetence or what? I cannot explain this in any way except incompetence. If anybody from Caesars is listening to this, you're welcome to uh, contact me and give your side of the story, or if you can't do it because of uh, privacy issues, you're welcome to answer his social media posts, obviously, or, or even tell him directly uh, and, and yeah, explain I- I would love to be contacted from anyone from Caesars is more than welcome to contact me. And if you'd like, I can send you um, and you can publish them all of the emails that I uh, that I went back and forth with Caesars and Danielle. I mean, I, I, I'm very transparent about what happened. I mean, it's it's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, it's one thing is too bad. He got a lot of flack, and some of it was justified. But Seth Polanski, one thing I'll say for him, he's not with Caesars anymore, but he had some connection to WSB.com. And one thing he did care about was when there would be negative social media campaigns about either the WSOP or WSB.com. So I actually could contact him and say, hey, there's this situation going on. And he would actually tell me, like, he would give an explanation. Sometimes he'd solve it, and sometimes he'd say, no, the person's not telling you the whole thing. Here's the story. I didn't always agree with his conclusions, but I always got at least communication from what was going on, even things that weren't necessarily my business, and then I would go present it to the audience and on the forum so people could understand. So, like, believe it or not, if he were still there, I would actually bring this to his attention, and there's a decent chance that he could actually get this solved, because I really think this is just a matter of reaching the right person. And that's what I would advise you to do at this point, is find someone at Caesars, maybe the casino manager call up during the day, Monday through Friday. Not this Monday, because it's Memorial Day this year. This week would be Tuesday, sure. but a non-holiday weekday between 9 and 5 p.m. and try to find the casino manager or someone who works directly under the casino manager and just very calmly explain, which, you know, you've been very calm during this phone call. Just explain the same way you've explained to me. Just uh, say, hey, there, there was a issue with my cash outs on WCB.com. They wrongly suspected me of structuring. I sent them my tax returns. They investigated it and they cleared me and they let me back on. In the meantime, I was banned from Caesars and somehow, even though I've been unbanned from WCB.com and the matter's been cleared, somehow you guys haven't gotten the message and I'm still banned. Can someone please look into this? Can you please contact WSOP.com and verify that I am cleared and then undo this ban, please. And uh, you might be able to get someone helping you, provided you reach someone there that is willing to help. But I would go for like someone who works under the, ma- the casino manager or the casino manager himself at Caesars Palace during the day. It may, it, now, it's not super easy to do this. They're going to give you a lot of run around on the phone. And I would call well, yeah, that's That's the thing is I, I tried what you're saying the first four days before I'd actually received. I mean, I called every department I could think of. I called every number online. I mean, I, I, I called security. I mean, I, I it's it's you, you talk to somebody under them and they say to leave a message or write a handwritten letter. I mean, I wrote handwritten letters to multiple people there, the head of security, um, the head of other divisions, and I received no phone calls. I mean, I, I just have gotten 
no communication back from anyone yeah. regarding the uh, the ban. And it's it's impo- it's like pulling teeth to talk to a, a manager there. there. There's the line that they gave me eventually where I thought, wow, I'm, I finally got it. It's a 702 local number. I, you call it, it rings for 15 minutes straight, and then it just hangs up. And I called it, <laughs> I don't know, a number of times, and it just nobody ever answers. Yeah. Have you tried with the operator and just telling them it's impossible to reach somebody? Can they please get you somebody in casino management and just very briefly tell them it was a ma- I got banned over a matter of WCP.com. It was it was a false accusation. They cleared me. They let me back on. I've been banned from the property in the meantime, and, and I just can't reach anybody. Who can I – can you get me to somebody who is currently working right now that could help me uh, – get across to them that this has been cleared and allow someone who could call WCB.com or within the company and, and verify this and unban me. Something like telling uh, like if a sympathetic operator may be able to call around and find someone for you working during those hours, because that's really all you need is just some person to speak to. I have a, like security is not going to help security. They just, they've just been given orders to keep you off property because of structuring. So they, they're not going to give a crap if you make excuses about why you weren't structuring. They're not even going to read it. The, of course. The, so the, the, whoever's going to care is going to be someone who – some casino manager type who would be willing to call up WSB.com or email WSB.com and say, hey, is this guy okay? Oh, he is? Okay, we'll unban him. Like that's, and, and that sounds simple, but I know it's very hard with Caesars. So you just got to get someone who's going to give a crap, and the way you do this is actually get them live on the phone. I don't think writing letters or leaving messages is going to do it. I know you've tried to get them on the phone. I'm not – criticizing me at all here and i've been through sure. this myself trying to reach people there and run into the same crap but i i'm saying that i think that's your best bet and that's what i told this person who was having the issue with the seven stars trips you've just got to get someone who cares and the guy finally did and that's a different type of matter but that's how he got it solved was he got someone a human being to listen to him and go yeah the, you're getting screwed here this doesn't make any sense and they they fixed it so that's what you need i, I think what i'm going to do is I, I have a buddy of mine i'm going to have him go into Caesars and see if he can actually get someone face-to-face and explain the situation and then call me on the phone. Maybe I can speak to them directly through that. And then um, I've also got another buddy who has a host friend who she actually, she was the one who checked up on it. She was the first person I got an update from. She said she had never seen what my account said. It said regulatory concerns, which obviously I found out later was the the structure of you. So I'm going to actually have him talk to the host and see if she can get a number for me to contact. And I'll also have my buddy go in there and see if he can see someone face to face, but hopefully it doesn't come to that. Hopefully Danielle, uh, has talked to the right departments and, uh, see, I don't think, and, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. Like I, I hope for you, it does. I really hope you get this yeah. resolved because you deserve it and you didn't do anything wrong here. And this is, they, they've handled this extremely poorly, but, uh, I have a feeling that they just want to wash their hands of it. They they've unbanned you, as far as they're concerned. Okay, we we, we unbanned him. He can play again. If if Caesar's yeah. just still banning him, that's not our problem, which which it is. But they don't see it that way, which exactly. is crazy. And so, there's there's really not much recourse other than just just getting the word out of what happened. I mean, there's no one. Not, you know, I can't call her boss, or I can't. You know, what I mean, there's no there's not anyone I can talk to and be like, wow, man, like. This WSP.com, I mean, it seems like it's ran poorly. And then I also wanted to mention it. It does seem like when you call WSP.com support, it seems like all of them are trained to just basically deflect as hard as possible. And they just tell you their managers are busy or their supervisors are busy, et cetera, et cetera. And they can't give you any information on anything. And this, this isn't even about the ban. But before this, I mean, I've had other issues where – uh, you know, they had a 25K circuit free roll where 
if you placed them at top, uh, you would get uh, entered in. It was like 14 of us got to play for 25000 That happens every month. And uh, th- it got canceled because they made the maximum amount of, or the minimum amount of players more than the amount of people that were entered. So it just didn't run. <laughs> And so I, I tried talking them for like a week to try to get them to give us the money. And I mean, it was, I mean, just no one answered for oh, a week yeah, and yeah. Then eventually they yeah. emailed everybody. Right. The, the the phone support has always been totally useless. They tend to just tell you to email somebody else and they, I've called them and I just gave up. Like, I don't even know why they have it. Just to make people feel good that there's a phone support or something, or maybe they're okay with helping people with making deposits, but that's about it. Like there really isn't much use for that phone support because they're not empowered to do anything from what I have seen in my interactions with them. I, I once had a hilarious, I mean, it wasn't that funny at the time, but thinking back, it's hilarious, where uh, their phone support, I was trying to get my limits increased for depositing because I, I play higher stakes. And uh, they referred me to some third-party company that has to verify me to get higher limits, which is fine. So the third-party company called me up and then they said, uh, they give me these que- the identity questions and they said, I know this isn't WSB.com, but this is just so fitting. Sure. They said, where were you living in July 1971? And I said, I wasn't born in July 1971. I was born in 1972. <laughs> well, you need to answer the question. Was it A, B, C, or D? I go, Again, I, I, I wasn't living in any of these. I couldn't be living. I, I didn't exist. And they, they, they kept asking me. They said, I have to answer the question. Where was I living in July of 1971? And so finally, I, th- I thought, okay, well, I'm going to have to just answer where I was living in 1972. So I did, and I got it right. But uh, in saying that, like, they, they saw my birth date there. My birth date was one of the questions. I had to send them an ID. So they see my birth date in 72, and I have this person on the phone telling me I have to answer where I lived in 1971. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is so indicative of what this site is like. I mean, yes, it was a third-party company asking me, but... So many stupid things happened over time that this third-party company fit right in with them that I have to answer where I was living before I was born in order to get my limits raised. Like it was an insane conversation. <laughs> so yeah, my, my degree is in in uh, customer service, or it's in hotel, motel, restaurant management. But I mean, yeah, I, any place that I've that I've worked at as a manager, if my employees <laughs> acted like this, it would be a uh, a stain on my record for not training them correctly, and then. Number two, I just couldn't imagine. I just could never imagine like like having anybody treat their best customers like that. It makes no sense to me. I agree with you. I wasn't sure before we began this segment. I, w- I wasn't sure if uh, when I heard all the details, if I was going to be as much on your side as I was before the call. But I'm actually going to say I'm more on your side than before the call. This is insane what's going on here. And they've uh, they've really screwed up big time. And the fact that you're actually the points leader I see right in front of my face Oh, there's one other thing I want to tell you. Uh, have you tried with Ty Stewart yet? Because he's technically above Danielle, and, and he might give a crap if, if uh, the points leader is being treated this way at the moment. No, I have no idea who that even is. Okay, Ty Stewart, if you look at him on Twitter, I don't know if he's uh, – if you Google Ty Stewart, WSOP Twitter, you'll, you'll find his Twitter. You can tweet at him and say, I need some help here, and just uh, you know, can, you, can you DM me? Uh, I'm, I'm the points I'm – the, I'm the current – 2021 player of the year and something really crazy is going on with WSOB.com and then briefly explain it to him. He's above Danielle and he's, he's the head of the whole WSOP basically. And he, he doesn't really handle day to day stuff very much, but I think because you're the current player of the year, this is why he will care about it. If you were just some 
average person on the site, he probably wouldn't. But since you're the current player of the year, this would be embarrassing if uh, the story got legs and started being covered pretty heavily. So I, I would do that. You also, uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll try to get poker news and some other outlets attention about this see if they have an so chad holloway and i've emailed back and forth about it okay Um, so you've done that already he's he's aware of the situation um but i mean i i I think they were they were considering writing an article but i guess they're not going to i don't know if i just didn't explain it correctly or if they just don't think it's a big of a deal as it is but yeah, I had emailed Chad Holloway, but yeah, you're more than welcome to talk to Poker News and see if they'll want to write something or yeah, I or can cover see it in some I can way. see what Chad will. Do. Chad is a good guy, and he is not uh, a shill. Like he he will uh, he'll try to cover things that are noteworthy stories about bad things happening in poker, and I, I have a lot of respect for that. And I've he's not like a good friend or anything, but I've gotten along with him well over the years. So uh, I I can message him and ask him if they're planning on covering this, and then I'll tell him, in my opinion, I think this is pretty outrageous, especially with you being the the points leader and with this going on. It just just makes no sense to me, and I I have no reason to doubt your story. You know, I I can't verify anything you're telling me, but uh, except the fact that you're currently on the leaderboard, I can see that, but I have no reason to doubt anything. I I think this is all the truth, and I think this is just typical Caesar's fail. Yeah, I mean, I have no reason to uh, to, to uh, shit where I eat, for lack of a better term, other than, you know, I mean, this is a, this is a site I play on every day. I've never had a bad thing to say about WSOP before this. I mean, I just, I can't even believe this happened. Like, it's so crazy. I thought I was going to be banned for life. I thought, I thought I'm going to be banned for all Caesar's property for life for no reason. I don't know what's going on. I mean, for the four days, I, I couldn't even think of a possible reason they would ban me, like, I mean, I was going over the most far-fetched things. I mean, yeah, yeah, the whole situation's crazy, man. I mean, yeah, no, I understand. And and you know, when it comes to things with Caesar and WSOP, like a lot of people like to bash them, and I've always been one who tries to think independently. I don't just jump to bashing them. I will always look at it and I will cover it fairly. And there's been times where the public is bashing Caesars really hard or WSOP really hard, and I say, no, they don't deserve it. They're they're in the right here, or they're probably in the right here, and the the community's being too hard on them. But this is not one of them. This is a big screw up on their part and it's it's only affecting one person but it's it's a big screw up so yeah i think it's pretty cut and dry i mean if if they have some sort of rebuttal to the story i would be pretty shocked to hear it. i mean i i think they know how in the wrong they were i think they just want to wash their hands of it and i think yeah i mean it's a common thing where people want to pass it from department to department and, and just they don't want to deal with it in, in all industries not just you know wsop or, or poker in general but yeah, I just I, I would have thought they would have handled it better, and I feel like they don't give a crap about me at all. And that's, that's what it looks surprising like. to me. If I had to guess this here, because I don't think people are doing this because they're evil or trying to fuck with you or trying to upset you. I th- I think that, uh, or even that they don't like you. I think it's just that there is probably some degree of effort required for them to track down the right person at Caesars and get you unbanned. And they just don't feel like it. They kind of feel like, okay, we've done what we need to do. We've put him back on our site. He can play again. We 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 did what we had to do to check out on the check out the structuring. It satisfied us. Okay, um, he's still banned at Caesars. Okay, it's kind of sucks for him, but he he can go deal with it. It's not our area. Like that's that's what they're thinking. We're busy enough. We don't want to deal with it. But but they caused the problem. This was a, a this was a result of their own actions. And now you're suffering a pretty bad side effect. So they need to fix that side effect. They can't just say tough luck and uh, you, you solve it yourself, especially given how hard it is with Caesars to reach the right person. So I wish you luck in this and I'm going to – I will help uh, publicize this a bit more 
and and hopefully you can get this whole thing solved and uh hopefully i'll be able to report to the audience in the coming weeks that you're unbanned at caesars again yeah thank you and i appreciate you uh for having me on man i appreciate your time thank yeah, you thank you for coming on good night ain't no problem have a good one what a story this is a, this is the number one points leader on the freaking site i actually had the thing sitting up on my browser the 2021 player of the year page you can find it from the thread by the way this this player of the year page you can find it from the thread i made about this in the poker community discussion forum and i i link it uh, near the end of my first post the one that says wins various prizes there's a link click on it and you'll see he's currently the player of the year brock lesnar which is his screen name there that's not his real name of course but uh, he's uh it's really mike holtz but th- that's him so he's in good standing. He's there and he's banned. Oh, my goodness. This just kind of gets me pissed off to hear about, it, even though it doesn't affect me. Okay, so uh, we're going to move on here. Chris Moneymaker, let's talk about him again. There was some fail on ACR over the weekend. They They really have a problem with this, where they have a lot of crashes and freezes and other issues, uh, DDoS attacks. They They have a lot of technical problems with their site. And they have for quite some time. And no other site has problems like this. I've never seen any before or since that are major or semi-major online poker sites that have so many technical problems. And I can't tell you exactly why, because I haven't seen their platform. I haven't seen their software. I'm never going to see that stuff. But I can just tell you that they are having problems that other sites don't have. Bovada does not have these type of issues with this frequency. Poker Stars doesn't. Party Poker doesn't. None of them really do or even did. You go back 15 years, sites in those days did not have these type of problems on a regular basis. Sure, there would be sometimes some technical fail. I've experienced that on every site I've played on at some point, and that's inevitable. But ACR gets this a lot, and that's one of their bigger weaknesses. The DDoS is, yeah, it's a malicious attack against them, but you also have to account for that. They're not the only ones who are dealing with DDoS attacks that come at them. It's a matter of uh, being able to prevent those from taking down your system. You have to have the system built in such a way that can withstand these attacks and can deny these requests that would prevent the system from getting bogged down, and they're not doing that correctly either. Like, I don't think that uh, whoever's doing these DDoS attacks is only choosing ACR. I, I have to imagine, like, PokerStars must have been pounded with these over the years. And it only seems like ACR is tremendously vulnerable to them. Now, I don't know why they had the technical issues in this last incident that occurred this past weekend, but they definitely had issues. So on May 24th, they tweeted on their official America's Card Room account at ACR underscore poker. Unfortunately, we, we were forced to cancel certain events due to technical issues. Refunds on canceled tourneys are currently being processed. Please allow 24 to 72 hours for all refunds to be credited as per our TNCs. We apologize and strive to do better in the future. Well, okay, but you've been striving to do better for years now, and it's, it's the same thing. Like how many times have we talked about ACR fail on here? They're not doing this on purpose. This is not sinister on their part. It's just incompetence in some way. I don't know if it's the way the whole thing was built or or who they have working for them on their tech side, but whatever it is, this is happening over and over again. 
On May 25th, they tweeted out a new update. Important notice. New update. Our downtime is taking longer than expected, and we sincerely apologize for the inconvenience. Also note, we have rescheduled day two of our PCOS multi-flight events that were postponed yesterday. Day two is now on Tuesday, June 1st at 105 Eastern, 105 p.m. Eastern. Day three will be on Wednesday, June 2nd at 305 p.m. Eastern. Once again, we apologize for the inconvenience. So that's pretty amazing that they had these events going on, this PCOS series, whatever that is, and that they actually had to reschedule day two to over a week away on June 1st and June 2nd. So people had to wait a week to, to play day two of something they already played day one, which is not the end of the world, but it shows you how bad these problems were. They're saying, hey, we, we can't even be sure our system's going to be stable for the next week. So, yeah, everything that we had scheduled, uh, that like day two of an important tournament series, that's going to have to be postponed for a week. Crazy. So uh, people are getting fed up with this. Again, this is not malicious. They obviously wish it wasn't happening. They're trying. It just whatever they're doing is not working. So this is nowhere near as bad as a site that's scamming people or slow playing people or, or super using or anything else like that. But uh, this is still annoying as you know for the players who play on ACR to have this happen over and over and over again, and they just can't get it stopped. So people are predictably getting upset. But that's not the main thing I wanted to talk about. That's kind of the springboard to the topic that I'm going to talk about that came from this. This has to do with Chris Moneymaker again. Now, Chris Moneymaker recently signed as an ACR rep. He repped poker stars for years and years and years, and then they did not renew with him is what happened. They didn't fire him, but they didn't renew. I don't know the reasons, uh, but I assume, I don't know this for a fact, but I assume they probably didn't think his value to them from a marketing standpoint was worth what they were paying him. So they decided that they're not going to pay him anywhere near as much. They probably gave him a lowball offer and he probably realized he could do better elsewhere, which was true. And he didn't take it and that was that. I think he even said when he departed that he did have an offer and uh, he didn't say a lowball offer or that they cut his pay or anything like that. He just said he chose not to accept it from what I remember. Anyway, it was an amicable parting. They, uh, they, 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 it wasn't bitter, but at the same time, I knew that Chris was going to want to look to catch on somewhere else. At the time, he was saying, oh, I, do want, I don't want to do all the traveling involved, which that was probably somewhat true, too. Uh, Chris is getting older. I think he probably is sick of all the traveling and meet and greets and everything else he has to do. He probably was preferring to stay at home and do kind of more promotion that he could do without leaving his house. But I have to imagine that wasn't all of it. But whatever. I, I knew he wasn't going to go back and take a job as an accountant again. I knew that he'd probably want to catch on with some other site, and it made sense because he's still very marketable. He's not as marketable to a site like PokerStars, which isn't U.S.-based, but U.S. players still know and recognize him very much. I mean, international players do too. Pretty much everybody in poker knows who Chris Moneymaker is. But U.S. players, they know him very well. And as Eric said earlier on the show, he's very likable. He's a genuinely nice guy. He is very humble. 
He never developed an ego, even at the height of his fame. He doesn't walk around at tournaments acting like he's better than everybody. He's the opposite of that. He's just like a regular guy. You meet him, he's going to come off like a, like a regular dude. And people like that. It's, it's a good look for poker. And he doesn't get in scandals. He doesn't uh, scam. He doesn't behave badly at the tables. In fact, it's the opposite. So he's a good ambassador for poker, very good ambassador for poker. And he really is a lot of the reason poker became as big as it did. So even all these years later, after his 03 World Series win, he's still very marketable to any site that is U.S. facing. So he knew he'd probably catch on somewhere, and ACR decided to pick him up, which I thought was a pretty smart pickup on their po- on their part. I don't know what they're paying him. I have to imagine they're paying him uh, good money, probably not what he was making with PokerStars, but they're probably paying him good money. And I assumed when they signed him that his purpose there was going to be similar to PokerStars minus the participation in live events, that they were going to promote him and have him tweet out about playing on ACR and they're going to use this picture everywhere and they'll have promotions built around him and probably online tournaments where you can play with him and things like that. I I figured that was going to be what his role was, just kind of the main face of ACR. What I didn't expect was that he would get involved in any kind of customer service type matters. I didn't expect that he would handle unsatisfied customers, that he would uh, discuss things like downtime. Because he didn't do this with poker stars. This was never his role with poker stars. And I'm not saying it should have been. Your role with a poker site is what they want it to be. When they're paying you at a poker site, they're paying you to do what they ask. You don't choose what you do. You don't choose what you tweet about them. You basically hold the company line and if you don't like the company line then and you don't like what they want you to do or not do then you quit but i assume poker stars never asked him to take this role they just wanted him to be one of the faces of poker stars which i felt that he did well all those years but that really was his role but we're seeing something a bit different on acr that kind of surprised me and i had never seen chris in this type of role so i wasn't sure how it was going to go but we're going to discuss how it did so a guy who's on Twitter as Tapout527, Coach Jurens, I don't know who he is, just probably a regular player on ACR, tweeted out, at Chris Moneymaker and then a few other people, I totally get that issues happen, but can anyone let the players know why this decision was made? That is delaying the tournament for a week. A tournament that was supposed to end yesterday most likely is now going to be on hold with a ton of money sitting there for a full week? So that was a good question. I have to assume this... Coach J. Renz probably is in that tournament and made day two. That's probably why he's upset, and understandably so. So Chris Moneymaker responded. He quoted the tweet, and he responded saying, I will be answering questions on Twitter and or Twitch later today. I will send out notification when I am on. Wow. So he will be answering questions. Now, Chris Moneymaker, he's not running the technical side of ACR, nor does he have this sort of expertise. He was an accountant prior to winning the WSOP in 2003. So it's not like he's going to be able to answer from the technical side here. But, wow, he's taking on almost like a a public-facing managerial role, which I had not seen before. So then he tweeted 
about an hour later, the morning of May 25th. So we listened and tried to make as many happy as possible out of a shitty situation. All day two events will be canceled and, and players paid out via chip chop. All remaining players will also get a free buy-in to an event equal to the canceled event. So remember, look what he said there. He said, so we listened. Not so ACR listened and here's their decision and I'm reporting it. So we listened, like almost like he was part of the decision. I don't know if he really was, but he's kind of implying that there. So we listened. We meaning him and the rest of ACR management. And we're trying to make people happy out of a bad situation. And so we're not going to run this in a week. We're just going to cancel it. And we're going to pay you out uh, probably according to ICM or some other formula like that. He said uh, via chip chop. I'm not sure what that means, but probably something like ICM. And uh, that everybody will also get a free buy-in to the event that uh, is of the same size buy-in as the one that got canceled. That is, if you hadn't busted yet. He's basically, he said all remaining players. I mean, if you busted prior to all the fail, you're not getting anything because it didn't affect you, which is reasonable. But anyone still in who didn't get to play their day two and instead of going to get this, uh, this payout according to their chip stack, they're also going to get a free buy-in. So, okay. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good resolution. I think that's fine. Well, somebody responded back and was not happy. Patrick Curran, I don't know him, but he's at at Patrick What Up at Patrick What Up is his uh, Twitter screen name. Uh, he wrote, "A free buy-in? Come on, bro, pay it out in cash. This is the only 630 buy-in event I've ever played on ACR, and I have no plans to play another 630. That ticket does me no good. Same with the 215. I'm in both. Don't really feel like playing poker on your site anytime soon." So I don't think that's a reasonable complaint here because he doesn't have to invest another 630. He gets to play it for free. So he may not have wanted to play another 630, but now he's got a free ticket to play one. So do it. I mean, it's not like you even have to give ACR more money. Basically, this guy is still in the event, presumably. They paid him according to his chip stack. And then they also gave him a free tournament for $630 and uh, I think also a 215, I'm not sure how he got that, but whatever, uh, they gave him these two tickets and said, here it is. This is additional compensation you're getting. So uh, go ahead. And he, this guy is saying, no, you should give us this in cash too. No, they shouldn't. I mean, this is something extra they're giving you. So what did Chris say? Did Chris say, hey, you're being kind of an ingrate? Did he say this is unreasonable? Did he say, hey, look, this is a free ticket on top of what you're already getting paid according to your chip stack. Uh, what are you complaining about here? You don't have to invest any money. You may not have wanted to play another 630, but now you can play one for free. So what's the problem? No, 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 no. He didn't argue with a guy. A lot of people who are public-facing representatives for poker sites would respond that way. A lot of them get very arrogant and argumentative and confrontational No, 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 no. That's not Chris, though. Remember, Chris is a very mellow, easygoing guy. So instead of saying that this guy is wrong, instead of saying that this guy is being unreasonable, instead of justifying why it's okay that they're giving tournament tickets instead of uh, giving cash for those tickets on top of what they already did, he just very simply said, I will buy them from you. I thought that was a great answer. He will buy them. Now, maybe ACR is going to actually pay for him to buy them. But that just shut it down right there. 
The guy's like, what? Come on, tournament tickets? Where's the cash, man? Where's the cash? Okay, you want the cash? Sure. Sell them to me. <laughs> Done. He can have his cash. <laughs> now, I don't know what would happen if a bunch of others wanted the tickets also turned into cash, but he offered this particular guy to buy them from him. Shut it down right there. No argument, no telling the guy he's wrong, just I'll buy them from you. So he got 68 likes on that one, and that pretty much ended that whole problem. A guy named Adam Westell, who apparently played some smaller tournaments, said, what about the 109 and $33, uh, 140 event that I haven't seen back in this account? What is the time frame for the reimbursement? I don't quite know what he's asking, but something like he got uh, some smaller tournaments that he didn't get reimbursed for that crashed. And Chris said, 72 hours, if not by then, hit up support or message me. They should hire this guy for WCB.com. They should hire Chris to work over there. That's what they need over there at WCB.com. Someone who takes responsibility and says, here, go through the normal support channels, and if it fails, message me. I'll take care of it. That's what they need there. That's what they really need there. That's what Danielle Burreal should be doing on WCB.com or hiring somebody who will. So Chris is saying, I will take responsibility. I'll handle it for you if they don't. Is this good or what? I mean, this is a great job he's doing there. I'm not just saying this because he's Eric's client. I, I said this before he had signed with Eric. I posted this on May 26th. Now, I don't know if he had signed with Eric by May 26th, but I was not made aware that he had signed with Eric on May 26th. So if he had, I didn't even know about it. So when I was posting these things, it had nothing to do with his PayPal thing or Eric being his attorney. I was really impressed by this. And if you go look at the exchange, I made a thread about this in the poker community discussion forum of PokerFraudAlert.com called ACR Tech Disaster on Big Sunday Tournament Moneymaker Trying to Do Damage Control. But that kind of sells Moneymaker short because he didn't just try to do damage control. He did a very good job of it. This was very impressive. And this is really his first crack at this. I mean, he handled this like a pro, but this is really his first crack at calming down angry customers. This was never his role before at PokerStars. Now he's at ACR doing this and he's doing exactly what he should be doing. This is exactly what I'd be doing it if I were there. Though, to be honest, I don't think I would have said I will buy them for you. I will buy them from you regarding those tournament tickets. I may have liked to have said that. It would have made me look good, but, you know, if I didn't really need the tournament tickets, I'm not sure if I would have offered to buy the tournament tickets. Money means something to me. And even to solve this guy's problem, I'm not sure if I would have wanted to buy his tournament tickets that really he didn't deserve to have turned into cash. I'm talking about the guy complaining. So I'm not sure if I would have offered that. But Chris did. Class act there. I go, look, you're going to agree when you look at how he's been handling this. He's done a A-plus job. Good signing by ACR. Chris fitting into this new role very well. And while I predict ACR will continue to have technical fail going forward, at least now you have somebody who will care about it and listen to you and try to help you. So really, if you have problems there, I don't mean just regular customer service issues. You should deal that with support there. Don't bother Chris. But if you run into some kind of like really frustrating thing that you just can't solve with ACR, uh, yet tweet at Chris Moneymaker, which is at C Moneymaker, at C Moneymaker and I can't guarantee he'll respond, but from what I'm seeing here, he seems to be doing it. 
So it's like kind of like players have an advocate now at ACR with some power. Well, who knew? Now, separately, but related, Faraz Jaka, I think that's how you say his name, F-A-R-A-Z, last name J-A-K-A. He is a traveling tournament pro. He is somebody who brags about having no home. It may remind you of Ari Engel, who is similar in that way. He also has no permanent home, last I heard, and just travels the tournament scene. I could never live that lifestyle, by the way. Like, I don't know how these guys do it. I know everybody's different, but I could never do this. So hats off to Ari and Faraz here for being able to handle this. Amazingly, he actually says that he now has a wife and baby, and he's still doing it. He actually tweeted back in March, many ask how I managed to stay on the road playing poker tournaments for 15 of my last 13 or 13 of my last 15 years without a permanent home, without going insane. Well, now I'm doing it with my wife and baby as well, and I'm vlogging my trips. Check out my latest trip and poker tour, and he was promoting his channel. So that's pretty amazing. He's bringing his wife and baby along. That doesn't seem very healthy to me, to be honest. Like, I would never want to subject Benjamin to that and just take him from hotel to hotel to hotel, even as a little baby. Like, once his kid gets older and is going to be in school, he's going to be stuck. He won't be able to do this anymore. Or if he does, the wife has to stay home. But even with a baby, I don't think that's the best thing to be doing. But whatever. It's his kid. It's his choice. Anyway, that's not what this is really about. I always notice his name, Faraz Jaka. It, it just reminds me of this. Frère Jaka, Frère Jaka. I can't read Farage Jaka without thinking Farage Jaka. <laughs> it's the same. It's pretty much the same thing. I, I don't think he's French, though. Faraz Jaka. I think it's just a coincidence. It's so similar. Anyway, I don't really know him. I know of him. I know he's a successful tournament pro. I know he made the uh, main event uh, final table at some point. But he injected himself into this ACR discussion, not about Chris Moneymaker or anything like that, but about the technical fail they're having and he was defending them. And I don't quite understand it because he's not an ACR pro. I don't really understand why he's putting so much effort into bat going to bat for them. It's possible that maybe he has a friend who works in their tech department or maybe uh, he's friends with the owner or maybe there's some relationship I don't know about here that's bringing him to do this, but it's kind of a weird hill for him to climb up on. And I wouldn't say die on, but definitely fight on. So this is what he says. Every poker player has an opinion on how dumb poker sites decisions are and how bad they are at building software. Yet none have done it themselves. It's way more challenging than you think for reasons you just won't be able to comprehend not having been through the trenches yourself. It might be too much detail to type, probably better for a podcast, but I can talk about the subject at length so as to why they might have the issues they have if you have any questions, feel free to ask. So this already sounds like a defense. Like he's saying, hey, you guys love trashing ACR for crashing so often, but you have no idea how hard it is. You cannot criticize them until you have walked a mile in their software developmental skills, into their system engineering skills. Until you do that, until you show up there and see this and understand it, or at least develop poker software for another site. 
you have no right to comment, which is stupid. It's stupid. You don't have to have perfect understanding of the way something is developed to have commentary on whether it works or not. I'm sure many of you have bought products before that have sucked, and you've said, hey, this thing's a piece of crap. Now, if asked to explain how they produce this product, you probably couldn't. But you still are allowed to have an opinion on whether the product is crap or not. And same with a service. You can bring your car in for service, and they could do a terrible job, and uh, they could break things, or they could not solve the problem. And while you would not have the ability to go fix the problem yourself, and that's why you brought it in in the first place, you can still judge that they did a crappy job fixing your car. So with a product or service that is not good, you have a right to be critical if you're a customer, even if you do not understand all the complexities with providing that product or service. Now, with that said, as someone who used to work in the software industry, as someone who was a software engineer, as someone who did deal with complaints from customers of why can't you fix this faster or why can't this feature be in here? And it's annoying to hear this because some people who aren't very technical just think you snap your fingers and you can get something done. And what can especially be annoying is you have people that assume that things that seem simple are simple to accomplish, and that's not always true. In software and also with uh, systems engineering, some things which seem very easy are actually quite difficult, and some things which seem difficult are actually not that hard. So it's not always straightforward and obvious how hard something is, and even someone who is in the industry, even someone who understands this very well, sometimes doesn't quite understand in that specific case why it can be difficult. I'll give you a quick example of something which is harder than it appears to be. Remember our chat room having problems and also it was a Flash chat and Cal White used to make fun of me because Flash was going the way of the dodo. And I had people asking me, why don't you just put in a better chat room or a chat room that doesn't need Flash? Why don't you just go do that? And I never claimed to have written the chat room, nor was I claiming I was going to write any replacement chat room. I, I was going to get another chat room and people say, hey, I go to sites that have chat rooms and they do not require Flash and they work better than your chat room. So why don't you put in one of those? And that would seem like a pretty reasonable question. And you would probably think it's as simple as me go going to buy or download a chat package and just dropping it in there and it working. But the problem is it's actually not trivial. And the reason it's not trivial is I want it to be integrated with the forum software we're running, which is called vBulletin. I want everything to be integrated together. And most of the chat rooms out there, almost all the chat rooms out there, are not written for vBulletin. vBulletin, which is our forum software, does not have a chat feature already installed, and there's no way you can add one with any kind of option. So your only option is to add an external one, and just about every external chat room is not written to be integrated with vBulletin, aside from something that could just connect to you where people just choose their own screen names and really has no connection with the form. It's kind of like a link to a separate chat room. But what I wanted is you click on the chat button and it takes you into a chat room using your existing login credentials on Poker Fraud Alerts forum and auto logs you in. And the reason this is most important to me beyond just convenience is that people can't impersonate each other. 
and with the type of members we have on our site that's important because otherwise we're going to have people pretending to be one another and we, it'll be a mess. So I really wanted everybody in the chat room to really be who they are on the forum and to have no choice in the matter that uh, it auto logs you in with your information from the forum. And that is actually something that's not easily done and there just weren't chat rooms out there that I could find that were integrated with vBulletin or at least not the version I'm running. I found some that were integrated with an older version that wouldn't work with this version. So this was something I was delaying doing for as long as I could for that reason. So to the average person who says, hey, why can't you make your chat room work? I see other forums have chat rooms or I see other sites have chat rooms, but it's not as simple as you would have thought. You probably understand now, but prior to that explanation, you probably didn't, even if you were technical, because it was something specific to this site. So with ACR, I can understand the same argument. I can understand, hey, you don't know everything that goes into building an online poker site, keeping it from crashing, keeping it safe from DDoS attacks, uh, keeping other technical problems from causing the system to crash down, and other matters that you would never guess are challenging. You just want it to work and you don't understand how hard that is. So that was... Ferez Jaka's point. So, okay, that's a semi-fair point, but it's kind of obnoxious that he feels that people don't have the right to an opinion about how ACR is running just because they don't understand the difficulty in running a robust poker site that doesn't have a lot of issues. Seriously serious, Thomas Keeling, who used to uh, be a member of this site, he might come back one day. You never know. But he said... I imagine it's really hard to engineer and manufacture cars. I have no idea the complexities that go into it. But if one company consistently makes defective cars that get recalled while others manage to make products that work, it's completely valid to have a negative opinion. Yeah, exactly. 100% agree. That's basically what I just said. So Farez Jaka said back, that analogy made zero sense, by the way. Cars aren't comparable to software. They are two very different fundamental things. First of all, that's not true. There's a lot of software in cars. That's a lot of times car defects nowadays are from problems in software. Often not, but sometimes that is the problem is bad software. But even putting that aside, even going back to before that was occurring, before software became something embedded in cars, I think Faraz was missing the point here. The point is you don't have to fully understand the process that something how something's developed to have an opinion on the product. The end user, the consumer, all they're deciding is, do I like the product or do I not like the product? Is the product good? Is it bad? And that's all they have to think about. Ryan Ward, I don't know him, but he asked, what are your thoughts on ACR? I've played long enough to leave notes on people playing too perfectly. I won't put real money up against bots, collusion, or people using solvers I've spent hours memorizing. I've I'd love to spend I'd love to play more and uh, but I'd love to play more but we'll keep hitting uh SHPRRPO so he's basically saying he's going to play live at the Seminole Open instead of going to ACR cuz he's afraid of bots and uh, collusion stuff like that. So then this is the only hint we get as to why he might be defending ACR like this. Notice he hasn't said ACR directly, but that's definitely what he's talking about because these tweets were the 
day that they made the announcement that they're delaying the tournament a week and a lot of people got pissed off. So that same day, Ferraz put out this whole discussion and it's obviously about ACR. So this is what he said back to Ryan Ward. He said, I'm confident I could coach anyone who's willing to work hard to be a profitable player on ACR and I've been doing just that. If this was an issue, I wouldn't be able to do that so easily. So it does kind of sound like he has some kind of relationship with them or that he recommends them as the site to play on when he coaches people because he does do coaching. He puts this on his Twitter that DM me for private one-on-one coaching requests. So I don't think he does mass coaching. He doesn't coach groups or produce videos to my knowledge, but he probably does that expensive one-on-one coaching if you want to spend a few K to become a better tournament player. He'll probably do coaching for you. Maybe more than a few K. I don't know what he charges. But anyway, it's possible that what he's been doing is he's been telling his students to go play on ACR. And maybe some of his students have been bitching about this saying, hey, why did you refer me to this site? It keeps crashing. It's having tournament issues. This is garbage. Why didn't you tell me to go play on a different site? And so this might be to kind of defend his own choice of where he told his students to play. It also could be that he has some relationship with ACR, and that's why he's sending people over to play there. Maybe he's an affiliate. Maybe he knows someone in management there. I don't know. But there's got to be some reason for this. Someone named Adventure101 on Twitter, at Greg Armand, A-R-M-A-N-D, one, Greg Armand one, wrote, ACR needs to invest in servers and developers, not marketing. They have a very bad product and they're marketing it knowing it's subpar, not very cool. Too much money spent on marketing, not a solid and competent product. They literally crash every Sunday. Inexcusable. Now, I don't know if they really crash every Sunday. I I haven't seen that, but I've seen a lot of crashes. So uh, even if not every Sunday, the guy kind of has a point. Faraz said back, if only it were that simple. Just invest in developers and server. Hmm, wonder why they haven't thought of that, he sarcastically says back. As for the analysis on the marketing budget without knowing a thing about their financials, that's like trying to play the river without knowing your hole cards. Okay, that's, that's not really a good answer. Now, to be fair, I understand why a site that is mostly running well, like ACR, and that only crashes during high-volume times or when there's some sort of attack on them, why they want to put more money into marketing because more marketing translates into more profits. You get more customers, which means more profit, whereas fixing problems that may help retain current customers, but there's not a lot of competition right now. If you want to play in the U.S. and you don't have a legalized site to play on, which most of the U.S. does not, then you really only have three realistic choices at this point. You have Bovada, you have ACR, and you have Bet Online, and that's pretty much it. So it's not like people who are unhappy with ACR can just quit and go to another online poker site that's similar to it, and it'll be fine. All of them have their issues. So I think ACR knows this. They know they're imperfect, but they don't have to be perfect because they're not competing against any perfect sites. So they're preferring to spend their money on marketing, which, of course, is their choice. And they have not marketed, hey, we're the perfect site that never crashes or we're so robust that the others aren't. If they were doing that, then Greg Armand here would have a point that uh, it's false advertising. But 
you can't really tell a company what to spend on marketing versus uh, making sure their product is robust and doesn't crash. But at the same time, I do see his point that they do spend a lot of money on marketing and maybe they are underspending on trying to solve these problems. Maybe they are putting their priorities in a bit of the wrong place. He said back to Faraz, they know they just choose to spend all their budget on marketing, not on a reliable and competent product. Basically, they're giving the middle finger to the players and their playing experience. Very short-sighted thinking. They'll never grow long-term with a lousy product. ACR equals shit. Faraz said back, so what's their budget and how much do you think they're spending on marketing versus their product? And what do you think it should be adjusted to? How many users are the, cra- are, are the crashes losing them? What's their current retention? I know they can be doing better, but without that info, you're guessing. Okay, I mean, that's a reasonable response that Greg Armand here doesn't really know what ACR is spending. He's just assuming it because the site is crashing a lot, and yet they're spending a lot on marketing, and that maybe they have determined that the crashes aren't really costing them that much business because the alternatives aren't that much better. So they've chosen to kind of not spend that much to deal with it, and they'd rather spend it on marketing. So, yeah, I mean, it's a fair point. Then I decided to get involved in the discussion because I I got tired of his attitude. I saw other interactions he had. It was all along the lines of, no, you just don't understand. No, 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 you just don't know. You've you've never been part of the process. I know, I know, I, I understand it, but you guys don't. You guys don't understand how hard it is for ACR to get this right. You don't understand how hard it is to run an online poker site until you do shut up. So I'm like, okay, well, I do. I don't know ACR specifically. I've never seen anything inside of of their platform or software, but I do know in general what goes into this, and I even know what type of things I likely wouldn't know unless I got to actually examine it. So I responded. I said, I have an MS, meaning master's degree, in computer science and understand the difficulty involved in building an online poker site. I also know PokerStars in Full Tilt built great, robust software nearly 20 years ago, despite less mature technology. There's no excuse for a big site in 2021 to repeatedly fail. And you know what? I stand by that. I said that on May 26th, and here we are now in early May 29th. I totally stand by that statement still. Look, look at PokerStars 2003. Great software, rarely crashed, had big MTTs probably even bigger than uh, they have on ACR in 2021. Everything ran great. And the technology they were running it on was far inferior to what is available to ACR today. In fact, they spent a lot more money on a lot worse technology. This is 2003 technology. It's a tremendous difference between then and now. Sure that uh, the technology today, the platforms to run sites like this on in uh 2039 will be far superior to what we have in 2021. So the fact that poker stars could do this and not have problems in 03, Full Tilt could do this and not have problems in 04, and ACR can't do this in 2021 when other sites can. It's not even like, oh, there's there's other things different today that make it tougher. No, because this isn't happening to other sites. Not on a regular basis. So there's something wrong there. And that's what I'm saying. There's, there's really no excuse. You can say, oh, it's so hard. You, don't, you guys don't know. Well, 
what we do know is others have done it and others did this more than 15 years ago. Others did this close to 20 years ago, better than they're doing it today with much less mature technology. So how is that? So I got back kind of an obnoxious answer from Faraz. He said, having an MS in computer science makes you more knowledgeable than the average person, but still nowhere near enough. I sat side by side with my co-founder, Colin Lamadon, I don't even know who that is, who's techni- technical, managing a team of three devs for three years and guaranteed you there's tons of variables you aren't taking into an account. Well, okay, yes, there are some variables I'm not taking into account because I haven't seen what ACR has built, and I never will. But I'm not claiming to know everything about their system or why it's failing or specifically what they could do to stop it. I'm not claiming that. I'm saying this has been done before. I'm saying this has been done in the past, in the distant past, distant meaning uh, internet-wise. It, you know, 2003 is ancient history at this point. And it's been done in the present, and it's been done in between. So something's wrong here. He also went on to say, We met many top devs who had already built successful software, thought they could build a poker site in way less time than they really could. As they dig into the specs, limitations, license issue, or server requirements, they start to see the picture a little bit more. Well, okay, that part's correct. That part is correct that a lot of people look at poker software, a lot of software developers, and they look at it and go, okay, this, this doesn't look very complex. This looks fairly easy for a team of a few of us to build. We've built software products which look way more involved, way tougher than this. This should be a piece of cake. And then they try to do it, and all kinds of things come up that they wouldn't have pictured. And yeah, I do agree that it is very easy to underestimate the difficulty in building poker software. In fact, I watched it happen. Where did I watch it happen? With Ultimate Poker. Remember Ultimate Poker? The first legalized U.S. poker site that opened in Nevada and then also New Jersey? Remember how they failed? Remember how awful their software was? Remember that even the crappy least 888 software that WSOP was using was vastly superior to the Ultimate Poker proprietary software that they supposedly spent $25 million on developing, that it was full of bugs, that it was missing all kinds of just very basic features. This was a case where they hired a company to build their software, and this company very much underestimated the difficulty of the task, and they ended up with a crap product. They also didn't understand a lot of other issues that could come up, such as geolocation issues, which online poker sites never had to deal with before because you had to be physically in Nevada, and a lot of other problems, server problems, crashes, things like that, that uh, a lot of times people who had developed other software can neglect or take for granted until the product starts experiencing these problems in the field. And then they say, oh shit, this is way more complex than we thought. It's one thing to just build a poker site. It's another thing to build a good and robust poker site that is very stable. So I get all that, believe me. I also think that if I were on a team building it, that I would probably find things that I'm not thinking of right now that I never have considered. Because this is the sort of thing that happens when you 
have to actually go do the work when you actually have to get there in the trenches and build the site, build the system, and then hopefully stress test it enough to where you can simulate a lot of traffic. And then sometimes when you put it out to actually run in the field and then it starts to fail, then you say, oh shit, we didn't think of this or we didn't test this enough or whatever it is. There's a lot of stuff you have to consider that you may not have. And that's also why it's very important to have people who are in the industry on the team, not just people who are good software developers. You have to have people who understand the product, understand the users from a lot of standpoints, from a user experience standpoint, from someone who could suggest where likely pitfalls would be or where other sites have had problems in the past. You Having someone with experience in the industry, especially as a player, as a frequent player, could be very valuable. We also saw with Run It Once, Phil Galfon's site. They had a lot of challenges. It took them a long time to build. They even uh, threw away a previous product they were trying to build that wasn't going well. They got a different company. They built a new product. Delay, delay, delay. Then it finally comes up and there's all kinds of features missing, including tournaments. They didn't have tournaments. I think they still don't have tournaments. So a lot of problems with Galfon's site that I've talked about out here. I haven't heard so much of crashes or things like that as having an ACR, but but he had a lot of challenges with his site with building something from scratch that he didn't picture. And uh, they, they even had to completely dump the first company they had that was contracted to build their software. So yeah, I, I get all of that, believe me. And I'm not trivializing it. I'm not saying, hey, ACR developers, make this work. I'm, I'm not saying that. Also, he was saying that, he wasn't saying this to me, but to somebody else. I, I don't have this tweet in front of me, but he was saying that a big problem ACR might have is that it's not that simple to fix these type of problems with existing software so that their choices are either to throw away the whole thing and build fresh and do it right this time or try to do what they can with their existing product and they've been trying the latter and that's why they've been having problems but that people don't understand that the only way this is going to really work well is if they throw away the whole thing and rebuild which is a tremendous undertaking so that's why we have to be understanding here but that's also a crap answer because they don't have to redo all the work if they are looking at this and saying okay some mistakes were made the way that this whole project was structured. Maybe it was mistakes in the software. Maybe it was mistakes uh, in the the way they configured the hardware. Whatever it might be, if it's something that requires a complete rebuild to really fix reliably, first of all, they don't have to just take down the site and wait until uh, they're done with a new version. They can run this older version in the meantime while developing a newer version, and they can even tell people, hey, we're, we're working on a new version of the software that's going to not have these problems anymore, and please be patient. We're going to maintain the old one for the meantime, but we're in the background, we're also working on a new one, just letting you guys know that. They've never said that. I don't think that's what they're doing. And, and second, you don't have to start totally from scratch. There's a lot they could reuse if this really were what was required to get this fixed, which it may not be. This is just Faraz taking guesses. But if this really is the situation, which is possible, that the way they have it set up, it'll be, it'll never be robust. It will never be something that you can count on with consistent uptime. 
and they really do have to just kind of start from scratch, there's a lot they can still reuse. There's a lot that goes into building a poker site that they can reuse. Now, if the whole site was crap, if the user interface is crap, if uh, the graphics were crap, if everybody hated everything there, then I would agree that it's just time to throw it all away and, and redo it. But those aren't the complaints. The complaints are not the usability of ACR. It seems like people are relatively happy with that. It's the crashes all the time, all the technical fail they have. So they probably do know some of the reason that they're having these problems, and it's probably not trivial to fix. I agree that's probably the case, and that's why it's not getting fixed. But there's a lot they can do. Even if it is a rewrite, they can reuse a lot of the code that they used already to build the existing software. It would not be anywhere near the same undertaking, given that the experience on the site, the user experience, the random number generator, the the, the table and tournament structure, all, all that, given that this is all generally looked upon positively by the community and doesn't really need a redo, if it really it is back-end stuff that they just have to make the whole thing more reliable and that does require uh, kind of a new project to do, they can reuse so much of the old project that this could be done in not too much time. Not in a week, not in a month, but they, they could do it without a massive delay. So yeah, I don't know all the specific details, but they're not just stuck. The way he's implying is that it would be so expensive for them to be able to make this site to where this doesn't happen anymore that it's just not feasible. That basically it's some super expensive rewrite that where they trash everything and start over or just kind of do the best with what they have and it's kind of very limited what they can do, so we just got to tolerate it. And it's, it's so much harder than you guys think, so just shut up and deal with it, which is not a good answer. So I can tell you, as someone who was in the software industry, it still somewhat follows it, and of course understands all these concepts, I can tell you that's a crappy response, and I don't agree with his take for the most part. He touches on some reasonable points, but overall, I don't agree with his take. It's one of these things where he says some true things, but when you add it all up, it still doesn't change my mind. Before we move on, I'm going to take a break. You know, if you have feedback, by the way, about the show, if you have feedback about what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see more of, what you'd like to see less of, let me know, and I will keep it in mind. I'm not saying your personal opinion is going to change the show, but I kind of add it all up and come to a conclusion of what people are enjoying and what they're not enjoying, and I try to do more of what people generally enjoy. By the way, if you want to see more interviews on the show, please let me know. I try to have a purpose for interviews. I don't just throw people on because they're well-known in most cases or because they've won a tournament. That's not what the show does. But I, I try to find interesting interview topics, and I always like the interviews. I always think they come off as interesting stuff, and you get to hear other people's perspectives on things or what they're going through. So if you'd like to see more interviews here, let me know. You can text me, 775-372-8355. You can email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. You can PM me on the forum, Dan Space Druff, or you could tweet at me at Todd Wittellis or at Poker Fraud Alert. My last name is spelled W-I-T-T-E-L-E-S. Make sure you don't put an H in there. People like to put an H in my last name and 
There is no H anywhere in my name, first, middle, or last. So we will be back, and I'm going to play you the ad of my attorney and now Chris Moneymaker's attorney, Eric Benzamokin, who I hope crushes PayPal to where they are so... They're in so much pain that their executives are writhing on the ground, wishing that they had never messed with him. So good luck, Eric, in your suit and, and play his ad. Obviously, he does a lot more than arbitration and mediation. I've got, I've got to update his ad. Now that he's handling Chris Moneymaker's case, I've got to update his ad. Because as you see, he practices several areas of law and does it well. We will be back. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew. And it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money, or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California, you can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute, so you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration where he decides who's right and mediation where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around even if you don't have a dispute at the moment because you never know when one will come up and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin. Eric at eblawfirm.us. Okay, we're back. We have a breaking story here, which was covered first on PokerFraudAlert.com. It's such a new story that we do not have everything verified yet, but... Since it happened to occur, or at least I became aware of it on the evening of radio, and it had not been reported anywhere else in any kind of poker or gambling outlet, I have to make do with what I had. We might have uh, more information next week for you, but from what I'm hearing, I think we probably are onto something here. And I am talking about a major arrest in Arkansas. 
involving an alleged COVID testing scam for a lot of money. I mean, this is a major, major case, and it might involve a poker player. We might have a situation where a poker player who's been seen on many streams and has played many high roller events might actually be someone who has been arrested for a major COVID testing scam. There were reports that came out from Arkansas on May 26th about an arrest of one Billy Joe Taylor of Central City, Arkansas for an $88 million testing scam of which a lot of it was COVID testing. That is where the government was billed for tests that were never done. This has been a big problem in the medical community where these uh, tests are falsified and then uh, submitted for reimbursement either by the government or reimbursement by insurance companies. This has gone back long, long before COVID. In fact, my grandmother who passed away 22 years ago, she was a victim of one of these scams, or shall I say the government was a victim of one of these scams that was done for a Medicare scam, that false tests that were never performed on her were billed to Medicare. And uh, my mom caught it after my grandmother had passed away, and she got all the evidence together and tried to present it to get the doctors busted, but the government wasn't interested because it wasn't big time enough for them, even though she handed them the proof on a silver platter. So this has been going on a long time. Anyway, allegedly one of these scams, a big one, a big version of this scam was going on in Arkansas. And there was an arrest of a 42-year-old man named Billy Joe Taylor. I'm going to let you listen to a news report from the area from Channel 5, and then we will discuss its connection to poker. The FBI releasing new details today behind the raids carried out in the River Valley over the last couple of days. And tonight, 42-year-old Billy Joe Taylor of Lavaca is accused of scamming the U.S. government out of $88 million in fraudulent medical claims. In a statement, the FBI says it's one of the largest cases of fraud in our state's history. And agents are still seizing Taylor's assets across the River Valley. Yeah, 5 News reporter Bailey Devane joining us live with more details from the FBI and how Taylor ended up on their radar. Bailey? That's right. Yesterday, the FBI was here at Taylor's home in Central City, raiding the inside, taking away luxury vehicles and expensive technology the FBI says he purchased using the fraudulent money. Now, Taylor submitted hundreds of claims for blood tests, respiratory tests, and COVID-19 tests that were never conducted. FBI officials say Taylor owned two testing laboratories where he submitted these false claims using prior lab testing orders. Many of these claims, officials say, were made after the beneficiaries had died. Out of the $88 million, $42 million was made over the span of the pandemic. When you're dealing with a case like this where you have multiple locations, multiple properties, all tied to a single individual. By the way, this is uh, Connor Hagen of the Little Rock FBI talking to the news station. And you're seizing assets from all of these different areas. Uh, you need hundreds of people and you need a team. 
FBI officials say this is one of the largest and most widespread claims of fraud in our state's history. Currently, Taylor is in the custody of the U.S. Marshals, awaiting trial. I'm live in Central City covering news where you live. Bailey Devane, 5 News. Okay, so this is a pretty damn big deal. Now, what's a little confusing to me is that it's an $88 million scam, allegedly, but they claim that uh, $42 million of it was during COVID. So I, I, they keep saying an $88 million COVID scam, but it looks like about half of it was COVID and half of it must have been other things. And somehow the government was billed for the other things too, which that's what's confusing me. I don't know if it's Medicare or what, but the government has been footing the bill for a lot of the COVID stuff. Uh, if someone has insurance, then the insurance pays. But if someone does not have insurance, then the government pays. Basically, uh, anything related to COVID testing has to be free for the patient, and they should never be required to pay. I think it's some urgent cares you have to pay, but uh, any of these COVID testing centers, you can always go for free. So anyway, I guess he billed a ton of stuff to the government for tests that didn't exist. It says in this article that I'm reading from this same site from 5 News, it says the DOJ com- claims Taylor, the owner and operator of Vitus Laboratories LLC and Beach Talks LLC, two testing laboratories, used access to beneficiary and medical provider information from prior laboratory testing orders to submit fraudulent claims for urine drug tests and other laboratory tests, including respiratory pathogen panel and COVID-19 tests. Okay, I guess so maybe they were doing drug tests too. I'm not sure why this would go to the government, this bill, though. Uh, these tests were never actually ordered or performed. The DOJ also claims Taylor filed hundreds of claims for beneficiaries after they had died or, or otherwise ceased providing samples. So it looks like that he's alleged to have billed the government for tests on dead people. <laughs> so several luxury cars were seen being removed from Taylor's home in Central City outside of Lavaca on Tuesday by law enforcement agents. Several of his businesses in Fort Smith were also raided. Yeah, I saw the cars. It was pretty amazing. He had these really expensive cars. They were all like on these flatbed trucks. Well, you know, you've seen those trucks that like deliver several cars like a bunch of cars at once to a dealership. They, they brought one of those trucks out to like take away all the cars he had bought. I guess that he wanted to spend his money. Now, again, why am I bringing this up? What does this have to do with poker? Well, a listener to the show has informed me. In fact, he's the one who brought the whole thing to my attention. I have not verified this, but he has informed me that this Billy Joe Taylor arrested in this scam is the same person as high-stakes player Billy Taylor, who has appeared on streams and also played in high roller events. This is the same guy who goes by Bildo. It's the same guy. It's a poker player who was arrested for this. That was the claim by this listener, whom I don't know very well. So... Whenever I get someone messaging me a tip like this, I always appreciate it, but I always have to approach it cautiously because I don't want to say something that's not true. So I'm still not sure that this is the same Billy Taylor. I do know for sure that a Billy Joe Taylor, who's 42 from Arkansas, got arrested for this, for this $88 million scam. The DOJ has made that public. We just don't know if it's the same Billy Taylor as the one who plays on these streams and plays at these high roller events. So I'm hearing from others too that it's the same person. 
Ashley Hine, who's part of the Texas scene, also known as Action Ashley, said it's him on Twitter to me. Apparently, he played on a lot of the uh, Texas Card House streams, and he was still in the live cash games as recently as two weeks ago. A guy named Chris Steffens wrote back to me on Twitter. He was a special type of whale who managed to dump 175K in two hours at a 10 25 50 no limit game. He did this on Texas Card House cash games about two weeks ago. So I have to think that's probably him. Don't know for sure. It hasn't been verified yet. I have tried to find pictures of the guy arrested because I, I found a, at least one picture of the poker playing Billy Taylor, Bildo. The picture I found was on the Seminole Hard Rock webpage when he was in one of their events, but he has a mask on so you can only see part of his face. But you can see him and you can see his arms. And Poker Fraud Alert forum user Forum Wars, who was always good at finding this sort of thing, he's actually the one who verified that the person we thought we found, the one that killed Susie Zhao last year, is Jeffrey Morris. Uh, we were the first ones to publicize Jeffrey Morris's name, and we figured out who he was, and Forum Wars had a big part in that. So he's good. And he found a picture of the arrested Billy Joe Taylor, but it's kind of like a, a side view of him walking. And there are some similarities, like the arms look similar to the arms we see in that uh, picture of the poker playing Billy Joe Taylor. But it's still kind of hard to tell if it's the same guy. But people are saying it is, and people are saying that Texas Cardhouse employees have been gossiping about this, that they know it's the same guy. So I think there's a good chance it's the same guy. If it's not, then I apologize to the Tex the uh, Billy Taylor that plays in poker. But it's understandable why there could be this confusion. But if I had to guess, I would say that it probably is the same guy. And we're going to find out soon enough. This story just broke tonight in the poker community, thanks to me, or thanks to the guy who alerted me, and then I alerted the public, and now people are trying to unravel this. That's pretty amazing that he did this. Who, you know, Whoever this Billy Joe Taylor is, whether he's in or not in poker, the crime itself is pretty crazy to have done it to that extent. $88 million worth of false billing to the government. I mean, how did he think he's going to get away with that? It's one thing if he does like one or two million and thinks it's going to slip through the craps with all the uh, COVID spending, but to have done this for eighty-eight million, to think this is not going to get figured out at some point, uh, it wasn't made clear how they caught him, what he did to arouse suspicion. Maybe it was the fact that there was this billing for dead people, and they may be looking for that. I, if I had to guess, I'd have to say that's probably what it was. The official DOJ statement on this from May 26th says, DOJ announces coordinated law enforcement action to combat healthcare fraud related to COVID-19. The DOJ today announced criminal charges against 14 defendants, including 11 newly charged defendants and three who were charged in 
superseding indictments in seven federal districts across the U.S. for their alleged participation in various healthcare fraud schemes that exploited the COVID-19 pandemic and resulted in over $143 million in false billings. These multiple health care fraud schemes charged today describe theft from American taxpayers through the exploitation of a national emergency, said Deputy Attorney General Lisa O. Monaco. These medical professionals, corporate executives, and others allegedly took advantage of the COVID-19 pandemic to line their own pockets instead of providing needed health care services during this unprecedented time in our country. We are committed to protecting the American people and the critical health care benefits programs created to assist them during this national emergency, and we are determined to hold those who exploit such programs accountable to the fullest extent of the law. As part of the national takedown, Billy Joe Taylor, 42, of Lavaca, Arkansas, was charged by a criminal complaint with health care fraud. The FBI releasing new details oh. today behind the raids carried out yeah, in the River Valley again. over the last... As part of the national takedown, Billy Joe... <coughs> Start again. As part of the national takedown, Billy Joe Taylor, 42, of Lavaca, Arkansas, was charged by criminal complaint with health care fraud in connection with an alleged scheme to defraud the United States of over $88 million, including over $42 million in false and fraudulent claims during the COVID-19 health emergency that were billed in combination with claims that were submitted for testing for COVID-19 and other respiratory illnesses. Taylor, the owner and operator of Vitus Laboratories LLC and Beach Tox LLC, two testing laboratories allegedly used beneficiary and medical provider information from prior laboratory testing orders to submit fraudulent claims for urine drug tests and other laboratory tests, including respiratory pathogen panel and COVID-19 tests that were not actually ordered or performed. The complaint also alleges that hundreds of claims were submitted for beneficiaries after they had died or otherwise ceased providing samples. So, yeah, it looks like they had people's info who had visited their centers before, maybe even other centers. But they had patient info from people who had had previous lab tests and then just made up fake tests that they were billing the government for. And they got paid uh, $42 million in uh, COVID funds and then uh, another $46 million in some other way, which wasn't made clear. So that is a pretty major scam, as, as that news report said. It's the one of the largest in state history. Now, Arkansas is not a heavily populated state, but still, it's, it has a long history. And this is one of the longest, it was one of the biggest scams of its kind, or maybe one of the biggest scams, period, in state history, according to that news station. So if that guy's a poker player, <laughs> wow. That's pretty interesting, but it's not that surprising. It, it kind of reminds me of that player who was depicted in Molly's game who was using funds that he had embezzled to dump in high-stakes games, and th- this was like a really bad player who people wondered, you know, where's he getting all this money, and why does he not care about losing so much? Why, why is he never bothered when he loses it? And it turned out the guy was uh, stealing it, so it, he didn't have much emotional connection to this money that he kept losing. So similarly... According to the person on Twitter, I've never seen one of these streams before with poker player Billy Taylor, but poker player Billy Taylor apparently played very recklessly. And this person on Twitter is saying that Billy Taylor lost 175K at kind of a middle to high stakes game where it's very tough to lose that amount of money in two hours, but that he's claiming he somehow managed to do it. So that would go along with someone who had scammed $88 million out of the government through medical testing scams. I'm not saying that is proof it's the same guy, but that does kind of add evidence to the pile here. Circumstantial evidence, but it does add evidence to the pile it's the same person. I have to imagine over time there have been a lot of people who have 
dumped money in poker games, not intentionally dumping, but just like show up to fairly high stakes games and play very badly that are actually playing with stolen money. In fact, at Commerce, when I've played some of the high stakes games, I have sometimes suspected that I'm playing against either drug dealers or others who got their money in a way that was not legal, just sometimes by the person's demeanor, their personality, and just kind of other factors. There's like, I get the idea that it's someone who got this money in a way they shouldn't. There was actually a poker player in commerce who was arrested while in the 200-400 limit game for murdering his parents and getting an inheritance and playing with an inheritance. And that was not Ernie Shearer. Ernie Shearer was another guy who murdered his parents. But the, the one arrested actually in commerce was an Asian player. I probably would have recognized him. For some reason, that case didn't get much attention. But the Ernie Shearer one did. And he was another one who killed his parents and played with the money. But th- those guys, it's, it seems both of them did it because they were broke and wanted to stay in action. Whereas... In these cases, it wasn't about staying in action in poker. It was about, like, once you have all this money, what do you do with it? And it looks like this scamming Billy Joe Taylor guy, it looks like what he did is buy a ton of cars, like a the huge fleet of luxury cars. And if he is the same guy who played in these games, uh, showed up in high-stakes poker games and shot off. Kind of think about, like, if, let's say you just had unlimited money, like really unlimited money. Um. Uh, I bet you would probably go to high-stakes poker games and kind of just play like crazy and just shoot off and not care. You'd probably do other things with the money too, but I bet one of the things you would do as someone who likes poker is just like sit in the biggest game you can find and just play like you don't care. Just be really reckless, really wild. So that's what some of these guys do when they've gotten stolen money because they don't have the same connection to the money. They don't have the same attachment to the money. They don't feel like they're blowing something they earned. So I have to imagine if you've played in any kind of middle to higher stakes games, if you've played in enough of them, you probably have played against people who were shooting off money they scammed or stole in some way. So this story isn't that surprising, but it's a pretty big scope here. I mean, <laughs> that's a pretty large amount of money. Probably not as much as PayPal has confiscated from people when they shouldn't have, but still a large amount of money. I'll give you any updates on this case as we get them and any further confirmation we get. So far, it's anecdotal confirmation I'm getting that it's the same guy. But still, so far, nobody has presented me 100% definitive proof. But I have to imagine it's going to come shortly. A listener from the 214 texted me, I confirmed with an employee that it's the same person that played on the stream. Well, if I had to bet on this, I would definitely be betting that it's the same person. In which case, I don't think you'll be seeing Bill Doe, Billy Taylor, at any high roller events or on any streams anytime soon. Except maybe on some criminal court streams. But if by some chance it's a different person, I guess we'll find that out soon enough too. I'm pretty sure he'll come forward and say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not not same guy, same name, different guy. But I have a feeling we're not going to see that. Brandon. This is the colonoscopy show. No, no, that was uh, a few months ago. You, you, you're a little bit is this behind. The, uh, is this the Eric uh, Benzamokin promotion show? It's somewhat of that these days, yeah. But 
He deserves this. That's okay. You wouldn't you wouldn't believe it, buddy. But I'm just waking up. No, I would believe set it. An alarm. I actually set an alarm to come on the radio in the middle of the night. But you set it for one fifty-seven. That's a weird time to set it for. I set it for one forty-five, and it took me twelve minutes oh. to uh, gather myself before I called you. I actually think you're early. Actually, I set it for one thirty, but then I sno- I snooze. Am I? Can I go back to bed for a bit? Well, I expected you, you to come at three. That's to be honest. You what? You expected what? Three, not not two. Well, you know what? I thought of three, but I thought that would be gambling. That maybe it you might be, be tired or. Maybe it, the room started getting hot again or cold, and you know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I could get a hundred two fever again, and and have. But <laughs> but you know, I, I powered through the show. I still did it though, even though I had a hundred one to hundred two fever. So that yeah shows you my dedication here. But anyway, um, no, I, I don't want you to start getting tired of you know being on your own in the middle of the night. So I figured two was a, a cautious time, maybe it, it was too conservative. No, it, it was it was uh, much more likely I'd be on the two than. The, at two compared to three, we had two interviews tonight. So for that reason, uh, the show is going for a while. So we weren't that close to quitting. But then again, I'm not sure if we had an hour worth of material yet. So you, you may have done the right thing by coming on at this point. So okay, let's yeah. talk about California and what's going on there because I have not been back to live poker for two reasons. But the one of them is about to go away. The first reason is that I'm still kind of deciding whether I want to put myself in the most dangerous of dangerous COVID situations where you're just indoor for a long period of time with a lot of people crammed together. Like it, it just uh, it really seems like something like you really got to trust the vaccine works because otherwise there's a good chance you'll get it there. Well, what are you going to do for the World Series? Well, that, that, that's, that's the same decision. In fact, it's even a, a right. bigger problem because that's even more people in there so i thought about that too believe me so and it's longer hours too right so that that's yeah. so that now i'll have maybe a little bit better visibility on how well the vaccines are working by that point but but then again maybe i won't because maybe it won't work as well because it'll been in several months since i got the vaccine whereas right now it's very recent so right now maybe much safer and i thought of that too maybe i'm wasting the time here that i'm the safest but and believe me, otherwise I'm not being cautious. I go into the store. I go into. I go in everywhere, and I don't even think of COVID. Like I, I, I really, I'm not worried about COVID at all anymore. Uh, for the most part, it's remarkable. Just a month or so, two months, how different one's mentality is. Because I'm the same way. I, I you know, walk into a restaurant. I eat in a restaurant. And it's not consuming me like it was before. Where yeah. I'm thinking, oh, this guy's too close, or you know, oh, I, I got to do my hands again. Although you, you know, you, I know your opinion. You don't even think that matters. But it, it's not on my mind at all. I yeah, went same shopping here. yesterday, and I'm just doing my thing and not even a care in the world. Yeah, that's the same thing here. Like I, I was actually in a, uh, a Home Depot buying a thermostat for the house, and I, I didn't research before I got there which one I wanted. So I was actually sitting there on my phone reading reviews of each thermostat, uh, spending – yeah, you know, a good deal of time just standing there googling thermostats, and I had no care that I was in there for a while doing it. Whereas before, there's no way I would have sat there doing that on my phone inside. A, I wouldn't even gone inside a Home Depot. So. Did you get yourself a nice thermostat? No, I did. That's what I used last week nice. to pr- to jam the heat up to where the room was probably like 85 degrees by the end of the show, and I was still freezing. One of those nice fancy digital ones. Not you didn't get one from the 80s with the analog dial. I hope I got one that I can control with Wi-Fi. Oh wow! That's, Look at you. Yeah. So. Look at you. Anyway, the the California card rooms, the second reason that I haven't been to any of them since I got vaccinated is that they have some really stupid rules in place uh, that 
a certain number of ma- I forgot what the maximum people at the table, but I don't believe it's it's not it's a maximum people at the table. You can't eat or drink at the table. I, I at last you have to wear a mask the entire time. That's a big one. You you can't even leave a a water with you at the table. You have to step away from the table to you know either go back to your car to get the water. Like you, can't, I guess you could have one in your backpack, but you can't just sit at the table drinking water. Like you you can't pull the mask. No, off those for are reason. playable conditions. Yeah, these these conditions I, suck. So and if you if you go there with a friend, the friend can't sit with you. Uh, anything like that, like. That that one's not as big, but you know, there's like anything you like come that. Come to Vegas to play. Why well, I, I considered it, believe it or not. So, so yeah. the the so I, I said, you know, this is sucks. This just sounds crappy. I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to find games still on uh, Bovada Ignition and play those, which is what I've been doing. But uh, June fifteenth is the magical day for California. That's our that's the big day in California because that is the day of the full reopening. <laughs> for the state and that will include the card room so then everybody can relax all the restrictions on that day for example the dodgers which obviously have nothing to do with uh poker the dodgers oh, you see that bullshit tonight i saw it it, it, it ruined a bet i had with the bullshit oh, happened. Geez. well no i don't I mean i mean that but the uh the pool holes would have you a terrible yeah i thought that ball was out of there Who's so that guy think he is taking that walk off from the old man but all right go on <laughs> So, uh, anyway, the Dodgers announced that you can now buy tickets to their games, and they're going to be at full capacity starting June 15th. So you can now buy tickets for June 15th, and they'll be at full capacity. I haven't gone to a game yet this year because it's been ridiculously expensive and very hard to get two seats because of all the restrictions they have. Because uh, people who own four seats can't split it to two and two. They have to sell them as all four because you can't have two parties from different households buying two and two out of a four seat pack there. So they'd had to sell all four seats. So it's very hard to find groups of two seats. They're super expensive for what you get. I said, F it. I'm just not doing it. So on June 15th this is all going to change that they're going to be at full capacity. I think right now they're at 20,000 maximum or something like that. Maybe even less than that. It's going to go up to full capacity, 56,000 in the stadium. It's going to be just like normal starting June 15th. And you can already buy tickets for it for the Dodgers. And that's because the state is relaxing everything the way that uh, Nevada has already done. And that's also going to affect the card room. So starting June 15th, you're going to be able to go play poker normally at Commerce. Presumably you'll be able to eat and drink at the table again. I can't say for sure. I haven't asked them about this, but uh, basically all the businesses that have these restrictions are not doing it voluntarily. They're doing this because the state is requiring it and they know people hate it. Believe me, I'm sure Commerce and the bike and all those, they, they're not looking to make things unpleasant for the players. They don't want to come. They want people to come. And so they're, they're only going to do the minimum of what is required. And right now, the minimum, unfortunately, is still pretty strict. But on June 15th, it's going to be a massive change. So I believe on June 15th that California poker will return to normal. And then I will be making the decision about what I'm going to do. I'm definitely leaning towards actually doing it. I'm leaning towards going and playing. And, Good for you. And because otherwise, wh- when am I going to? Otherwise, the, my only choice is to uh, hope COVID disappears. Now, yes, one could argue that maybe it would be smarter just in case to wait a few more months to see what happens if, if there's people who are getting it that are fully vaccinated that are getting uh, very sick or dying or getting lung damage that maybe it's happening more than we think and that then I can make a more informed decision but at the same time even if I find that out 
I, I've been doing all the precautions when before being vaccinated because I saw an end to having to do this fairly soon, meaning sometime in 2021. So if there really is no end, then I do have to make some decisions of what I am willing to do to take a risk. There's a difference between saying I'm not going to do this for the next year and I'm not going to do this again ever. So I may just have to say, you know what, I am going to take this risk. And if I'm super unlucky and I'm one of these people who gets COVID through the vaccine and gets a bad result from it, then, oh, well, but I, you know, I've, I've got to, I can't just be that afraid of it when I'm this much protected. At some point, you just got to go on with your life and take that, a chance. That's what it's, I'm it's saying. It's inevitable. That's what I'm it's saying. It's inevitable. Buddy. That's what I'm saying. So, just, so You uh, can't sit there even though you got a new thermostat in that house of yours, you know, because people are even saying that's not even true that you got the gold stencil W at the pool. I know. At the that house. Was, so that maybe was a false it's rumor. not even as a nice compound as people think it is. You got to go back out. Yeah, I do have to. So I, I am leaning towards doing that, and I am leaning towards going to the World Series in the fall. But uh, I, I haven't made a full decision, but that's my lean at the moment, unless there's something that greatly changes. And uh, I guess on June 15th, I'll probably have to make this decision. I've also heard the games are very good because people have all this money that they got from the pandemic checks. So people have more savings now than in a very long time. The average American has more savings right now than I think I've heard it like any time in, in American history or something like that. So it's wow. It, it, these, they, well, that's good because a lot of them are coming 12 to a room at the wind with their, their money and shooting it off. Twenty dollars a time a day. Yeah. So, so people, yeah. some people have told me you've got to get in these games. They're excellent, and people are shooting off money. And I can believe that. Both people just wanting to go and play poker again because they hadn't been able to, and and also people who uh, just feel like they have extra cash burning a hole in their pocket, and uh, they're going to go shoot it off. So I, I don't want the other pros to get that money. I'd, I'd prefer that uh, some well, of that goes to me at least. So. Well, you need to get out there pretty soon because I ain't going to last forever. That's that's and that's what I was thinking as well. So yeah, that's the big date, uh, June fifteenth. I'm looking forward to that, and I it it doesn't feel like even though I personally can go out and do things, it doesn't feel like everything is really back because it isn't. I know where you are, it is, but where I am, it is not. So yeah, the grocery store is mostly normal. And and so I can do things like that, and I and I, I've been going to the dentist to get uh, work done, and then get bacterial infections from it. So that's been fun. Jesus. Yeah, that's what happened last week. I explained to everybody. I, yeah, I, I got a, a bacterial infection. Brandon was the first person I told. There's not another human being yep. on Earth that found out before Brandon. I texted him I, right I when the show was over. Minutes after radio, and I was I was absolutely stunned. There was no uh, indication on the fraud channels whatsoever. Yeah. This was going on. I went back and listened. It sounded and like, fine. I, and it, it was funny. I, I, I found myself talking at around the four-hour, 11-minute mark, I think it was, and I was saying, like, wow, it's really cold in here. So I turned up the heat. I didn't expect it to be this cold tonight, but I, like it was foreshadowing what was really going on with me. But, yeah, I was I was really miserable at the end of the show. And then I went back and listened. I'm like, wow, I, I did a really good job acting there because, boy, you would not believe how badly I felt in those last two hours, especially the very end of it. I was thrilled to end the show and I, it was thanks to you, partially, Brandon, that I stayed on because I was happy you came on and I was enjoying the banter with you and the discussions with you. And I, I'm like, I don't want to end this because it, it kind of showed up right as you came. So I thought, I don't want to end this right when Brandon shows up here just because I'm not feeling that great. And then it got worse and worse and worse. And I'm like, I, I can't wait till we're almost done here. So I'll finish it. But boy, like, I can't go much longer. This is terrible. So tonight, 
no sign of that. I'm not cold. The heater is not on, and I think we should be fine. So, okay. Which is ironic because you have a new thermostat now. Yeah, it is ironic. That would have been a perfect night. It would be a better, yeah. But, you know, I'll, I'll at least, you know what, though? It was good to have the thermostat because it that did keep me on the air because as cold as I was, I would have been colder if I couldn't blast the heat in here for all the time. I guess it was less important to have the Wi-Fi thermostat because I never had to turn it off. When I first turned it on, my thought was, okay, good, now I can turn it off during the show and not get too hot. But then that never became necessary. So let me ask you something, Brandon. Have you heard of a poker player, a disabled poker player who goes by a K.L. Cleeton? He's from uh, Northern California. What's his name? K.L. Cleeton. He's in a no, uh, a wheelchair. Cleeton. Now, that's not the guy I used to see back in the day. On the World Series telecast, that's folding with the, keep the cards on his toes. No, this was not the guy playing with his feet. No, well, that was William Rockwell. Okay, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know who Kwell. I don't know who the gentleman is. No. So Veronica Brill has uh, done more than just uh, irritate Mike Possel. She is friends with with Kl Cleeton, and she his, his real name is uh, Kenneth Cleeton, but he calls himself Kl Cleeton, mm-hmm. and. Uh, she has been for a while now trying to raise money for him to get a special van that he can be that he can use for uh, for transportation. She wrote on her the GoFundMe about this. Uh, she started this a while ago, but she's, uh, Kale needs a reliable form of transportation so we can stack so we can all stack him at the World Series of Poker or any poker tournament. Due to the physical nature of his condition, Kale is una- unable to fly. He doesn't have a reliable form of transportation, and he's unable to travel or go to any poker tournaments. Let's help help him get to the WSOP or any poker tournament. Let's just help him get around. Let's help him get a reliable form of transportation. Now, I believe what this is, I think the situation is he's in a wheelchair, and he's, he's very disabled. Uh, I know he plays, uh, he plays online poker. He does actually poker coaching. He's a, apparently yeah, a pretty good player. But What's his disability? I'm not even sure. Let me see if uh, there's an article I saw about this. Uh, the disability he has is a, it's spinal muscular atrophy, and he's unable to raise his head or sit without support. And he says he uh, he it's kind of similar to being paralyzed from the neck down, except Jesus. he except he feels things, so he can't move things under his neck, but he can feel things. Which that sounds most people, terrible. Yeah, it does sound terrible. I I I don't think I'd want to go on living if I, if I, that happened to me. But he said my muscles just don't work. I'm I'm able to move my right thumb a very tiny amount, and that's what I use to steer my wheelchair. So they, I mean, it's very tough. I have a lot of respect for people who live with conditions like this and manage to like be somewhat happy and manage to enjoy life somewhat because this just sounds like like if i had to tolerate this for a day i i would despise it i would just absolutely be hating life and this is someone who is stuck this way forever and he knows it so um in 2017 negranu actually staked him to the main event and he cashed uh he, he uh obviously has some assistant helping him play because he can't pick up the cards and everything. Well, I'm confused. Is there is this an infomercial or no, no, no? It's just a feel good story. Did it's a feel good story. Yes, that's exactly what the. Oh, feel, okay. I'm trying okay. to do a feel good story. We don't do many. Oh, on this good. Show. Okay. Good. I like these. All right. So. Uh, so Veronica's dating him now. No, Veronica got to know him because he's from a, uh, uh, a Northern California poker background there. So she got to know him, and she yeah. was trying to get people to donate money to him. In fact, she even said when she was asking for help to raise money for her legal defense that she's going to 
donate the rest for a van for her friend uh, K.L. Cleeton. Now, I didn't know anything about him then. Now, do you subscribe to her pornography channel? Um, well, Instagram, but it's kind of her own little. <laughs> no, but I've news. seen I've seen t- uh, her Twitter, and I'll sometimes see some uh, pictures there. In a lot uh, of half naked photos of her. Yes, there. a lot. Okay. Yeah. The... Which I'm not. I mean, look, she's got a for you know what is she maybe in her early forties? Yeah, she's like nice forty two or something. Pretty yeah. girl. Yeah. But it's kind of become a pornography channel, if I could be honest with you. <laughs> I haven't looked at her Instagram. I've only seen her Twitter. I'll see pictures like that. But uh, Well, I think uh, it's all linked. It's all the same thing. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. she, well, she got to... Her. That's great. Yeah, so she she was... Uh, she got to be friendly with Kale Cleeton. So she said anything she gets that she doesn't spend on her defense that she raises through her GoFundMe, that she'll donate for him to get a van. At the time, I didn't understand what that meant. I thought she was going to give a van to her friend. And then I... Someone told me, no, 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 this guy is like very disabled and he needs a van to get around. It's probably one of these things where like, he needs to like, ride the wheelchair into the van and it's hard to get a – it's not, not trivial to get a vehicle like this. So she's trying – Speaking of disabled, what did we ever do with that money that we had for that one guy that died? Did we ever donate it? You know what? I know there was... No, I, I've, I've been trying. I was trying so hard yeah, to get a hold of his. his I, I'm still holding it. I'm not going to keep it. But I tried so hard to get a hold of his yeah. widow. And, what was his name again? Um, I don't remember. The, the poker player. Kev, that was Kev, that Kevin Rax, a.k.a. Uh, Kevin yeah, Roster. Yeah. yeah. yeah so the scammer I, stole from him. Yes. And no, I got, got, and I got that money back. Right. I got the money back from from one of the scammers who stole. Two scammers yeah. independently stole from him. One of them was well, a young know, kid who, who kind of just made a, a one-time mistake, and the like other a tennis player, like a yeah. BYU or not BYU. Yeah, it was it was a tennis player, right? And and he stole from uh, a former tennis player or something, or but but he he stole from him just to kind of keep in action. It's just like a stupid thing a twenty-year-old did. And then the other one was a career scammer, this Brian Voitek guy who's still scamming to this day. He is a big ACR yeah. scammer. So obviously Voitek, oh, yeah. Voitek was not going to give anything back, but uh, this kid said that uh, he'll give the money well, back, and we made an agreement that I'd remove the threat about him if he paid the money back. Why don't you just donate it to the, whatever the biggest charity is for the, the, the condition he has? Well, that's what I'm going to do. That, that's what I'm going to do at this point. I, I already, yeah. I brought, in fact, I brought it up on the site, and then I, I never ended up uh, following through. But I, yeah, I, I am going to go yeah, ahead and do that. that. So yeah. I, I haven't I actually done it. I don't think you're going to get a hold of his ex-wife at this point. No, I've tried very hard, too. I've tried very hard to give her the money, yeah. but... Uh, uh, anyway, for whatever reason, I, I even tried through a third party, and she wasn't refusing to talk to me. But like the third party saying that even he couldn't get a hold of her anymore, he doesn't know what's happened. So, well, I, listen, what about this? What about donating it to the other crippled guy for his van? <laughs> Maybe some gas, gas for a year. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I, mean I guess that's a possibility. I, I, I was maybe it's a possibility. A I, I was thinking. Yeah, I was thinking of what to do with it. It's, I guess that's a possibility. It's not related to sarcoma, but I guess it is another. Uh, the problem with these charities is, unless and this is the truth, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not the Grinch here. I, I donate. I'm very generous with my with my money and time, but I don't like giving money to charities like that unless you know what the rake is. No, I agree. I, 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 said, I was, I, mean? I was a little concerned about that. Yeah, half of it's going to go to pay someone's salary and a catered lunch. It should, I, you know what I mean? I, I, well, this is, I was thinking of voting. I, I was going to donate it to this uh, sarcoma research fund or something, which, again, you don't know where it all goes, but that's uh, it's only $500. It's not like I'm donating a million bucks to them. So uh, I think we should look and find another good cause, someone that needs that money. Like that thing that, that would go, that you know would literally go into helping someone. That yeah. might even be a better idea at this Maybe. point. I'm yeah. just, but yeah. we'll, we'll discuss it again. I mean, I'll bring it up again. All right. Phone. So anyway. Uh, 
Talk the, about it next summer. So, sure, the, so anyway, sure still have it. they uh, again, Veronica started to push for them to raise the money for this van, which he's been trying to get done for a while. And then, uh, but didn't Bill Perkins pay for this van? Kind of. Didn't he donate so much that that in essence, everyone else's money was that they had sent is what the leftover is that went to the van. Johnny Vibes said that he's going to be donating five dollars per retweet. About Johnny Vibes. That sounds like a character from a Jackass. Movie. Well, he's, he's yeah, he's Johnny he, Vibes. Johnny Vibes is this guy does this poker streamer, this uh, a, uh, a, a vlogger. Yeah, that's right. uh, he, he, so he heard of him. He wrote donating five dollars per retweet. Let's send Kale to the moon in his new van. So then Doug Polk quote tweeted Seems like it. just something like when I was in high school, if I wanted to score some marijuana, we'd be like, let's call Johnny Vibes. <laughs> so he has, you know what <laughs> I mean? Yeah, I think you're okay, right. Yeah, that's who you go to. So, yeah, so Doug, Doug Polk said, I'll be real. I'm not a big vibes guy, but being willing to pay $5 per tweet for an unknown of retweets, that takes balls. Please, please retweet this, guys. Let's get this thing to 1K retweets. Now, I don't know if Doug was trying to help KL or was just trying to fuck Johnny Vibes and get him to have to pay out a fortune here, but uh, he said, let's get it up to 1K. And then so Johnny Vibes said, if I get unblocked and retweeted by Phil Helmuth, it'll be icing on the cake. And then Daniel Anderson now, Moon, Moon Child, Moon Girl. Moon, Moon Girl, who, who, who fortunately, uh, d- I don't think he hates us anymore. We had to apologize anymore. to her. Remember? Yeah, we had to apologize, right? but I think, I think she did. accepted it. I think she accepted it. She said, uh, Phil Helmuth. Well, it wasn't even, hold on, it wasn't even your fault, though. It wasn't. If I recall correct, it was. Uh, it was It was one of our co-hosts. It was, it was a, oh, we're going to be honest now. We're, we're not throwing no one under the bus, but it starts with a V, right? Yes. Is it? And he said something unflattering, but you had no part of it. I had no part of it. But we had to apologize nonetheless, regardless. Yes, that's what happened. So anyway, and not the girl. This isn't the girl from that manages the WSO. No, but, but, but I'm gonna, I think I may have to apologize to her soon too because we had a guy on tonight that was bashing her pretty Daniela badly. Barilla, Barilla. Yeah, Danielle Barilla, and about the way the job she's doing. There was a guy on tonight oh, I interviewed geez. who who really wasn't okay. happy with her. We we I, I didn't say anything personally insulting, but the, as far as the job that's being I done. I gotta hear that segment because I know nothing about this. Yeah, it, it's but, pretty it's pretty egregious, but I, I can okay. I can tell you after this if you're interested. But yeah, anyway, no, that's fine. Uh, sure. D Moon girl there, Daniel Anderson, she then tried to get Helmuth's attention because I guess Helmuth blocked Johnny Vibes in the past for whatever reason. Phil Helmuth, please unblock Johnny Vibes and retweet his promise of a $5 donation for the KL Cleeton fan fundraiser for max punishments for a good cause, she hashtags. So then he says, my, so then Johnny Vibe says, uh, my wife is going to kill me. So at this time, you may wonder how many retweets does uh, Johnny Vibes have? And I wasn't one of them. I didn't do this. But uh, uh, 1.9K retweets, so almost up to 2,000 retweets, which is almost $10,000 that he has pledged to uh, donate, which uh, is a lot of retweets for the poker community on Twitter, which isn't huge. So that happened, and then uh, this is where Bill Perkins came in. Bill Perkins said that uh, he's going to pledge $25,000 if uh, – like, I think he's going to make up the difference of whatever it doesn't get up to uh, 25000 that Vibes has to donate. So if, if Vibes gets fewer than 5,000 retweets, the balance will be donated by – Perkins. So if it stopped today, Vibes would be p- donating about 10k, and then uh, Perkins would be donating the other 15. So anyway, uh, they were able to raise enough 
to where they're saying that uh, he is going to be able to get the van. Or it's it's not quite there, but it's it's getting very close. So uh, um, Kale Cleeton put out a thank you message on May 23rd. He said, this medium isn't going to be the best way for me to express how grateful I am today, but I'll give it a shot. Thank you to every single person who's donated, retweeted, and spread the word, and sent messages of support and kindness. I can't tell you how much I appreciate all of it. I'll forever be indebted to Veronica for putting all this together. She started all this when she was literally in the worst place to take on another thing, referring to the uh, puzzle thing, the height of the puzzle scandal. But, as always, she saw something wrong and did something about it. I can't thank her enough for everything, and most of all, just being a great friend. I've been blown away by how much all of you have supported me and continue to support me, and I can't wait for the chance to see all of you in person so you can try to stack me, KL. So Aww, it looks, nice. looks like a happy ending. He seems legitimately grateful. Well, uh, they also say that uh, if the van is a rockin', don't come a knockin'. <laughs> so you see the van rockin', don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe he can do more than that. He can feel things, you know. He's, he's, well, not, he's He can't move, but he can feel. That's... That, I don't want to get too graphic yeah. here, but it might be rocking. You never know. Does this uh, angry Pollock, does she listen to the fraud show or no? Uh, no, but she has listened to no. some segments and she's been on a few times. No, good. In fact, I got a compliment from her once that when she was waiting to come on and I was describing everything going on with her, uh, she sent me a message that uh, she thought the show was surprisingly good and, and that she thought it was funny and she liked the, the laughing sound effects. Oh, and she, she was actually uh, she she gave a compliment there. Anyway, I hope it goes well for her at that. Uh, she's kind of blown up, huh? Like uh, uh, two years ago, I would have no idea who this woman is, and now she's on my Poker After Dark channel. She's all on the internet. She's well, done a good job for herself. That, that's what Mike Postle has been alleging. This whole thing was just to, to blow up her uh, profile in poker. So maybe you're agreeing with him. Yeah. Mm. I, I don't believe that, but uh, that's what was being alleged. Anyway, so that's the feel-good story. We talk about so many negative things on here, so I, I, I wanted to put a positive story out there of the poker players getting together to do something nice for somebody who's obviously had Good. a very tough life. And uh, I once helped Cletus get a scooter. That's I did, too. In fact, Cletus, I you know he wasn't handicapped, but he uh, he didn't have any well, money. mentally, and, he was and Yeah, he had some issues mentally. So Well, he admitted that. I'm not being mean. Like, he... Was in a war or something, and something happened. I don't know with a bomb, maybe. Grenade, yeah. Who knows? But yeah. Uh, but he had Cl- like a post-stress uh, syndrome from the war. Yes. So Cletus, uh, we actually raised money for a, a scooter for him on Donk Down, and uh, one uh, big props I'll give to Cletus in the 2010s. I forgot exactly which year, but some kind of like in the mid 2010s, Cletus uh, approached me and handed me money. And this I was said, like three or four years ago. It wasn't even that long ago. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, I said like the mid-2010s. To pay, people, but to pay people back. Yeah, so he came up to me at the World Series and handed me cash. And I said, what's this for? And he said, I'm paying you back. I said, oh, no, no, this wasn't a loan. We were just uh, buying you a scooter to, um, as something nice we're all doing. No, 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 no. I want to give it back. I said, oh, you I'm telling you, it was not a loan. I, I never expected this. I was. Uh, I never gave this as a loan. It was a gift. And he said, Well, listen, I don't want to have like sound like I have a donator's remorse but I never got a penny back from what I donated. Well, it's funny because he, he said he was looking for everybody, and I, I forgot if he asked about you specifically, but he asked, have you seen this person, have you seen that person? And I, and I said, uh, I, I, think I tried to give him help to find whoever he was asking about. I, I forgot if you were mentioned, but um, whoever he asked about that he was looking for that he hadn't been able to pay back yet, I told him how to reach them, and I don't know if he did or not. I guess he didn't get to you. I think I may have mentioned about you, but... He 
he insisted I take the money, and I could tell it was very important to him that I take it because he really felt like it, it was that he didn't want to feel like a burden to anybody, even people who could afford it. He felt like that that he was helped in a rough spot, and then once he got some money together, that he wanted to pay for his own scooter and basically, you know, thank you very much for what you did, and now here's the money back. And it was very important to him that I take this money back, Good. so I took it. So that was the only reason I took it. I wasn't trying to be a cheap Jew and go, ah, perfect, my, my donation I can get back. <laughs> it wasn't like that. I was like, I really kept trying to say, you can keep it, don't worry about it, this is never a loan, and it became clear that he really wanted me to take it and it was going to make him feel much better if I took it. So I took it anyway, uh, props to him for that. And, uh, I hope he's doing well. Occasionally he posts on poker fraud alert. We haven't seen that much of him in a while, but occasionally he pops up. I think he popped up within the last few months and posted something. So let's move on here and, uh, talk about our next subject, which, uh, I think, might be I might actually put give the floor to you. Let me Yeah, when are we getting the Vegas stuff here, buddy? I gotta you know Well that's stuck around you called a little earlier than expected, the, but yeah, that's actually, actually the, no, we are up to you. I, I actually have on the agenda Brandon's Vegas topics because I uh, didn't have any. I didn't I didn't have any to bring and I thought maybe you it seems like whenever you come on you say, Hey, have you heard of this or that? And it's either something I heard of and forgot to put it on the agenda or something that I hadn't heard of. So is there anything that's going on in Vegas that you would like to talk about? Well, yeah, there's there's a couple interesting things. Uh so there's a this metric that I don't know, one of these polling companies uses and it involves it it, it the the point of the metric is to determine uh, how expensive any particular week, weekend, month in Vegas is to come visit. So the metric combines like the average room rate. And I don't know like how they do that. Like meaning like they incorporate a place like Palace Station, which is, you know, 30, 40, 50 at night during the weekend. They incorporate a place like the Wynn, which could be on the weekend. But anyhow, so they somehow have a formula. They don't say how that comes up with the average uh night a room costs at any particular time in the entire city. And they also incorporate rental car costs and other small variables. So anyhow, using this metric, and again, this was something I read in the Las Vegas Review Journal, this very weekend, specifically tonight, tomorrow, and Monday night, are the most expensive nights to stay in Vegas since when? And the when is I'm asking you a question. When was the last time the metric was this high? I would say For New Year's coming from 19 to 20. That's exactly what it was. This is the most expensive weekend for rooms and, and for, uh, uh, you know, I guess rental cars since New Year's Eve 2019, December 31st. Um, so this is a big weekend. Uh, this weekend is jammed, packed, crazy. Uh, so, I mean, that's good. I'm not going near this strip because um, it's, I mean, it's really chaotic. It, if you went there, it would rival, you know, like any big weekend, Super Bowl, so, you know, Sunday, July 4th, uh, you name it. I mean, it's going to be packed. And uh, I know I had someone today that had to go to a casino on the strip in the afternoon. And, and he just said you could barely walk. It was just packed with people, you know, playing, walking, playing slots, coming and going. Um, so that's good. You know, I mean, for the city, you know, they. they, they oh, yeah. Yeah. It's massive gotta, recovery so far. Yeah. They got to love that. Uh Something else interesting that uh, made the news. This is actually funny. Me being out here so long, uh, I, I didn't know this. Obviously, <clears throat> still a lot of the talk is is 
about the buildup towards June 24th. Like you guys have your June 15th as the big date in, in California. Well, we have our June 24th as a big day in Nevada, specifically Southern Nevada. Druff, as a reminder here, what happens June 24th? Is that when the conventions return? No, that's when uh, Resort Worlds opens. Oh, Resort Worlds. I, I knew that. I don't know why I was thinking the conventions. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. first big convention, which is a concrete convention that's going to bring about 30,000 people, also opens the last week of June. Uh, I don't think see, that, that's why I got coinciding. confused. Yeah. That's why I got but confused. That's, no, this is – so this is really strange. They build the resort. They get the building permits and, and they, you know, build, there's three towers, three different Hilton towers and, or actually, I'm sorry, there's two, three different hotels and they're going to have over 50 restaurants and they got the restaurants done and uh, obviously the, you know, furniture and, and, and the rooms, everything's all done. Okay, we're 28 days, 27 days for, away from launch. What do you think was the one thing they didn't do yet or they hadn't done yet that needed to be done? probably won't guess it but it's really remarkable no i have no idea they hadn't received their regulatory approval from the gaming commission to <laughs> operate a casino which which is funny because you would think that's like what they did four years ago before yeah. they even because what happens if everything's up and about and then the you know gaming commission is like oh sorry we can't grant you so anyhow they had only applied a month prior and then on thursday may 20th so i guess this was a little over a week ago Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, no, no. It was this past Thursday. That's just a picture. This past Thursday, uh, the Nevada Gaming Commission, the regulatory uh, commission, gave approval to the Malaysian-based, uh, Kuala Lumpur-based, to be more specific, Genting Group, which is the name of the company that is running the casino. And the commissioner said, we look forward to seeing it open and running uh blah 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 but they just got approval yesterday or two days ago now technically i was Which, gonna again, say kind of strange you'd think that's something they did you know a year in the building or what i don't know yeah that's that, really weird i, I there must have been some kind of oversight but i, I was not sure say, it was a formality but that's but yeah that's it just got approved uh on thursday yeah i was gonna say that uh if this was an oversight and they're like oh shit what if we don't have this in time i was gonna say this is such a major opening and the gaming commission knows that that I, I have to imagine that they would speed this up and give them an approval really fast and make sure it doesn't interfere with the opening because this is such a major hotel. It is the first new construction hotel that's opening in over 10 years and and even bigger than uh, the last one that did, which is the Cosmo. So this is a huge deal. and Yeah to say oh we sorry well, we can't biggest, we, it's the most expensive casino ever built in the united states yeah so to say oh sorry you we can't open at the day we said we're going to or it's going to be very limited because there's no gambling because the gaming commission to give us permission that would make vegas look awful and so obviously the commission is well and then the other thing you have to remember is the employees that have already given notice and in some cases even quit their other jobs to accept jobs there like a lot many many most of the key positions you know dealers floor supervisors cocktail support you know all that they, they've all been long ago hired and you know background checks have, have gone through interview processes have been concluded so if something happened and it, would, it was delayed you'd have even more people out of work so but anyhow everything looks on track for that and uh i don't know i uh i'm gonna see how it goes because let me tell you i had to drive 
uh, I don't remember where it was. I had to drive somewhere recently where I was passing. Oh, I can't remember where it was. Where I was passing Resort Worlds going north on Las Vegas Boulevard. And it was one lane both ways because the roads, other two lanes were completely torn up on Las Vegas Boulevard. So the point I'm making is it is going to be an absolute clusterfuck getting in and out of that casino, at least the first few weeks, if not months. Um, assuming they even get, I mean, the way I saw it three weeks ago, I, I can't imagine the roads are finished by then. I mean, they're just torn up, like leading into the left turn. You know, you're going north, or I guess if you're coming from downtown, it'd be a right turn. But one lane on the strip. So well, there was a picture. Going- well, let me ask you about this. Uh, this may be related. Kessler posted a picture of a geyser that was by yeah, Resort World. Main, a water main broke a, a few weeks ago. That it was huge. Um, I couldn't believe it. it looked yes, like you were watching Old Faithful. I, I'm not even yeah, kidding. It did. Yep. Yeah, water main broke. You know, I don't. I don't know myself why, but this has been a long running theme for 20 years since I've been here. That the sewer system and the water pipes under the strip. It just it, they continually act up. The infrastructure must be so poor. I don't know if you remember the Bellagio years ago had to close for like a day or two because they didn't have water. Um, there's been other instances where water has been shut off or there's been leaks. Uh, I, I I'm not an engineer. I don't pretend to know what what these issues are, but it's been a common problem with these water pipes under the strip. You know, uh, maybe it's those under the strip uh, tunnel people that are fucking with them. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. You know so. what was really scary, but it could have really been a gigantic disaster, but it was averted. There was a major gas leak a number of years ago on Tropicana, like a major one that had it ignited could have caused a, a massive explosion of all explosions because like a long way down Tropicana was a big gas leak. And yeah. they caught it in time to shut off the gas there. And uh, and then nothing ignited it, but it could even be like a spark from a car going by. They just they, yeah. they got lucky that nothing ignited it while the the gas was leaking because it was a long way and it would have made a chain reaction all the way down Tropicana of this giant explosion. Uh, people would have been talking about this for for many many years and it would have killed a lot of people. But they you don't yeah. most people don't even know about this. Do you remember this story? Most people don't even know yeah, about it. Of course. It. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Most people yeah. don't even know about this because it, no, no one got I'm harmed. Very well from read. It. I'm very well read, sir. Okay. I'm. Impressed to yeah. knew that most people. You mentioned the Tropicana gas leak. They're going what? Even people who live in Vegas, like they, it just because, because nothing, nobody got hurt from it. But it was it was very close to people really getting hurt from it. So yeah, Jeez. Uh, that that was uh, when I read about that. Like, so oh, the boy. point is, uh, I was contemplating. I would never ever go to Resort Worlds on the opening weekend, but I was contemplating going maybe on Monday, but more likely Tuesday, uh, as I did with when Circa opened. I was at Circa. Uh, the first weekday or maybe the second weekday. Or actually, no, I was there the day it opened, which was on a week. But anyhow, so I was contemplating doing that, but I, I, I would never. And I have some friends that are coming into town that are actually staying there. Well, you actually, uh, we have the same friends. You know, the one guy with the yes. girl. Yes. You know, so they actually have a reservation. And so, but I don't think I could. Uh, I, I would just imagine it would be a. I don't care about the crowds as much. I mean, you know, even with the with the with the virus. But just the parking and, and all that would, would just, I would imagine, be a nightmare. And can, considering I know how the roads already are now. So maybe, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm excited. I'm excited to see it. Uh, the last, prop, you know, fully from the ground up casino to open like this was uh, technically the Circa. But, you know, that was downtown and it's a little bit different. But the last 
big strip resort to open from the ground up was, as you know, the the Cosmo. Um, that was in 2010, the end of 2010, like New Year's Eve or maybe a couple days before. And then before that, you had the win. Now, I'm not counting like the Encore being built, which was attached to the win or the Plaza. No, the, but the Aria so came in between. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. The Aria City Center. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're correct. So, but anyhow, you know, so this is big news. A lot of people are excited, and, and I am. You know, I like to just, you know, I'll be able to walk in. I, I am hoping I walk in, and I, I just immediately experience the wow factor. That's what I, I want. I don't want to be disappointed just because, you know, this has just been so long in the making, and, you know, it's going to be a fixture here forever. I, I want to walk in and be wowed. Yeah, um, I'm going to definitely the be rooms. there. I'll definitely be in huh? Vegas within a month or so of when it opens. So definitely on that uh, visit, I well, will. Well, maybe I'll go with you. We'll be wild together. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, we, we, you can come. And uh... that's very nice of you. I can come. <laughs> you can come. So you listen, uh, I'll give you permission. Wife, a husband and wife came to Vegas uh, last week. The the husband wanted to go to Vegas. The wife wanted, or the wife wanted to go to Vegas. The husband husband wanted a vacation in uh, Texas. They're uh, a couple from Idaho. And they stay at the Westgate, and they're not having a great gambling trip. Uh, you know, maybe it's because they're staying at the Westgate. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, on the way out the door, a woman puts in uh, $10 before they're on their way to the airport. You hear these stories all the time. Uh, $10 into a Wheel of Fortune machine where the max bet is five quarters. So you're betting $1.25 to spin. And about three or four minutes in, uh, what happens, Druff? She hits the jackpot. She hits a jackpot for $1.25 million, and uh, this Idaho couple said it was the best vacation they've ever taken. So, yeah. What a, what a, see, another feel-good story. Yeah. Especially, especially because the husband didn't want to go to Vegas, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Now, I wonder how much uh, they shot off on slots lifetime prior to this. Obviously not $1.25 million, but this story, just from the way you're characterizing it, Sounds like that the wife is a woman who's very into slots and probably has shot off a lot of money. A lot of you don't know this, but women are disproportionately playing slots compared to men. Women are very big on slots, and that's who they try to appeal to. When they design these slots and when they market them, they try to appeal to women. And Now, it's not that men aren't compulsive gamblers. A lot of men uh, shoot off on other things. But as you guys know, in poker, it's almost all male. But uh, in in uh, with slots, it's uh, a lot more female. So to me, this kind of sounds like, without knowing this couple at all, that she loves shooting off on slots. This guy probably didn't, and he probably was annoyed that his wife would waste their money on this. I'm guessing they weren't high rollers if they're staying at the Westgate, but... I imagine they probably go there and every time he's annoyed of whatever she wastes on the slots and then uh, she convinced him to go and then uh, things weren't going well again and then she, at her last attempt to win something, hits that. Imagine you're putting in that crumpled $10 bill that you already had, like, you know, for a sandwich or coffee at the, oh, at the you know, airport on the way to home. Like all this, you know what I mean? That last yeah. crumpled, it's in your wallet. It's, it, you know, the slot machine bill validator won't even accept it because it's so crumpled. <laughs> and you finally get it in. And I mean, Jesus, That's, you know, so 1.25 million. And, and, you know, a lot of people don't know that, know this. Uh, so let's tell them real fast. When you hit any progressive at, at that amount. Uh, so let's just take the one that, that this lady from Idaho hit. You hit 1.2 million from Wheel of Fortune and you have a couple choices here. 
you know what those choices are? Um, in I terms actually, of what happens when you win to get to start getting some money. No, actually, I don't know that. So what happens is, it's kind of misleading. You're not going to just get a check for 1.25 million and walk out the door. What will end up happening is you'll have an option to either get a lump sum in which the company will take out a certain amount of money. Okay, kind of like with the well, not kind of like, but very similar to the lottery. Or you will get the full amount of 1.25 million, but it's paid over a fixed amount of years. I had no idea that casinos do this. That sounds like a scam. Go ahead, go ahead and Google it. Wow, that's, that's, a, I've that's, never heard of that before, but you might ahead, be right. Go ahead I'm and Google not... it. I'm 1,000% I'm right. Uh, so like when someone hits megabucks, they don't just get the $30 million. They, they can, And most people always choose the lump sum, uh, not getting it over 30 years or whatever the, the amount of time is. And then that's not counting the taxes. So you know, say you read someone gets it's $30 million. That's a high amount. Well, $20 million in megabucks. You know, you get maybe 12 or $13 million you know, right then and there to leave. And then you have to pay taxes on top of that. So it's never that exciting amount per se that, that you see, uh, you know, publicized. It's always going to be a little bit less. So you're saying um, they can't just go cash the giant cardboard nope. check. The giant nope. cardboard, the giant cardboard check is not acceptable at the bank. Absolutely not. Yeah. I, I was hoping I could bring it to a giant bank and the, the circa casino, which opened in the heart of the pandemic, it's downtown. Uh, it's a beautiful casino. Uh, if you when if and when you come, you should definitely go there. If not for no other reason, to visit the sports book, the most amazing sports book. Um, it it literally is layered like it's a stadium, like not like a football stadium, but like a smaller, maybe like a soccer stadium, where like literally you know you could walk to the very top up these stairs, walk back down to like you know where the the obviously where they. The ticket writers are. That's kind of like the, the ground level, but it's it's a spectacle. It's the nicest sports book I've ever been in, and by far, it's it's insane with the amount of screens. So anyhow, I stayed there for for two nights. Um, and one of these days, not tonight, but one of these days, I'll actually give a trip report o- over. I explored the restaurants, the casino, the rooms, uh, everything. But the circa is really trying to be the sports betting capital of Vegas, and and almost certainly the world. Um, with their contests and their rules and their bets, the, the high the high limits they let people off the street bet, um, contests throughout the years, just just that's their big thing. You know, the, the sports book is really what they're known for. Maybe the second thing is is their uh, stadium swimming pool. So anyhow, this kind of rings dear to my heart, and you'll know why in a second. The Circa announced today they are upping the guaranteed or Thursday. They announced they're upping the guaranteed money prize pool for their two most popular football contests that last year were just amazing successes. So last year they have a number they had a number of contests, but their two most two most popular ones were called the Circa Millions and the Circa Survivor. Now the Circa Millions is ex- almost exactly similar to the very popular and prestigious Westgate pick the pros contest in which every week you pick five games. I think it's five at Westgate. I imagine it's five at circuit, but don't quote me on that. But any, any, every single week of the NFL season, you pick a fixed amount of games. Okay. That they tell you. So, you know, say there's 16 games that week, you pick five or you pick six or whatever. 
and they give you a line, a fixed line, usually by Tuesday of, of the spread, and that's it. And you pick your five games, four games, whatever, versus spread, and then you literally compete against everybody else. The person with the highest record when week 17, this year will be week 18, because there's 17 weeks in the NFL this year for the first time ever, uh, and then there's one bye week. Anyhow, whoever's on top of the leaderboard has the best record. Uh, that's it. They get the lion's share of the, 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 the prize pool. Uh, easily, you're an overnight millionaire. In fact, uh, there was somebody, a poker player, won this contest last year. Who was it? We talked about it on this show. One of uh, a well-known poker pro, and uh, was it Matt Glance or, or no, someone no, else? No, I want to no, say no. Uh, ODB Baker won it with uh, Mark Gregorich. That's right. Yeah, I, I, or I think they finished season. second, but they won a lot of money. Okay, whatever. Right, whatever it was, they made the news because they they beat a, a huge field. So anyhow, last year, the guaranteed amount for this contest was six million. It was so successful, and they're so confident. They bumped up, and uh, the buy-in, by the way, is a thousand dollars. And this is even better. And I, you know, I can't imagine they're going to do this forever. Out of the thousand dollars that every contestant puts in, how much do you think goes back to the prize pool? Seeing out of five thousand, what's the rake? Is that the well? Question? No, for every thousand, no, it's a thousand. It's a thousand to enter. And what do you think the the rake is? Is it a hundred dollars? Zero rake. Wow. According to according to the Las Vegas Sun, I'm quoting, the cost to enter is a thousand dollars with a hundred percent of the money slated to go back to the contestants. That's zero rake to me, right? Does that sound like zero rake to you? Yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, last year it was guaranteed at six million. What do you think they bumped it up to this year? Ten million. Exactly that. Are you reading this article? No, no, I'm guessing. Okay. I'm guessing. All right, yeah, ten million. So now, as I mentioned before I got into this, the part that, you know, rings near and dear to my heart, like this isn't the bad beat of the century, but the second contest they have at the same time, and you can play both, you can play one, you know, obviously you can play zero, is another popular form of, of well, football contest. It's called the Circus Survi Survivor, in which case this year it's called the Circus Survivor 2. Do you know what a Survivor contest is in, in football draft? I knew, but I forgot. So what a survivor contest is, is you go, and this format can change to some degree, but usually the premise is the same. From week one all the way to the last regular season week of football, you pick one team to win. Straight up win. Okay? Meaning they can't lose. Okay? They can't tie. They don't have to cover any spread. They just have to flat out win. Now, you're listening to this, you're like, oh, that sounds easy, I want in. Well, the one caveat is you can't pick the same team twice. So the problem that most people run into when they do this is, is twofold. Number one, upsets in the beginning of the season. You think a team's really good, uh, you know, they're getting a lot of preseason uh, publicity, but they end up shitting the bed, and they're not good, and they lose early on, or they lose to a, on, at least on paper, inferior team, and you're out. That's it. You're done. Or the second problem is you've used all the good teams early in the season. So when you get back to week 11 and 12, you have to pick the New York Jets at home or the Detroit Lions because you've already used. So there's a lot of strategy in this in which you have to balance, uh, you know, saving your the dominant teams for later on, but at the same time surviving, hence the name. 
Um, and you have to look at the schedule, well, in the ma- matchups. So, again, getting back to why this is near and dear to my heart. Last year they had, again, a $6 million guarantee. I don't remember after week 17 how many people were left, uh, but there was enough that the remaining contestants split $667,000 each. So I guess uh, even though it was a $6 million guarantee prize pool, I'm sure it exceeded that. So anyhow, if you did not miss a team the entire year, you got 667000 So probably 12 to 15 people ended up getting this, this $667,000. Our own, PFA's own, Trader Ruski. Yo, buddy. Hey, hey, buddy. How you doing? I'm just talking about the uh, Circa, uh, uh, what have you. So our own Trader Ruski contacts me a few days before football and says he has a friend that, that runs a very big Survivor League. Do I want in with him? It's like a $30 contest. I'm like, sure, you know, 30 each or whatever it was. So we split the fee. We both do it. What do you think happens? We go completely undefeated. Don't lose a single fucking game. And again, people are like home are like thinking, well, it's not hard. You're just picking. It is hard because there's always upsets and, and you know, the, the skill again involved in making sure you have teams, you know, in the middle at the end of the season that you haven't used. We went undefeated. So in essence, if we literally would have ponied up the $500 each, uh, we would have walked away with about $330,000 wow, each, each. Same. And the rule, it's the same thing because you're just, you know, picking a team. So yeah. whether it's a $30 contest, a thousand or ten thousand, the rules are the same. You pick a team, you can only pick them once. If you lose, you're done. So anyhow, they are again this year running it, and they're bumping it up from six million to what, Druff? Ten million. Ten million guaranteed. So uh, I mean, that's big. You know, that's that's uh, for the entirety of even when I was a kid coming out here, up until a couple years ago, the Westgate had a stranglehold on these high end football contest like no one even I mean, i'm sure like mgm at some point or another casino tried to kind of get a a mid-limit mid-limit type contest but there's several hundred dollar entry fee 500 maybe even and it never took off because it was always the westgate that just dominated this. so anyhow it looks like circuit's really just gonna try to take that from westgate and I guess there's enough market to have two of these high-end contests so for those of you that are listening now, uh, we had some technical problems, so we're going to briefly go over a subject that we just went over. In the news the last week, uh, this has been a hotly debated topic. This, the Nevada Senate Majority Leader, her name is Nicole Kinazaro. She's a Democrat from Las Vegas. She's written a piece of legislation that would give hospitality workers that were laid off during the pandemic the right of first return at their former workplaces with the one exception that this does not apply to people that were fired for disciplinary reasons so what this means in essence is uh, if you're a resort and you want to hire you need uh, room service staff or you need uh, security and you laid off people during the pandemic for pandemic reasons only that had that exact or very similar job description you would have to contact them, notify them, and offer them their same job before you could hire somebody that uh, hadn't worked that position or, or has never worked for your company. You couldn't just hire somebody off the street that just moved here from Connecticut and doesn't have any affiliation with your with your company. And this has obviously drawn attention to both sides. Some people think that it's it's great. Obviously, the union loves it. 
because these people have an opportunity to get their jobs back, but others think that it's uh, just unfair regulation and over, you know, oversight by the government getting involved in private businesses. So Druff was given his reasons, and he'll he'll give them again as to why initially he liked uh, this bill, but then after thinking about it real fast, and again, Druff had mentioned he did not know anything about this until I just mentioned it, so he hadn't really had a long time to form an opinion, but uh, went back and said that on second thought, he doesn't think this bill is a great idea. So uh, go ahead, Druff, and explain again why you what your thoughts are yeah and to show um, you our dedication actually, here we're, we're actually we're actually senate, it's we're, called senate bill 386 we're having a, a discussion again we just had 10 minutes ago because uh, radio went down and we didn't realize it and a listener told me and fortunately we didn't talk for more than 10 minutes to nobody uh, so anyway uh we're, we're redoing this segment for everybody here but even though we just had this discussion so this is the second time around but i'm going to try to say essentially the same thing i said before when it wasn't broadcasting and that is that initially when i heard brandon mention this bill i thought oh yeah that makes sense that makes sense to give people their jobs back give them the first chance of getting the jobs they lost only because of covid yeah, doesn't that sound fair? Why should these people be behind those who didn't already have these jobs and lost the jobs through no fault of their own? But then I thought about it a little bit more and I realized that this isn't a good idea. It's one of these things that sounds good until you really think about it. And the reason I think this isn't good is that employees, unless they're contract employees, they always have protections, and especially if they're union employees. They always have protections from getting fired. Once you have hired them, it's not... You can't just get rid of them by saying, you're fired, get out the door. There's all kinds of legal protections they have, and even if you have a crappy employee, there's a lot you need to do to justify why you're firing them, and if you don't, you could be facing wrongful termination suits, even frivolous ones. So you really want to make sure you have everything in order to prove that this person was a lousy employee before you fire them. And uh, a good example was two years ago with Smashburger, where I got the assistant manager fired, and they actually had a new general manager there uh, specifically to get rid of her and improve the night shift. And uh, they just di- weren't quite there. They weren't quite lawsuit-proof yet. And then here I came with a very credible r- complaint that I was willing to write up. And they were very happy to have it because I was an unbiased third party who had an actual customer experience that was terrible, very egregious. And uh, they were able to use that if she were to try to sue them. And they felt confident letting her go. So that was an example of someone they wanted to get rid of, never wanted back, but couldn't quite fire until something bad enough happened to be yeah. able to terminate her. So so uh, along the same lines, uh, when these layoffs happen, even though it had nothing to do with performance, they, they laid off, uh, probably laid off the worst employees first, but they, they also, probably some of this had to do with seniority and the union jobs, and uh, you know, just a certain percentage of the workforce got laid off because of a lack of need for them, because the, the casinos were closed or running at lower capacity. But when it comes time to fully rehire again, what the empl- what the casinos are going to want to do is kind of have a reset with who they can hire. So they'll definitely want to, on their own, bring back all the decent employees, because why not? These people know the job well. They don't have to be trained. They were reliable. They had stayed at the job for a while, presumably. They So you're not going to have them there two weeks and they quit because they hate it. You're going to have people who we're already in place and already doing a good job that you can just drop right in and continue as if nothing happened. That's an ideal situation. Well, yep. Yeah. And, and let me say one other thing. I'm sorry. I didn't mention this before, but one of the 
specifics in the mandate for this bill that casinos do not like is that it gives employees 10 days to decide if they will accept their prior job back. And then the last thing I want to say is that, uh, and then you comment further, the Nevada Resort Association, which is the lobbying group for basically uh, the entire state of Nevada, the casinos, hotels, resorts, you name it, released this statement. Aside from being unnecessary, this bill would further damage Nevada's recovery efforts by placing a burden on employers through needless, time-consuming, and counterproductive, counterproductive requirements that will significantly slow down rehiring, and it will further delay bringing more Nevadans back to work. It would also open the door for frivolous lawsuits, and it would further distract the tourm industry from its recovery efforts. Um, and that that's the entirety of the statement. So... I can understand that with the 10 days, like, you know, so it's 10 days and you have to bring somebody back in and, you know, it's your talk. It could be two weeks, if not longer, just to get a low level employee back that, that you need. And not only First, that, if you like an employee that wants to work for you, now you have to say, wait a minute, wait 10 days, don't take another job. And uh, we got to see who comes back here and who doesn't. And maybe that person will take another position by then. So that's another thing is you can't grab employees that uh, want to work for you. You have to make them wait and maybe they'll go do something else in the meantime. So I can understand that objection definitely. And and, and there is an additional burden. And I think they don't want to say it, but I think they also are uh, trying – if you read between the lines, they're trying to say also – we don't want everybody back. There are some certain employees we'd prefer not to come see back. We'd rather take a chance on some new people to replace the lousy ones that got laid off and the good ones that got laid off and the decent ones that got laid off. Uh, we're going to bring them back anyway. That's According to the article, there isn't a single casino slash resort that has gone on record supporting the measure. Shocker. Yeah. yeah. So that's one of these things that it sounds fair. It sounds good. It sounds just. And, I think this also leans towards people's bias that uh, much like an object in motion tends to stay in motion, people tend to believe that someone who has a job deserves to keep a job. And yet, if they don't have a job yet, you feel like they're less entitled to it, which I don't necessarily agree with. And that's why when I hear, oh, Druff, you got this person fired, you know, they've got to pay their rent too. And I say, well, yeah, but there's someone else who's going to get their job. It's not like the job just disappears. Someone else is going to get it who also has to pay rent and currently can't because they don't have a job. So you're actually giving the position yeah. to someone more deserving. So I don't think you should get people fired over fl- frivolous, stupid things. But if someone's horrible at their job or, or, or treats a customer horribly or abuses their position, you shouldn't say, oh, it's it's terrible to get someone fired because all you're doing is you're replacing them with someone who deserves the position more. You're not just eliminating the and, position. And again, my position was, uh, I'm not sure if we were cut off, I think we were, is in general, I like the most minimum amount of go- government oversight that's needed uh, for the private sector. Meaning I don't feel as if government should be mandating to private businesses who they have to hire, how they should hire. I, you know what I mean? I, I just, I don't like that, that type of reach. Yeah, I, I, don't, like I, don't, I typically don't know. either because the problem is what sounds very simple and straightforward starts to get abused and people start to find loopholes to protect themselves when they don't deserve protection or to abuse the system. And so yeah. every time you enact one of these protections, you've got to make sure, number one, it's not too burdensome, and number two, it's not open to abuse. And if it is, yeah. sometimes what ends up happening is whatever little good it does – there's a lot more harm brought with it. The cure is much worse uh, than the disease. So you've always got to watch out with anything you do 
to man to restrict or regulate private business that you're not introducing new problems that are worse yeah. than the problems you're trying to solve. Got it. Okay, so I don't mean to rush through this, but I have two more things I want to cover, and I, I you know, I'm trying to time this perfectly for radio. Uh, I have a Nigerian scammer that's still texting me. I'm trying to string him along tonight <laughs> so I don't lose him so we can have him uh, call on the show because this is, you know, this segment or this Nigerian scamming thing is, is coming to an end. I can't see how I can string him along another week. It's been going on now for almost two <laughs> yeah. months. So any last thoughts on this bill? Which, no, I think I've said now, It likely isn't going to be passed, but you never know. Um, they have until the end of May where then the reset starts for it to be passed. So they only have a number, three more days. So any last thoughts? No, I've, I've given my thoughts. Okay. Uh, good timing that we're doing radio today because this was just released yesterday. Uh, the Nevada Gaming Commission released, or the State Controlling Board, I should say, released the figures for April. Obviously, we're still in May, so uh, we don't know anything yet for this month, which I expect that it's even going to be greater than last month. But anyhow... For the second month in a row, casinos in Nevada reported record house winnings, showing signs that tourism is fastly returning to pre-pandemic levels, even faster than many experts expected. The State Gaming Control Board announced on Thursday that last month, and again, that's April, uh, overall casino win was blank, a robust 11% higher than the amount in april 2019 and i say blank because i of course want you to guess what was the total casino win for the month of april entire state i'd say uh 1.2 billion 1.04 billion which was up 11 percent compared to 936 million for april 2019 uh this is the first time ever that there was back-to-back billion-dollar months. Um, it was just kind of incredible. Uh, Mark Layton, or I'm sorry, Mark Lawton, a senior analyst for the regulatory board, said winnings in April sl- ticked up slightly in the Key Las Vegas Strip Resort Corridor, while casinos in downtown tallied an all-time record winning for consecutive months, meaning for, I guess, the month of March and April, downtown casinos and the off the strip casinos had never had two months uh, this high of profits. So, I mean, that just goes to tell you uh, how great things are that there's we're just barely into the recovery and casinos are having record profitability months. Reno recorded its highest monthly casino winning total since July of 2008. It means Reno grossed more money or had more casino winnings last month than they had in 13 years. I mean, that's outrageous, isn't it? I mean, just to tell you, people just can't wait to get out and just uh, uh, gamble. And you're right, people have saved money from from unemployment and other things, and they're using it. The sports bet winning statewide, although it doesn't say the amount, was the highest winning sports betting month ever for the in, in April. Meaning that even with Super Bowl months and March Madness, sports books had never won as much money as it did in April. That's what it says here. Uh, so, out of all this money, what part do you think, or how, what amount for the entire state went into the coffers of, of 
the state taxes. How much do the state make off all these revenues? If you had to guess. What did the state uh, profit off those one point two hundred million? No, it was. It says here seventy nine million okay. in state revenues. I don't know how they figure out the. the I don't know what the tax rate is, but so anyhow, the point is that it'd be in, it's going to be interesting to see if these numbers start slowly declining or still upticking. Meaning only because is there still going to be this demand and later in the year in the in the dog days of summer are people still going to have the discretionary money? To spend in two, three, four months. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about. Because seeing, or is it, this going to be? Is this going to be the? Tr- is this are these anomalies, or we? Is this going to be the trend? No, I think we're going to see it, a decline. See, this it may not happen right away, but you mentioned July 2008. That's a significant date because that course. was just before the housing crash. So, oh, wow. ev- everybody was feeling like everything's doing great. And the economy was great, and everybody felt they had all this equity in their home, and people were taking loans against their home, and so there was all kinds of money flying around. And th- and this affected I mean, poker too, because after after the, that housing crash, the games weren't as good for the same reason. So then the the housing and banking crash happened in '08, in the middle of '08, and then all of a sudden people weren't coming to Vegas. Vegas started struggling, and that's in fact why. Uh, also, the real estate values just yeah there was they plummeted big time in Vegas, worse than most other cities. So what ended up happening is a lot of these uh, new projects stopped. Uh, you, as you saw, there wasn't even much uh, new construction, and uh, even the Cosmo got delayed, and even it changed it, it changed course from a all well, the condos. Fountain to, the Fountain Blue failed because the, of it, right? The Fountain Blue failed. The the Cosmo went from a uh, condo complex to being a hotel, which pissed a lot of people off because it was planned to be something different. So, the, uh the large parcel of land that Boyd Gaming had purchased in exchange for uh, the Barbary Coast, which went to Caesars, was supposed to be this massive. Do you remember this that on the Stardust property? Yeah, was supposed to be this massive property, and that never. They were smart because they would have got killed. They decided, you know, right in the beginning when when it, the the first signs of the housing crisis started. To just I mean, people don't realize where the Stardust once sat, they were supposed to be a massive resort with kind of like a, another city center with hotels and shopping and condos. It was a mixed use, uh, you know, casino hotel residence type uh, deal, and it literally they started and it they just stopped and it's never it hasn't even been revisited. That was thirteen years ago. Yeah. So, uh, so when I hear that date mentioned, I think about what the situation was then, that people had a lot of disposable income and then they didn't and then Vegas really struggled after that. So what's happening now is a combination of two things. People want to get out and do things and people have a lot more savings than they've had. A lot of these people who come there and spend money, the the whales that come and, and shoot off a lot of money, these are people who are coming just because they haven't been able to. But the average person who's coming in and shooting off in Vegas, people who just sit down and play slots, like that woman I described who luckily hit the jackpot. People like that have a lot more to spend, have a lot more to gamble with than they usually do. They have a bigger gambling budget. That's not going to last. This this is going to go away, and people are going to just not have that money to come back with. And once they get it out of their system coming to Vegas, it's going to be a law of diminishing returns thing where they're not going to feel the urgency to return as much as they felt the urgency to come right after the pandemic. So to put this again, though, in in perspective, 
Reno's been around since what the early mid seventies. Uh, gambling, sixties. Uh, I don't even know. What's yeah, I don't know either. When we're, I'm sorry. I don't know when the casino showed up there, but yeah, it's been a okay, while. Okay, so and we anybody any reasonable person would would agree that the heyday of of Reno is long ago in its past. Is that a fair statement? If there was one, but yes, yeah. But even with all that said, last month was the third highest grossing month in the entire history of Reno ever, ever. So it doesn't say like when Reno, you know, first started and, you know, obviously you have to incorporate, you know, inflation and what the prices were, you know, but still it's a third highest grossing month ever, ever. Like right out of this pandemic ever. And that's, you know, you could assume the vast majority of that was uh, car traffic from, from California. That people just want to get out, or maybe even leave a state where there wasn't, you know, such stringent rules, and they all, you know, yeah, drove. probably, yeah, like, like car traffic from Northern California, because a lot of people don't know this, but like driving to Vegas from San Francisco and that whole Bay Area is very far, and it's a pain in the ass. It's like five hundred fifty miles, and it's a, it's, it's, it's very yeah. far that a lot of people don't want to do it. So yeah, it's, it's a short plane flight, but then some and, people don't want to deal with the airport. So it's, it's a lot closer spe- to drive to Reno. Speaking of which. Speaking of which, they showed tonight on the news here one of those overhead helicopters that were on uh, I-15 up the state line. And at one point tonight, there was 23 miles of actual – it was backed up 23 miles of actual bumper-to-bumper traffic. Wow. Meaning you were 23 23 miles out of Vegas, and you were in a standstill. Now, years and years ago, I was dating a – girl from college and i moved out here this is right when i first moved here i moved out here and she moved to los angeles uh, santa monica area and we still were dating and i got caught up several times in the friday sunday night traffic uh, visiting her or coming back and it is the most horrendous obnoxious helpless feeling in the world and i swore to myself the last time i ever did it which again at this point was 18 years ago that I would never put myself in a position where I'm, if I had to travel to California, go back and forth, whatever, that I would leave during a time where there's potential for this to occur. And I haven't, I haven't, now I don't go to California as much, but when I do, I always go real, real late or real, real early. Uh, have you ever caught yourself in one of these horrific Nevada? Oh yeah. And, and, and also sometimes you- within, within California, it happens, not just, not just by the state line, but also uh, throughout California, which is most of the drive between LA and, and Vegas is in California. Only the last forty miles is in Nevada. What is the what is the longest you can recollect time wise? It's taken you to either get here or go back home. Well, that's it, a hard one to answer for this reason: is that I don't just take this. What I do. Well, don't and, be difficult with me. Try to try. No, I'll tell you why. I'm not being difficult with you. I'm being I'm, difficult with not. the traffic. So I don't just take this. What I do is I say, let me try to find a way out of this. So I try to. And I've gotten good at this because I've gotten to know the route so well. I've gone between L.A. and Vegas so many times. I I probably know better than a a very high percentage of people, even once you regularly make the drive, all these alternate routes when the traffic backs up. There's only a few places where you're totally screwed and absolutely cannot find an alternative to the 15. But uh, So what I do is I will then get off and go a different way. And uh, I... I will take detours, even sometimes long detours. In fact, I would prefer to be moving for the same amount of time. Even so, if, let's say I could drive an additional 90 miles 
but take the same amount of time that I would if I just stayed the course on the 15. I would actually rather be driving that 90 miles because to me it's more interesting to be driving and less frustrating than to be in bumper-to-bumper traffic, even if I'm not saving any time. So with that in mind, I'm always looking, including with the the traffic uh, information now on things like uh, on the iPhone, which we used to, of course, not have, uh, I can figure out where I should get off before I even hit the traffic or sometimes I won't leave until the traffic's there. But even back before I had traffic information, I, I would be able to get off in places. So like one time, uh, it, it was actually on my birthday, I remember. I left from Vegas, and I was with my family. And I hit an unexpected jam. So I then, uh, or I, I guess I noticed an unexpected jam, something like that. So I said, okay, I'm what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to go through uh i'm going to go through searchlight and then connect back to the 15 because that's an alternate thing you can do is you can go down the uh you can go down the 95 and then through searchlight you can go back to the 15 uh, or or the you know the other way you can do it in reverse if you're coming north and then you can avoid some of that traffic by the state line so that's that's an alternate way out when the state line is terrible however when i did that what I the surprise came is when I got to that area where I normally go back to the 15. It was backed up huge past the state line, really badly. This is going south, so I said, "Okay, I'm going to keep going in the other direction." And I actually ended up going all the way through Laughlin to get back. So I drove from Vegas to Laughlin, which is like 95 miles, and then from Laughlin back home, it's about the same drive as it is from Vegas to home. So that whole 95 miles. I've basically made no progress, and I have to do the same length of drive from Ve- that I do from Vegas from Laughlin. But the reason I did it is because this way I wouldn't have any traffic. And in fact, we actually stopped in Laughlin and ate there. I even had some free food offer, and uh, so we we ate there, and then uh, I continued home. So, but the whole thing was very long, and I've also gone through the uh, Mojave National Preserve. There's some uh, roads there, all paved, not dirt roads, but there's a uh, some very small towns and uh, little roads that go through that that you can use right. to wind up on the 40 and and then make your way back to the 15. So, and and I, I've done the nice. reverse too. So I've, I, I know how to do all of that, So, but I do end up adding time. Obviously, that 95-mile detour added a lot of time. As far as pure time that's taken just to make the drive period, whether detour or not, uh, and, and to let you guys know if I'm making good time like very good time, I can do it. I can do the whole thing usually in uh, like four hours or even a little bit less. If I if if I'm making okay time, it's like four and a half hours. This is ignoring stops. And uh, if I have some traffic, it'll be over five. If so, no, if any, anything over five though is getting bad. So if it took six, it was yeah. a crappy drive. If it took seven, it's a horrendous yeah. drive. I don't think I've ever taken seven. But I think minus stops, I, I've taken over six before. In fact, I know I have. So that's okay. Uh, I know people uh, have had worse. Yeah, I've been there for eight. Now, Druff, uh, I just have a couple more things real fast, so we want to get through them here. The longest <clears throat> last standing casino lounge in Las Vegas is set to close, sadly, Monday night and midnight. For those that don't know, I know Druff knows this because he was coming out here as a kid uh, like I was. Kino used to be a fixture 
in this city to the point where in most of the restaurants in Las Vegas back in the 80s and even early mid 90s, you would be able to gamble during dinner. There was a board with Kino numbers in most restaurants, and they were what was called Kino runners, which were usually women dressed up like cocktail waitresses that would walk around between games and you would literally on your table at the restaurant they'd be like a crayon type thing where you and, and paper where you would scratch the numbers that you want to bet the type of bet you want to make you hand the kino lady the, the your money and she'd put your tickets in and come back instantly and you know within a few minutes and give it to you does that sound right to you do you remember these yes days, I, I remember very well and in fact i found it to be fun as a kid because what i would do with my brother Me too you get someone, your parents give you a dollar and you pick eight numbers and you're thrilled. Yes, and, or, or even thrilled. if I, I usually didn't even bet on it. Usually what I did was uh, me and my brother would just get out these Kino cards. We'd each take a crayon. We'd each mark uh, what we want to mark and then we see who beats each other with the Kino. So we actually would get to watch the, you know, the, the, the drawing. You didn't, you, it would be hard to see the Kino balls from where we'd be sitting usually, but, uh, we would see the, on the board the where they're showing they, the numbers yeah, coming yeah. up. So but do you remember, do you remember sitting in restaurants with the booth and then they had like the Kino yes, yes. thing in the in center, fact, it, like next to the ketchup? And, yes. Yeah. And, and in fact, it confused the, uh, waitress or the Kino runners, not the waitress, because they would see me and my brother that had marked tickets and we were obviously too young to be gambling. It was clearly weren't anywhere near 21, but, uh, but we would have these tickets sitting on the table and sometimes they'd want to grab the tickets and we'd say no 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 we're just doing this for fun because they didn't realize it was kids that did it they thought maybe my parents did so so uh, the uh the last long-standing which means that this has been around since you know well, the 70s there are a couple kino lounges still in the city but i i don't know any restaurants that that still have them but you know the longest lasting uh kino lounge is set to close and I will give you, uh, since you know you're always generous with the free rolls on the site and whatnot, I'll give you a free roll. You tell me the casino, and the next time you order a pizza delivery to your house, twenty dollars max value. You send me a receipt, Jeff. I'm cash apping you twenty dollars for a pizza right then and there. Your t- pizza up to twenty dollars value is on me. What is the? Don't cheat me now. I never cheated you. What is the classic Kino Lounge that's set to close? Where is it at? What property? Midnight on Monday. As soon as the holiday weekend's over. Kino Lounge closes. It's been open for 40, 50 years. What's your guess? Um, my guess is going to be Circus Circus. Oh, thank God you missed it. Nope, it is the Four Queens. Hmm. The last day for the Four Queens, Four Queens Kino Lounge, May 31st, 2021. And what do you think they're going to be putting in place of where the Kino Lounge is? Slot machines? Slot machines, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... Also, another sad fact, Kino has one of the highest uh, house advantages in any game. In fact, some forms of Kino, depending on what what spots and what the payouts are, are literally the worst bet in the entire casino you can make. Like, meaning there's not another game you could find if you tried. Right, and I'll tell you the reason for this. I'll tell you the reason. In fact, I figured this out with my brother when Mm -hmm. we were kids there messing around with it because I saw this whole thing about – Hundred thousand dollar max or fifty thousand max. I think it was fifty at first and went to a hundred. But either way, it, it would talk about the max of that you could win no matter what. And then I thought this is crazy because like the ones you're marking twenty numbers. If you were lucky enough to get twenty out of twenty, you should get a massive, massive payout. That is so hard to do that uh, even on a $2 bet, you should get way more than 50,000 to one because the chance of doing that is just about impossible. So 
I, I st- we started looking at this and we started trying to figure out the odds of you know, what it truly should be paying for the for catching the most numbers. To, you could mark any number of spots uh, between like uh, I think between like one and twenty. So and then they would have different payouts. So. Like or the, you could even, or you could, right, and, and the thing was, you could also pick 20 spots or whatever it was and hope to catch zero, and that yes, paid money, yes, too. Yes, that, that's right. They, they was, had a big list of everything, like zero pays this, one pays this, two pays this, and then it goes, yeah, then you get yeah, paid yeah, nothing yeah, for the more typical ones, like hitting three, four, five, yeah. whatever, and then it, then it goes up again, but then it caps out at 100,000, and you look and it's like 100,000, 100,000, 100,000, you know you're getting screwed big time for these less, much less likely things to hit, that uh, you should be winning millions of dollars and you're getting a hundred thousand, yeah. and so that uh, that really makes it to where the house edge is huge, because uh, they're taking a big rake from the smaller payouts and they're they're protected from any huge payout. So it's a uh, so we figured this out, and in fact that was even though a hundred thousand would have been huge money to to kids, as you can imagine, that actually was something that discouraged me from wanting to give money to my parents to to play for us because it, was, it bothered me so much that the house edge was so tremendous and we, we figured this out as kids there just doing math so yeah, yeah. I knew that uh, okay so moving right along here just because I want to get through this uh, June 1st which funny enough I, I, you know, these greedy casinos I'm surprised they didn't do this uh, this weekend because of all the traffic uh, June 1st every single casino that was charging parking pre-pandemic will now be charging again both the Cosmo, which just announced this today, and the MGM, which announced it a couple weeks ago, uh, as of midnight, June 1st, will both resume charging parking. Uh, both properties will be free uh, for locals. Uh, Cosmo for three hours and the MGM, I'm not sure how long. And both properties also have exceptions if you have a, a certain player's card. But if you don't, the Cosmo, uh, your first hour will be free. And then it will be $7 for one to four hours and then $10 for each additional uh, up to 24 hours uh, with a $30 late ticket fee. So there will be no more free parking um, anywhere. Uh, the only two major resorts that aren't charging, which is great, is the, on that north end of the Strip. Uh, you have the Venetian Palazzo, Wynn Encore all lined up. Although you can recall the Wynn and Encore for a time did charge and then they reverted and, and, and eliminated it. Cause I guess it really was affecting them. They noticed it. Um, and also it goes without saying both properties. If you're staying at the resort, you don't have to pay. There's no parking for Cosmo if you're a guest or the MGM. So that's June 1st. Uh, and then another thing that just started, I'm sorry, do you have any comment? I know we talked. About actually, I do have a comment. Lot. I think I know why they waited until June 1st. I think they regret it, but they don't think they had a choice. Usually these are managed by third-party companies, and they – remember the original belief was that Vegas was going to do its reopening on June 1st. It's big fully reopening. They didn't expect the CDC to drop what they did about uh, you don't have to wear masks anymore if you're vaccinated, and that changed everything in the same day Vegas reopened. So – when I say reopened, I mean fully reopened. So I don't think they expected to have the type of Memorial Day weekend – that they're having, nor did they think they were going to have very much capacity. They thought they, they just thought it was, yeah. was going to be so different. They thought June first was the magic date, so they probably told these third party companies managing the parking ah. start this on June first, and then it was too late to take it back when when the mid May things changed. I think that's what uh, wow. 
happened here. Okay. I'm going to give you, because I know you're, you're sad, I'm going to give you one last free roll for $20. Okay, will you accept it? It's a free roll. Pizza. Oh, yeah, rolls. yeah. I always take a free roll. Okay. There is a new professional sports team that was announced, and I'm going to give proper due here. Uh, I'm re- I've read this on Vital Vegas. There is a new professional sports team that was announced yesterday that will be coming to Vegas next week or next year for their first season. The acronym is the NLL. You tell me what that acronym stands for. You're saying the team name? No, the name of the league that will be coming here. You know, NBA, yeah. NFL. The, t- the, the name of the league that will be coming here is the acronym is the NL- NLL. What does that uh, hmm. acronym stand for? Well, the National, what, the National Lac- Lacrosse League. Oh, my God. I knew I was going to get burned eventually. Ah. That is what it is. <laughs> So, I, you know, I almost I, said the, the National Nets, Lesbian League, but I, I went with so, the cross. Listen, I'm a man of my word, even though I still do believe deep down you owe me some burgers from back in the no, day. No, I actually do. You, order? you know what? I, I actually do owe you a $20 uh, burger, yeah. set, which you have. So okay, I guess we well, can cancel Well, that's fine. It. I'll buy you the pizza. You buy me the. So the next time you order a pizza to the house, you send me a receipt of that pizza. $20, boom, right into your Zelle. Ven- no, actually, I'm staying away from PayPal. Zelle or Cash App. <laughs> you got it, buddy. Okay. So the National Lacrosse League, and I'm reading now verbatim from uh, Vital Vegas because this is just funny. I love their writing style. The National Lacrosse League confirmed today that Las Vegas will get a professional lacrosse team. Both lacrosse fans in Las Vegas were ecstatic at the news. Uh, According to the National Lacrosse League, the team will be owned by Joe Tsai, whoever the hell that may be. The (laughs) lacrosse team will be the National Lacrosse League's 15th franchise in the United States. Uh, it was confirmed that Cy paid blank amount for the expansion team. What do you think an expansion lacrosse team costs? What did you guess he paid? I hope not that much. Well, take a guess. I know the number. Um, four million. Ten million. Uh, he got ripped Sp- off. Okay. Speaking next subject. Speaking of sports, and we've talked about this on radio. Guess what sports team? Spent the last week. They left this morning in Las Vegas. I think I heard about this. Is it the Oakland A's? The Oakland A's were wined and dined for five days in Vegas. During those five days, they viewed three potential sites, uh, as well as talking with Las Vegas Mayor Carol Goodman, uh, Henderson Mayor, I don't know the name, and then other city politicians. So they visited three sites that uh, have been talked about for potential stadium development, and those three sites are in Henderson, in Summerlin, and in the downtown slash area where Cashman Field is. Um, So anyhow, I don't know. I read the article. Uh, I read some other articles, and I'll tell you, this potentially has a real shot of happening. If Oakland doesn't come through, and when I say come through, meaning the the city, the county doesn't give some sort of uh, tax incentive or or otherwise to, to build a stadium, some tax-free dollars to build one in the Oakland area. I think I can't think of another area that would, would, would be feasible for, you know, so we could literally go from having no professional sports team five years ago to being almost a full fledged sports town. Uh, so, you know, I know we've all shared our views and I kind of myself as, as much as, you know, I love sports and I would definitely go to a baseball game here. Uh, I still have my reservations about whether we could support, you know, obviously the stadium would have to be a, a dome stadium because baseball is played in the summer. 
but I don't know if we would be able to support eighty one any eighty one home games a year. I just don't know. Yeah, like, I, you know, I, and part of part I'm very of skeptical. The, I was going to uh, say what they should have done with these Oakland A's representatives is uh, they should have put a fence around the greater Las Vegas area and not let them uh, drive anywhere north or south. You don't want them to find out what's not there, which is you know, basically there's nothing anywhere for like 200 miles in any direction. So you, you don't want them to see that because that's one of the worst things is that it's not just that the market isn't huge, is that there's no outlying cities. And that's a killer. Well, so but this is so this is a thing though. Uh, I can't remember if it was the owner or the president or whoever the head delegation of this traveling party was. Uh, and again, I'm paraphrasing here. What he said was it was exciting to see how other sports teams in Vegas, specifically the Las Vegas Golden Knights, are able to support 41 home games a year. Not only because of the local fan base, but because it's been proven now for, for, you know, four or five years that fans from other cities plan their vacations to co- coincide with golden night games. Meaning it's a Tuesday, it's a Wednesday, Ottawa's playing or the St. Louis blues are playing. And it's, you know, not a, it's a meaningless game relatively. It's, you know, during the week, but yet there's a packed full house, not only with local season ticket holders, but people that, are coming from other states to you know vacation in Vegas and see a hockey game. So he was wondering if that would translate to baseball, meaning you know the Milwaukee Brewers are in town, or the, the St. Louis Cardinals, or Chicago White Sox. Oh well, you know what? You know, don't worry about how many Vegas people are going to go out in 115 degree weather and travel down to you know see an A's game. You know, we're going to have constant a stream of fan bases from other cities that are coming, and they're also. Thing. And so that's the question that he proposed. And that was something he said they had to study because obviously, you know, it's double the amount of home games for, you know, Vegas, uh, Golden Knights. And then the other thing you have to consider, and this is the thing that I've long ago said about baseball, is what happens, you know, we've been blessed. Okay. The Raiders, they weren't good last year. They were mediocre, but it was the first year. Excitement had built up. And I guess in the end, it didn't matter because there was a virus and people couldn't have come. But hockey, we've been a, a, a championship a perennial championship contender since year one what happens when we have a team here that's 20 games out of first place and it's only you know july you know are we still gonna would it still get that kind of support during again the dog days of summer when we're far out of contention i don't know the answer to that am i going to go to a game when it's 115 degrees and the novelty's worn off for you know a, a team that just is going a team that is going nowhere do you know what i mean what 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 do you think the answer is yeah, there's that, and there's also the TV deal problem in that they're just not going to get a large TV deal because, again, the area is is uh, not highly populated. There's not outlying areas, and uh, this is the people visiting Vegas wanting to see it. That's not going to help the TV situation. That's only going to help the live attendance situation. So we ha- we have a uh, trader oh, I'm sorry. Time I'm, to... I'm switching earbuds. Okay, that's probably what happened. Hold on, I got, one I got an, an Go echo on, you here. talk for a second. Well, th- let's introduce Trader Ruski in the meantime. He's been here quietly listening. I was going to say I'm on mute. It can't be me. <laughs> well, welcome to the show, Trader Ruski. What's happening, fellas? Okay, well, you know, buddy. <laughs> see, we stayed on okay, long enough to, to bring Trader Ruski in. Yeah, we we can hear you. Yeah. These these uh. These uh, Apple AirPods only last about three hours, and I'm right at that mark now of being on. So I did, I'm sorry about that. I did disconnect them. Can you hear me fine? I, I have a secondary. Yeah, pair. I can. Oh, I can hear you. Two now. pairs. No, so I don't okay. like AirPods for that reason. I, I don't like having to have another thing to charge. 
Yeah. Well, you know what? I'll tell you something. Uh, I have these AirPods. I'm using the, uh, what do you call it? Not the, not the soundproof. So we, we, what is it called? When you can't hear it, it you know, it, it, it noise canceling. And I think these things are great. Uh, I mean, I live and die by these, yeah. not just for my music, but when I'm driving, uh, especially for radio with you, because I don't have to have a headset on. And you know, I, I'm not I'm not constricted. I can walk around. I mean, these things are great, Druff. I mean, they really are. They, I, yeah. in my opinion, and Druff, you know, and, and the battery fabulous. Kept, the battery issue kept me from doing it for a long time too, Druff. I bought them. I, it's one of the best purchases I've ever made. Yep, I agree. I I'm, agree. I'm also going to be afraid I lose so, them okay. because, like, like regular headphones, if you lose them, they're so cheap. This, is, if I lose this, it's a bigger deal. Well, I mean, they're in a case like, you know, it's, it's, you're right. They're not big, but I have two pairs and I've never even, I mean, you know, you're responsible, you know, it's a valuable item. You make sure you put them where they go and you know what, you know what I mean? They're not, I, Trader Ruska, have you ever lost yours? It's just in the house, right? Like I lost my keys, but yeah. they do, and, and they, you can attach, find my iPhone to a truck. So that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So just so I can finish real fast, I'm sorry, this is going kind of long. Uh, so I'm trying to move through them fast. So apologize for rushing you guys, but anyhow, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, and I, if I had to go on record right now, I think uh, you know I can't predict whether it's going to happen or not because it depends on Oakland. But I do think this has gone from a pipe dream to a real, real, realistic possibility. Well, I, I hate to tell uh, you here, course, but but your your, your Air, AirPods aren't doing well. You're uh, you're fading in and out. Okay, that's Skype. That's not the AirPods. No, it sounds it sounds like you're you're. Uh, you're here, and then it sounds like you're backing away from them and getting closer and backing away. This is what it sounds like. Better? Hold on. Is that better? Well, you have to talk for a while for us to hear this. Go, okay. go on. I, so what I was saying, and just interrupt me if it isn't, what I was saying is this has gone very fast from a pipe dream to a realistic possibility of, of us having a baseball team here. And, of course, I realize I'm cognizant of the fact that Oakland is, of course, using uh, you know Vegas for leverage. Um, but you know that's how it works, and you know if Oakland doesn't step up here and 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 give a tax payer based or at least friendly uh, stadium, then I don't know. I can't think of another big city that doesn't have baseball already that they would they would move to. Um, in Major League Baseball, this is even more, more most important. They're on board with it. They totally support Oakland if they don't get a new stadium of them moving somewhere. So it'd be kind of ironic if two of the Bay Area's signature franchises both end up in. Uh, Las Vegas. Well, so, there, there, there are some other. Tr- yeah, yeah, I can hear you. There's some other choices which don't have teams. There's Portland. There's Vancouver. Um, well, Vancouver is not going to work. They couldn't even field a baseball, a basketball team 20 years ago. Yeah, it was embarrassing. Uh, how there bad it is, was. With the Gri- uh, you remember the Grizzlies were initially in Vancouver. Well, but there's a few others that don't have baseball that could uh, possibly support it. Uh, maybe San Antonio. So anyhow, that was that. Uh, I think I have two more subjects to cover. Uh, and again, I apologize for rushing through this. Uh, it's the return of the buffet. A uh, number of buffets have either reopened uh, or are reopening in the next uh, matter of days, some even this weekend. Uh, today, not that it matters, uh, I've eaten there once. It was when I was 12 or 13 years old, and it was awful, even for being a kid. And I'm talking about the uh, Circus Circus Buffet. That announced that they're opening June 1st. Um, I ate there as a child. And I remember it was a breakfast buffet. And I just remember the the, the taste of the eggs, how they looked, just terrible. Um, Have you ever, either one of you when you were children, eaten at the Circus Circus Buffet back in the day? 
Um, it's possible, but not anything kind of I can remember because my dad has always been against buffets. And uh, at good the, for him. At the time, right? Good for him. At the time, I didn't agree. At the time, they looked cool to me as a kid. So I was very frustrated that we hardly went to these. And I remember what my dad said is they substitute uh, quantity for quality. And I understood what he was saying there, but I thought he just was being too particular. And it was very disappointing as a kid that we didn't get to go to them. But sure enough, when I became an adult, uh, all these people were excited about buffets. In fact, I had people asking me, oh, you, you, when I was living in Vegas, oh, you must go to buffets a lot. Oh, it's so cool. You're so close to buffets. I go, no, I, I don't go to them. No, like I, I keep telling people I don't like them. Even even buffets that aren't Vegas associated, like the hometown buffet, ones like that, people who think it's wonderful. And I go, no, I, I just really don't like these. And I, I kind of had the same feeling about them as an adult as my father did, which was that the food a lot of times looks good. But then you get it on your plate, you're all excited, and then it has no taste. <laughs> it, yeah. it just isn't as so, good as restaurant food. So speaking of which, of, of quantity over quality, a buffet opened since the last time we did radio that, you know, you could say what you will, but the quality isn't one of the issues. It's, it's a you know, very good buffet. It's a buffet that actually you and I have eaten at together, and that would be what the, buffet? The Bacchanal Buffet. It opened up last week after a $4 million renovation project. Did we talk about this on radio? I don't recall if we did. I'm not sure either. Go ahead and do it. Okay. So it's it's fast. So it opened this week. And, of course, this is the uh, buffet that is at Caesars, um, slightly away from the cashier, the main cashier, and across or semi-across from Rouse, the Italian restaurant. Uh, $4 million renovation. And they have now... Take a guess. How many individual different items? And I don't know if they like if they count like carrots, you know. But this is how they market it. How many different items do you think they have for your choosing? Uh, and say any little thing that's different. Counts. I don't know how they tabulate it. Okay. Who knows? But this is how they market it. Take a guess what they what they say. We have blank 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 amount of different items to choose from. Would at be, our yeah, new buffet. Uh, One hundred fifty. Four hundred eighty five. Wow. Oh, and, my God. <laughs> Trader Risky is even impressed. So, so they've added some even more high-end, exquisite things, uh, like such as bone marrow and more sushi and fish choices. Um, but they've also, to coincide with the renovation and the the, the higher-end choosings, that what else do you think they've done? I know. They've raised the price. I heard it's uh, $70, raised the, $70 dollars now, price. right? Seventy dollars. I'm sorry. Seventy dollars. It is. It will cost you for a normal dinner. And that's without like any champagne add-ons or like the their high-end brunch. Sixty-five ninety-nine plus tax. So yes, in essence, it will be a little over seventy dollars uh, per person. That's that's a pretty hefty price for a buffet, huh? Very hefty. And when I've gone there, my impression was that it's not as amazing as people make it sound when they go there or when they talk about it i wasn't all that impressed was it better than almost all buffets i've been to yeah were, were things higher quality there than most buffets yes i'll agree with that and, and the selection was good so there i'm not saying it's a bad buffet i'm just saying that i still didn't find it to be like good restaurant quality food i, I still found kind of the things don't taste as good as they look problem and uh, i just 
I, I kind of found that, yeah, there's a lot of everything, but there wasn't a lot that I was so excited to be eating. And I was thinking, wow, I can't believe I can have unlimited continued servings of this stuff. I didn't think that. It was it was more just kind of like there's a lot of food and it's better than normal buffet food. But I, I didn't find it that exciting. And I've, I've been there more than once. And I, I believe the times I went, uh, I had some form of a comp. I forgot when I went with you if I had that at all. But I know... Uh, like no, I we had- did. We had... Uh- I think we used our annual – someone had an annual dining credit. Yeah, or it was probably that. We, yeah. we definitely didn't pay the full price. Yeah, that's no what – and then uh, I remember I did a favor for China Maniac that uh, he wanted to skip this gigantic line for it. He and his girlfriend, who he's now married to, he uh, they wanted to skip the line. It was him, his girlfriend, and his girlfriend's son. And uh, so – they also. Oh wow! I didn't know you ever met his son, Goy's stepson. Cool. Yeah, yeah. No, I I met them. It was it was pretty brief. But uh, what uh, now? I got a little out of it. Is that he bought my RCs at one to one? So basically, I got cash for like whatever that amount was for the three of them to get in an RCs. Didn't do me a whole lot of good because I'm going to use them anyway. But uh, he bought the RCs for me at one to one value. But the thing I did for him is I basically I was surprised they let me do this. I used my seven-star card to get to the front of the line for them, but then I didn't buy a buffet for myself. And I asked if it was okay. I said, uh, like, I'm a seven-star, I'm with these people, but uh, I, I'm not sure if I said I'm not coming back or not. I may have bullshitted and said I'm going to come back in a little bit and just didn't return. But whatever it was, uh, I got them to the front of the line using my seven-stars uh, because they nice. were, quote, in my party. <clears throat> and then they got through, and it was like a, a huge line. And also when I, I also went... Uh, with my girlfriend and Benjamin at a separate time. And uh, I remember there's a tremendous line and I got to skip it with a seven star. And that was, I was very happy to be the seven star there. But uh, I, I remember looking at that line going, there's no way I would have stand in this. Otherwise it would look like an hour and a half well, or more. Well, the thing is I, I share your sentiment, but I, at the same time I, I I've been spoiled. I think you have two to some degree, just <clears throat> by, you know, coming out or so long and just even in life being, able to afford, you know, the nicer things and nicer food and more high-end food when we feel like it or want it. Uh, point being that I could definitely see someone coming from a city that doesn't have so many uh, exotic food choices or isn't familiar or doesn't normally eat like that to seeing a buffet like that and being impressed and, and loving it. I mean, I definitely can see both sides of it. Um, you know, just the fact that there's, I don't know if you remember, like the meat section, I mean, they had 8, 10, 12, everything from ribs the prime rib to slice turkey chicken i mean they had exotic meat you remember they had that massive carving station and then you know the seafood area where there's fresh you know salmon tuna yellowtail so anyway i could see how, how someone could see see walk in there and just be you know impressed and just kind of wow you know yeah I, I guess um, especially someone from a, a like smaller cities where sure the, the dining options aren't that great you, you may have a few mediocre chain restaurants and maybe a few uh well, little little like, restaurants that, that like, little family restaurants that are just right. kind of okay so well someone like that you know the only experience of buffets that they've ever had is like the golden corral you know to go from that to seeing what's offered there it it, it, it could be kind of breathtaking yeah you know I, I you know i mean I, I i can just see it but the other thing is and i'm sure you both are the same way as we've gotten older is i don't eat like i did when I was a child and I don't enjoy, I mean, listen, I used to stuff myself. I had such a fast metabolism. I always had had one. 
where I could eat, you know, the same amount of food and, and, you know, I didn't gain weight. But as you get older, I don't, you know, I, I've realized this. I like eating smaller meals, even if it's more constant throughout the day. I don't like stuffing myself. Uh, so basically, I guess what I'm saying is it would be negative EV for me to pay cash and go to a buffet like that. I wouldn't get the value. I'm sure you know that I don't agree. You've seen me on Live at the Bike. <laughs> well, no, I know that. But I'm sure you're also cognizant of the fact that at our age, it, it probably isn't the healthiest decision to gorge yourself like that, especially with that kind of food. I mean, you know what I mean. I guess every once in a while, you know, it's anything in moderation is fine. But I, I just, and I know I can speak for Trader Ruski because we've eaten a lot of meals together. Trader Ruski, you don't eat like that either. I mean, even when we've eaten at restaurants, you don't order, you know, a ton of food. You like to kind of portion things. Is that a fair statement, buddy? Yep. Good yeah, enough. see, I, I have, that's one thing that hasn't changed much with me as, as I've gotten older. I, I know senior citizens start to, get smaller appetites, even ones that once had big appetites. And I, I've even seen this with my parents. So I'm sure when I get to that age, it'll be different. But so far, I haven't seen this. I still That's, can eat a massive amount of food. In fact, yeah. I, well, I, I have I the too, desire to. I could too, but I'm in, di- I'm, di- I'm in discomfort afterwards. Like, no, I don't but wanna, see, I, you know. I, I'm, actually, I, I'm actually the kind of driven to do it like I, I still really want to do it and i'm used to doing it so in okay. fact not doing it is uh that that's that's been one of the bigger battles of, of of keeping my weight down is because i will eat too much at one time so that that's something i i still deal with so that that's not as much of a problem for me i also don't worry about the kind of one-time things because that's not going to make a long-term difference in your weight it's more about eating habits that do that so sure i'm, I'm not that worried about that but uh i, I do feel like I can't appreciate it the way a lot of other people can, maybe for some of the reasons you said. And also, I'm just not – I just don't find anything that wonderful to where – they have well, a big selection. Well, because we've already eaten it all. Like, you know, we've been to – not trying to sound pretentious here, spoil, but we've had numerous fine di- – you know what I mean? It's, it's not the same to other people that don't get to experience it much. You know what I mean? Or or even like younger people that would be like, wow, they're blown away by this. Well, yeah, I, like, so, you know so I do I mean? think about like when I when I go on trips and and I'll go on road trips and we'll stop in some cities, which are you know, kind of small cities and they're not by any large city where they can easily go somewhere that's going to have some very good restaurants, where there's kind of these small towns out in the middle of nowhere. Not always tiny towns, just kind of small or moderately small towns and and we look for places to eat and the options kind of suck you're you're kind of like if you have an okay meal you're happy with it so and if you have a good meal you're shocked and it's actually like a really pleasant surprise so i i've been in some of these places where i think okay if people who are used to this come to las vegas and see something like the bacchanal buffet or they go to any kind of uh fine dining or semi-fine dining experience they're going to be very very impressed because they're just not used to it if uh if if you just don't have anything that even closely resembles that and you yeah. don't really get out that off that much often it, away from where you live but uh so i i think yeah some of it does have to do with what your experience was and uh also some people they have a harder time just kind of telling the difference between food that's really good or kind of just decent and uh so I, I've seen that too, and that's why I sometimes struggle with restaurant reviews, with figuring out where to go, because you'll see a lot of five star and like honest five star reviews for places that are very mediocre, where people are saying, "Oh, this is so wonderful," and you go there, you try the same dishes, they say we're so great, and they're just kind of okay, and you realize that there's a certain people out there that are too easily impressed 
by by just kind of okay food. So uh, it's it's, and I'm not even someone who goes to like a lot of gourmet restaurants or anything like that. I, I've been to some, but uh, I, I'm not like going to those all the time. Yeah. or obsessed with it, but uh, and and like the exotic type of food to these gourmet restaurants, I don't even like. But uh, but I can tell the difference between something that's very high quality or very well prepared by by an excellent chef and something that's just good. And 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 I think some other people uh, they're too easily impressed. Where if something's just good, they think it's great. So I, I think that's and that's always a problem reading restaurant reviews. Yeah. Whereas like hotel reviews are a lot easier to judge because their uh, people tend to have uh, standards that are kind of closer to what mine are. Now now, Druff, I, I do have to say something. Um, <clears throat> it's embarrassing, Trederuski. This is embarrassing, but I'm going to be honest. If nothing else, I want to come across as being transparent on this radio show, and I want people to at least know that uh, I have integrity, and I'm trying to give you as as much as the accurate portrayal and news that I can. Uh, And this is what happens when you wake up at 2 in the morning, and you come straight on a radio show, and you haven't had a chance to scour the internet. Do you remember there was some discussion twice, so this will be the third time, about Senate Bill 386? Yes. Apparently, late last night, there was a resolution to this, and I didn't see it. I talked about all week how it it was lingering, but late, late last night, so literally while I was sleeping and while radio was starting, they reached a compromise. So the bill indeed did pass. And again, for those that are listening, 386 is what we're talking about, uh, the bill that would force the resorts and hotels to rehire laid off pandemic employees or pre-pandemic employees before hiring someone that had never been affiliated or worked for the company. So anyhow, the compromise was pretty simple. The bill passed, but instead of giving employees 10 days to either accept or reject the offer, uh, the compromise was they have 24 hours. Every other portion of the bill is exactly the same way uh, that we discussed. And you know, I know we didn't go into the minutia of details, but uh, the one major exception is instead of 10 days, I'll have 24 hours to either say. And that's, I mean, yeah, I guess they could have gone three days, but I can see how that, and I even said this before I knew this, that 10 days is a little excessive just because the yeah, casinos are just kind of in a, a yeah. waiting period there. They can't do anything. Their hands are tied. So at least one day, you know, can you come back? You know, we have your job. They have a day. They don't. They move on. Um, so anyhow, 386 passed. So I guess if you if there's some crappy casino employees there that you think maybe the casino would not have rehired and then you're stuck dealing with them when you go to Vegas, you can blame this bill. Yeah. So the last thing uh, I want to talk about, and this isn't Vegas news per se, uh, but this is something that would actually be near and dear to your heart, Druff. Hmm. Uh, game two of the Los Angeles Lakers, Phoenix Suns, Uh, NBA playoff game was an absolute uh, nightmare for betters who had the under in that game. Uh, Are you familiar at all with this? Because I know you bet totals in in the NBA. No, I actually didn't. You know, because I've I've been not paying as much attention to the betting side of the NBA playoffs because they're very hard to beat. Now, funny enough, I was actually in an end of the regular season slump and I've actually done well in the few bets I've made in the playoffs, but that's just the way it's fallen. Uh, but normally I find it pretty hard to beat those lines, so I don't even try that much. At tip-off, the uh, line was across Vegas, 210 
The over-under was 210.5. Again, this is the Phoenix Suns-Lakers game two. So 210.5 all across Vegas. With a minute and 40 seconds left, I'm sorry, a minute and 47 seconds left in that game, the score was 95-92. That's 187 <laughs> points. So with a hundred, with a hundred eighty-seven point total, and a line, an over/under line at two ten and a half. That's twenty-three and a half points. With a minute and forty-seven seconds left, Druff, if you had the under, how confident do you feel? Well, not as super confident. I don't bet over/unders. So well, no, I, no, because I, it's know, a close I game. I'd be worried about overtime. That would be my problem. That would okay, be okay. Well, taking away the overtime part of it. Yes, I'd, I'd be very confident. Yes, I've been very, I'd be extremely confident, but I, I, did, I got screwed by one just like that this year. Anthony Davis hits a three pointer. Then this is the craziest part. Anthony Davis hits a three pointer, so that brings it to twenty and a half uh, points that are needed, or twenty one really, for it to go over. Then fifty two seconds of no scoring, fifty two full seconds of no scoring. So you're under a minute now. Okay, then. It's foul, foul, foul all across the board. Three-pointer made with a foul. They ended up taking 12 free throws, both teams in the last minute. Neither team misses not one free throw, and it goes over by half a point. Doesn't go to overtime. Wow. 20 points scored in 47 seconds. That, see, that's, that's where I would say I've got it if it doesn't go OT. See, the, the, the minute 47, I told you, I got screwed with one just like this. I forget which teams were playing, but I had one just like this where I said, okay, I've got it. There's, and it wasn't even one. It was a close game, so I knew OT wasn't even an option. So I just said, okay, I've got this. It's over. And then uh, a tremendous number of points reigned in in uh, what wasn't trash time, but was fairly close to trash time. It was enough, and, and I lost, and I couldn't believe it. And I had a few others that were pretty shocking that I lost that way. So, so this is this but 20, is what 20 had to points in, in for 40 seconds and seven. That, that's crazy. That's that I don't think I've ever seen. Devin, listen to this. Devin Booker was fouled shooting a three and hit all of his free throws with 14 seconds left. The Suns then fouled, and Anthony Davis hit a pair. Booker was fouled again shooting a three by the Lakers, and then they write, why, Dennis, why? And then he hit all threes. Even though the Suns were down five, they decided the game still wasn't over with 5.6 seconds le- left, and they fouled Davis again, and he hit both three throws. They hit 12 three throws in 47 seconds. Both teams, neither one missed. Sure enough, it goes over by half a point. Crazy. Crazy, crazy ending. And anyhow, that, folks, is all I have for uh, Vegas news and what have you. And uh, we're we're done with that. Now, you tell me. I still have the Nigerian scammer calling. He's been texting me for like the last hour. I told him I was waiting for my uh, attorney to wake up. Do we want to do this again? Should yeah, I let's let's do it. In fact, we, we have a, we have a gentleman in Minnesota who, who mm-hmm. listens to this show very uh, regularly, and in fact, he even got his mom into listening to it, so she enjoys nice. it too. He told me, so he and his mom both enjoy this, and he said he absolutely loves these segments with Sharif, the Nigerian scammer, that it's one of his uh, favorite things that we've done on the show. Okay, so this is, listen, if for some reason next week I still am able to string him along, because I don't think I can, then we're going to do the big reveal to him. Yeah. Okay? Okay. I'm not going to do it tonight. So tonight what we're going to do, to try to string him along, is we're going to tell him that... We have the Bitcoin, but it, you know it's fluctuating. So one minute it's up, and obviously the rose, you know, gold, iPhone. But 
because we bought this, I, you know, I'm able to string them along because I'm telling him constantly I'm, I have to go to the Bitcoin ATM. And then I go to the Bitcoin ATM and then I tell him like Bitcoin crashed. And I, it's not, you know, I don't have all the money. Okay. So we're going to have to tell him that we were at like the Bitcoin ATM and the, the U.S. regulatory, whatever, has some papers that need to be signed before this can be transacted and that we need to know how we can get him just to sign on this and something along those lines. I can't think of any other better stall tactic. So, so go ahead. Well, well, before before we do it, how I, I think he probably is going to call in here unless he's giving us a number to call him. But uh, no, you're going to have to give me the number again to tell him. Okay, yeah, it's a seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. I'm sorry, seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. Okay, but I think uh, to come up with the exact story here, how much are you supposed to be sending him? Sixty five hundred. Five thousand okay. for my one point three million, and then we're giving him fifteen hundred for a rose colored uh, iPhone. Rose, and maybe rose gold iPhone. Okay, so so yeah. what I think we should tell him is that uh, the Bitcoin ATM machine flagged that we're trying to buy more than five thousand, and that uh, we're required to fill out forms for the government. Okay, perfect. I get, I just text him by the way, so just keep an eye out on the number. That's fine. I just want to stall it one more week, and then we could plan next week and have the big reveal. We can even say it locked up our money, and that it's it, that we can't even get it back and use a different machine. That we're our, our money's been locked up, and we've had to submit forms, and they said it'll be about. Uh, well, let's tell him. Let's tell him that that it didn't lock up. I want to let's tell him we have the money, but it, it's requiring the receiver to sign some kind of form before it will be released or something along those lines. That's fine. But well, one, well, one, or, one, or you could tell them they need 500 bucks to re- to release it and try yeah. to pull like the That's reverse funny. scam on them. <laughs> I, would, I would do that except for the fact there's no chance he has 500 bucks to his name. There's no chance. Or, I mean, I guess maybe he could from other scams, but um, I'm glad that makes me happy. The guy in Minnesota and his mom liked the Sharif segment. Yeah, they love it. He, he, he so, made sure to tell me these, this is a, a great segment we do here. Well, I'm hoping, I mean, he's been texting me since I've been on and I've been stalling saying I'm driving. I was at work. Uh, so I told him you're awake. I told him I was waiting for you to wake up and we can, what is Trader Ruski's job? We can, we can introduce Trader Ruski tonight. What, what, what does he do for us? We can say he's, uh, your financial advisor. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. We can do that. All right. So I haven't got a call <laughs> back yet, so hopefully I will, or a text back. But he texted me as recently as like five, seven minutes ago. So yeah. I told him to call. I'm ready to end the show here, but, but I, I would like to talk to him. 775-372-8355. Yep. All right. I gave him the right number. So anyhow, while we're waiting for that, uh, just so I know, uh, what are the or the listeners know? What are the other subjects you have? Oh, that's right. I, uh, we do have one more subject I can throw in while we're waiting for Sharif oh. to call. So uh, the, the last thing is about the Wuhan lab theory about covid's origins and uh all this time later this is finally picking up some steam whereas before if you dared mention that this was a possibility not even saying you're sure about it but if before you mentioned that this was a possibility that uh certain people would treat you like you were crazy and that uh you were just a conspiracy theorist and or that you were racist and hate chinese people and are just trying to parrot what trump says so as soon as this COVID uh, was described and, and as soon as we started hearing about it, and this is even before it became a real problem in the U.S., or at least before we knew it was, um, when I heard that there was such a lab there in Wuhan where it began, that there was a bioweapons lab there, 
to dismiss that that could be a possibility seemed like something to be very that would be very stupid and naive. Just because that lab is there doesn't mean it it's a hundred percent that's where it came from. But to say that's just a coincidence and you're sure of it because the Chinese government, which lies all the time, said that it wasn't from there. I think you'd have to be very naive to believe that. The problem was that if you dare say it, you would get responses like, well, the World Health Organization says this isn't true. There's no evidence of this. You're just you're just being racist. You just hate the Chinese government. You're just trying to parrot what Trump says. And you get you get a lot of hate from anyone when you try to suggest that this is even possible. Now, what I always believed, and I can ask the two of you what you thought, and I'm, I'm talking about going back a year or maybe more than a year. When, when we first were aware of this lab being there. What I always thought wasn't that it was actually developed or fabricated there, but what I thought was the most likely possibility was that it really did come from bats, but that they realized this and they actually brought bats to the lab who they suspected had this and harvested, harvested it out of the bats or maybe even modified it some after that but even possibly they just uh, they they actually extracted it from the bats to possibly use one day as a weapon because they realized that this could be something that could be very disruptive and that uh, something that they didn't take into account was how contagious it was. And I think that uh, perhaps what happened was that someone accidentally caught it while harvesting it at the lab from one of these bats and that... Uh, someone caught it and then transmitted it. And because most of the transmission happens before you show symptoms that people were transmitting it while not feeling sick. And, uh, and then once that starts, then it could easily spread throughout a population because of the way this thing is so contagious and because people transmit it while not being sick. So then it went from there. So that, that was my belief, not that they, fabricated this out of nowhere and the bat story was completely made up just that it really did come from bats but that they purposely took it from the bats in the lab and then it accidentally got out i don't believe it was released on purpose i think that it was they were doing this to maybe release it one day if they felt it necessary in bio warfare but that they weren't looking to do that now or anytime soon but it, then it happened accidentally and then they did not want to admit it and that's where the wet market story was made up and that was that was my theory for a long time of what had really happened there without any kind of proof, but I thought that that was something like that was far more likely than it just happened to be in a place with a weapons lab. Now, in recent times, we are now seeing that this is being taken seriously, and even by the Biden administration is being taken seriously, whereas before this was dismissed as, as xenophobia to be saying this, uh, and that there's even evidence that a very COVID-like virus people had in Wuhan in November and uh, and that it looked like the Chinese government was uh, was covering this up and also didn't disclose that they had cases like this in November and that some of these were employees of that lab and it was very suspicious that something so COVID-like, this mis mystery illness in November 2019 came among certain lab workers and... Uh, and the symptoms were very similar to COVID. And now the U.S. is really uh, ramping up the efforts to investigate this. And now this theory is being taken as something that's uh, possibly true, that it, something happened at that lab, that the, that's where they, at the very least, uh, harvested, harvested COVID and maybe 
outright created it there. So, Brandon, what what did you think when you first heard about COVID and you heard about that lab being there last year? Did did you think this was a reasonable possibility that it was uh, actually made there and Chinese were lying? I mean, my opinion at that point, and I remember, you know, thinking back what I thought was that it was from that live market. That's where I always thought it, it had developed. Um, now I'm not so sure. Now I think that there probably is a possibility that it uh, got released from that lab. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of back and forth. I think it's one or the other. Um, I, you know, I, I thought like you, it was from a bat or an exotic animal at first. And that was before I, I even knew of the lab and what it potentially or allegedly or could have gone on there. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm like maybe 60, 40, you know, I, I think it's one or the other, uh, you know, Tra- Trader Ruski, did oh. you ever, uh, in the, in the past, uh, not recently when things have changed of what we're hearing about it, but did you think last year that there is a reasonable chance that it was actually from the lab in some way? I felt like the lab could have been problem if it was like testing something from some of those live markets because I thought that that's what it was doing. Okay. And then it could have got out that way rather than it being an artificially created thing. Yeah. Well, I will say I, I, I don't think it was totally artificially created. That's just my own guess on this. But uh, I, I really believe this was done for somewhat sinister purposes that they were actually trying to uh, harvest this what seemed like a pretty effective disease uh, f- from these bats for possible use as a weapon in the future if they're in a war, whatever. What, but uh, what would somebody do? Like, I mean, do they release it like at a park, they, in like an air ventilation system? How does something like that get deployed? Oh, I mean, as you as you've seen, it it doesn't take much with COVID. It would with the truthful truthfully. You could release it anywhere. You could do it somewhere indoors, and uh, you, you'll basically create the pandemic. And by the time the country realizes it, it's too late because this thing is so contagious. So as long as you don't accidentally infect your own population and then you close your borders after you do it, then you could right. really wreak havoc around the world. And I don't know how deadly they thought it was at the time. It's possible that they thought it was deadlier than it is because the one weakness it has is that most people don't die from it. In fact, the only a, it really mainly kills old people and then some unlucky middle-aged people, and, and See, for the most part, but the uh, one people th- survive. The, the, the one thing I disagreed with was there were people, even now they probably still are, that would allege that China did this on purpose. And I would say to that, but that makes no sense because it, it crushed their economy as much as it hurt ours. So, I mean, it, it, if it was like that, it had to be inadvertent. It had to be leaked or, or somebody that was rogue or crazy because it did. I mean, you got to remember, although this is in their rearview mirror, the first six, seven months, it crushed their economy. It brought their economy to a standstill. You know, they're still recovering there. So I can't. Can you understand any logic in which they would have done this purposely? I actually can. Does, be, be, I don't Now I want to start off by saying I don't believe that that's what they did. I actually think. It's no, neither do I. Was, I think it was more likely be accidental. Like? But uh, there could be some justification of why they would have done it because they reopened things and and went back to normal a lot quicker than we did. And that, I think they've always lied about how much they recovered, how quickly recovered, how quickly they got it under control. Remember, they very quickly showed like uh, 80,000 uh, deaths and, and then it just froze. Then it's just they, they just weren't getting – or not death, cases. 80,000 cases and uh, – 
and then it just froze. They almost got none. It was like it was like, well, we cured the COVID problem. It's done. Like it was, it, it was very very hard to believe the numbers they were putting out, and and there was a lot of intelligence that uh, the U.S. got that that wasn't true, and people were still dying at a rapid rate there. So we're never going to know how many people really died there. But in a country like China, people human lives are considered expendable a lot more than here. So the state managing to gain an advantage, but a lot of people dying is considered a worthy sacrifice in regimes like that. So yeah, they wouldn't want half the population dying, but uh, given that this was not killing half the population, given that this was killing a small percentage of population, most of whom were old, uh, if, if, if this cripples other economies much worse than theirs, then overall they come out ahead. And uh, so they may have realized that after or, or if they had done this on purpose, they could have realized beforehand that that is going to be the trajectory and that they can uh, um, they can just power through it. And whoever dies, dies is going to be mostly old people anyway, who are a burden on society from an economic standpoint, and uh, that they're going to emerge the strongest nation after this whole thing's over, whereas other countries are going to really take a hard hit because they're not going to be as cavalier about their own people dying. So that could be one argument for why they would do it. And it's not one I'm making. I'm not saying that this is what they did. I'm saying if they did it on purpose, it would have been a reason like that. But I still think it's most likely that this was harvested for sinister purposes for for a future weapon, but not a present weapon, not a weapon that they wanted to deploy now or last year, and, and then it happened. Okay, so I'd love to continue this discussion, but there's a very important caller coming in here. Hello. Hello, Brudden. Yes. Hello. Sharif, is that you, uh, buddy? Yeah, this is Sharif. Okay, good. I have uh, Alvin on the phone with me. He had to wake up early in Los Angeles to help. Uh, finally, I hope, get this done, because this has just been going on too long. Uh, Alvin, you remember Sharif? Uh, yes, I do, uh, and uh, I want to start off here, Sharif. Uh, I am uh, Alvin Finkelstein. I'm the attorney for for Brandon, and I've been dealing with you as well. Uh, I, I want to apologize for the delay in this matter because uh, we really thought that this was going to be it, and we will have sent you the 6,500, of which uh, 5,000 was uh, what we were going to be sending you for the uh, future release of, of the money for us, and then the uh, the $1,500 for the rose gold iPhone so you could communicate with us better. Yeah, I uh, promise. I promised right. him that, Alvin. I want to make sure he gets that rose gold iPhone. Okay? Yes, and unfortunately, to, okay. yes, we and we believe me. Right. I know okay. Brandon promised you this, Sharif, and I personally feel very bad that you haven't received it yet. But this was from something that was beyond our control because of the amount we were trying to get at the Bitcoin ATM. Um, unfortunately, okay. it turns out there's some requirements on our government's part. Of, of paperwork that has to be done. And in fact, some of it has to be filled out by, by you. So we, we have, uh, it wasn't as simple as just buying 6,500 in Bitcoin. And we didn't realize that until we actually went to go do it. So, um, do you understand? Well, yeah, uh, uh, Alvin, Al, yeah, Alvin, tell him what we need to get done so I can get this money to him. Uh, ASAP. Yes. What, so, what so first, to... um, we had to fill out some paper. And also introduce him. To tell, we also have Trader Ruski on the line. He handles the. He's like compliance base. He's like a compliance officer. Yes. That so, so that's why with, I with had to bring deals. him in here. Exactly. So Trader Ruski is an expert. Oh. Uh, 
um, financial compliance officer, and uh, I work with him sometimes on some of my cases. So what I did is I, I brought him in here to help us fill out the paperwork as quickly as possible so we could get this done and get you that 6500 in Bitcoin very, very fast. And uh, when I uh, so okay. we, we got him involved, and in fact, I just put him on the line here as well. So we have a conference call here with Brandon, myself, Alvin, um, you, Sharif, and now uh, Trader Ruski. Are you there, sir? Yeah. Yeah. So, so Trader Ruski, uh, have you completed the the paperwork for the government to uh, to authorize the uh, the purchase of the sixty five hundred Bitcoin through the ATM? I I did look. I did fill everything out. I don't think there's a way we can get around the form from the receiver, though. That's the only thing holding it up. Right. So, yes. okay. Can we can we email it to him? Can we just send it to Sharif via email, or you know, obviously he's in Valencia. Are, uh, Sharif, you're still in Valencia, correct? Yeah, I'm in Valencia. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. So, what would be the easiest way to get this to you to sign for us so we can uh, really just get this done today? Uh, email, I assume, or a fax so rather, machine. To rather, the... rather, 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 yep. Rather, uh-huh. you know, Sharif, Sharif. Adam, Adam, Adam. I don't seem to understand. It's taking too long. What's that? What's going on? Well, we're explaining this to you. We're explaining uh, what's going on. We're trying to get you to fill out a form. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. Well, we're trying. We're trying also. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. No, well, I'm trying to explain well, to you, though. Sure, we're trying Sharif, to... you don't need to take such an acid tone with me. I'm trying my best. And you know I work very long hours. And I even have these two, which I have to pay. I have to pay these guys, Sharif. They don't work for me for free. So I, I want to get this done. Yeah. Listen, Alvin, let's give him an, an additional $1,000 for his trouble. So let's make this 7500 Can we do that then? Because he's getting mad at me now. He's stuck in Vill- I, Can we do 7500 then? Actually, actually, hello, hello. I'm, I'm not mad at you. I'm just trying to make everything possible here. Well, that's what we're yeah, doing here as well. So no, no. We, I, Brandon brings up a good point, though. There, there was delay that we didn't expect. So yes, we will actually send you for all the trouble here. We feel very bad about this. We're going to send you seventy five hundred in Bitcoin instead of sixty five hundred. But what we need you to do is we need to send you a form to sign for the U.S. government to as a recipient of this Bitcoin. And then once you sign this, then we will have everything correct, uh, according to our regulatory officer, uh, Trader Ruski. We'll have everything we need, and then we, yeah, can act- we can send you the 7500 as soon as you sign this form. So we need an email address or a fax number to send you okay. this form for you to send back to us with a signature, and then we will send you the, the Bitcoin. Yeah, Sharif, let me ask you. I mean, we can get this done today. So this isn't a long process because they're, they're 24 hours especially on Memorial Day weekend. Okay. Uh, do you do you know the fax number well, at the hotel you're staying at? You want to give me an email? Well, can I fax it to the hotel, Sharif? Can we, do you, can we send it? Do you, does, does the hotel that you're at have a fax machine? Well, I don't know. I'll check. I'll check about that. Okay. Well, I just need to send it to you. So whatever the fastest way is, I mean, we can do this this morning. Uh, now, I've been working all night, but these gentlemen, they're up for the day. So they can handle it if I'm asleep. I just need to have a way to get this to you. All you need to do is, then is just yeah. sign it, send yeah. it back, and then I, it could be processed and we'll go. Listen, Sharif, you have my oh. word. If we can get this, okay. Sharif, you have my word. If we can get this done, I can get you 7,500 in Bitcoin this afternoon. 
Uh, you won't even be right able to now. make it to right a. Rather, rather than getting hit. Oh, I right can now, hear you right now. I'm having a serious headache. I'm oh lighting. shoot! No, I get headaches it too. Does. I get migraines, right. Sharif. You can see, you can, you can see, you can see how you can, see, you can. At least you can read that from my voice. I'm having a very, yeah, I can very tell you're not the same headache. Sharif. That can you, Alvin? Can you tell he's uh, not the same Sharif from yesteryear? Yes, I can tell that he's under a lot of stress here and, and perhaps even has a stress headache. So I we really want to help you, Sharif, and, and we're giving you some extra money here. We just need you to tell us how to get you that document so you can sign it. Then your headache will go away when you see the all the Bitcoin that arrives in your account. You know what? Can you send it for mail? Yeah, I can send uh, Trader Ru- Hold on. Trader Ruski, would I be able to email it to him and then get it back to you today, Trader Ruski? E- email's fine. I have it all teed up. I just have to hit send to release the funds, but we do require that signed uh, document. Okay. Okay. So like I said, Sharif, he's the one that does the compliance. Um, he said, I can email it to you. I, I think you heard him. So is that how you want me to send it? We can just email it to you? All right. No problem. Oh, you just don't feel well. I can, I'm so sorry, Sharif. Uh, they say that uh, that Valencian air really does just cause all kinds of stuff with your sinuses and, and whatnot. Um, Sharif, do you want to go rest up and we'll take care of this when you feel better later today? Or what would you like to do, my friend? Because I'm, I'm giving you an extra, I'm giving you an extra thousand now. It's going to be 7,500. So you're going to get 2,500 for yourself. Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to rest up say, maybe? Take a little nap? I'll send you an email right now. As soon as I okay, you're going to okay. All right, he's going to send me an email right now, which I don't know how that would work. But well, do you um, do you have okay. do you have uh, Brandon's email address? Because that you have to have his address to send an email. You know. Oh, he does. He sent me. Oh. Uh, I think Sharif, do you have my uh, email address? You should. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay now, Trader Ruski. Trader Ruski has to uh, by law, like I said, because it's only because of the purchase here. They're trying to crack down. This. He has to read you Senate Bill. Uh, what was it? Three sixty what? Three eighty six. Three. I'm sorry. What was it, Druff? It was a uh, three eighty six. The uh, the Senate okay. Bill. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Trader Ruski, just so this is official and we can get this going, can you please just read him real fast the Senate Bill three eighty six about the uh, well, yeah. you know the. Look, I don't yeah, have in it front in front of, of me right now. Okay, hold on. That, Druff can do it. You know, it, Druff. it is. Okay. Yeah, you know, you're, you're referring to me. Go ahead, Druff. Yeah. Druff, give him the, the gist well, of I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, don't and... being, I don't appreciate being called this, this Druff name. That's a derogatory name. Yeah, here, well, but it's, but my right. name is Alvin Sorry, Finkelstein. Alvin. Don't don't uh, call me that derogatory okay. name. But, uh, okay, I, I know you're frustrated, but you, you have to be polite with me. Anyway, I will read the bill, the Senate Bill 386. Which, which was just passed, actually, on, on May 1st, uh, 2021. And it, it states that all Bitcoin transactions done at automated machines for either physical cash or electronic transfers require uh, Form 315A, 361A, and 429B to be filled out by the recipient of the Bitcoin and also requires form 9811B section 3 to be filled out by the sender. 
and it says it's only within for, 24 hours. It used with, to be 10 it, right, days, but they made a compromise. Yeah, it's so, so, and it says this must be completed within 24 hours of the requested transaction, or otherwise the transaction will be denied and the Bitcoin machines must be retrofitted to not allow the transaction to take place. And uh, this had to be done immediately and it was. And so now we simply cannot send you that much Bitcoin until we fill out all those forms. So I, I just read it to you. It's in black and white. And uh, the, the culinary union had its say in this. It was it was a big mess. Yep, they did. So, so we, we really need you to fill out these forms so yes and, and sharif even even the 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 resort uh, lobbying group they were opposed to it as well and it didn't even matter it didn't matter they it still went through do you understand what i'm saying sharif yeah yeah all right, all right. okay i'm so he really doesn't feel good uh alvin jesus yeah, that's unfortunate he yes, tell so. his, see he sounds like how you sounded last week but you hit it and he wasn't able to well i'm sorry he sounds like how you felt last week but you were able able to hide it but sharif can't hide it does that make sense yes yes and so sharif we hope you feel better i know you you have this headache here i suggest maybe you take some uh some valencia advil actually it's, it's a stronger version of advil they sell in valencia only oh i've so, had that yep i've had that mm-hmm. and uh um help. it's got a few extra milligrams to it so i suggest you go go to a pharmacy uh, there and take it and then uh i think you'll be feeling better and then make sure to send an email to brandon so then he can respond with a with the forms attached, which then you should fill out and you should okay. scan. You sh- you got to scan them and you got to send them back to Brandon, who will send them on to Trader Ruski and myself. We'll make sure the U.S. government gets it, and uh, and then we should have the Bitcoin to you very shortly. Now, we can we get this done today for him because I don't want to keep dealing with this every single day. And it's the holiday. I'm finally off for a couple of days. Uh, so can we get this done today, Alvin? You think? Yeah, they, uh, in theory. Yeah, so of of course we can. So uh, he just needs to send us the email sure. to get this ball rolling. Okay, Sharif, can you please do that? Because I, I want to take care of this. I know you don't feel well. Maybe take a nap for a few hours. But can we, Sharif, can you send me the email and get this done, please? I'm asking you kindly, man yeah, to man. I will, I will send it. Send it. Okay. So now, Sharif, on, on a personal note. Why aren't you feeling well? Uh, are you dehydrated? Are you drinking enough water? Uh, because when Alvin doesn't drink enough water and, and, and he's playing on Bovada, he gets dehydrated and he gets a headache. Uh, is Are you eating enough to tell me what's going on? Because I'm a little concerned now on a, you know, all business aside, you know, money is money. But, you know, on a personal note, uh, what's going on with your health? Can you tell me why you're not feeling right. so you, you don't right sound now. your normal? Mm-hmm. Right, now. Right, now. right now, I don't really know. So, um... Um, now what did okay what did you what did you eat today tell me what you had to eat honestly i couldn't eat oh you can't even eat jeez okay well why don't you do this and why don't you go take a nap and as soon as you feel better send me the email now remember i'm going to send him i'm going to send you 7500 now when this is all done okay because i just i get it i mean you've been there for how, how long have you been in valencia for now uh uh, Sharif, do you remember? Right. I mean, how many, how many days? Yeah, okay. Well, listen, why don't you take a nap then? And do you want to just message me when you feel better or send me the email when you feel better and we'll, we'll start moving? We'll get the boys on this. Send up bill uh, three. I'll send an email as soon as I can get. 
Okay, I appreciate it. Now, uh, Trader Ruski, is there anything else that he needs to do so we can get this money to him other than fill out those forms, Trader Ruski? Like I said, I got it all filled out. I added the thousand while we were talking, and it's pretty much ready to go upon uh, receival of the document. Oh wait, wait, okay, I, so hold seven, on, hold on. I have oh, something very mm-hmm. important here to disclose. I just read uh, an addendum to uh, Senate Bill three eighty six that that okay. requirement for the recipient very important for Sharif to do. It says that if the recipient is located outside the United States, that they mm-hmm. are required to attach a picture of themselves to the forms to uh, uh, oh, for okay. some kind of security reason. So it's very important before you return the form that you also include, and this could be by email, and we, we'll, we'll put it together correctly for the government, but you have well, to include like a, a sna- picture. Like a snapshot of him? Yes, yes, just use camera any, a, any camera you have, take a picture of your, of your face, and, and include that with the form since you're outside the U.S., otherwise it's going to be oh, rejected. Wow. This was, this was uh, Amendment 3 that they added uh, at the last minute. It was, uh, oh, I, read, I saw that on Action. Yeah. News. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Darcy. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's perfect. I just want to get this done today for him because, like, literally every day he texts me and there's something, but also another problem. Or then Bitcoin crashes. It's just, it's very, very, very. Then we did, remember what we did with Doggy Coin? We thought that was going to the moon. Then he called it a hustle. And then Doggy Coin, no good, not to the moon. Um, so I just, I, guys, I got to get this wrapped up for Sharif today. This has gone on long enough. This is why I pay you guys. Take care of this for me. Please get this done. As soon as I get the email, I'll forward it to you guys in the picture of him. I'll forward it and just make sure he gets his money. And, and I'll get my money. I'll pay you guys. We'll all be happy. And then, now, Sharif, uh, I, I, I know you don't feel well, so I'll, I'll try to wind this up or wind this down, I should say. But you had mentioned that you have some other business deals for me that are good once we're done with this deal. Is, is that correct? That's what you text me, that you have more business deals for me after this one? Yeah, there's more. There's more Okay, what kind of money are we talking? Like, yeah. how much just potentially hello. could we be made? Yeah, hello. Hello. What what kind of hello. Yeah, what kind of money can can you hear me? Hello, Todd or or Alvin? Can you hear hello. me? Yes, yes. Wait, Brandon, I can hello. hear you. But okay, he's having a problem. Hello? Well, ask somebody. One of you asked Sharif about the uh, other potential hello. business deals he had mentioned to me. Sh- Sharif, can yeah, you hear us? Sharif, are you here? No, he, he hung up. We lose. He's, he's he, left, he left. He left. He left. Well, you know what? I, I just know. don't think he can hear. He'll probably call back. What What time is it? Can someone just I was look, look get, dr- In Valencia? What time? No, yeah, what he's, time he's, is he's it? not really well, no, in Valencia. He's not really in Valencia. <laughs> what time I, is I'm it? I'm joking. In, I know. I'm kidding. What time is it in Nigeria right now? Probably in the afternoon, like 3 p.m. or something is my what guess. And he's, well, he, he's been yeah, texting me all day and night. Oh. Trader Risky, I'm sorry. I just saw your text message. Yeah, it's sorry actually it's that. actually like one thirty. It's all good. There. It's all good. Okay. Yeah, Nigeria time. It is one twenty four. Okay. So he probably has done an all nighter. <laughs> um. Oh God, I would love it if he sends a photo. That'd be hilarious. But you could tell something was off with him today. I mean, he didn't sound. Yeah, you know, maybe he really does have a headache. Maybe for once he's telling the truth. Yeah, I love when he starts stuttering. Brandon, 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 Brandon. <laughs> so anyhow, guys, uh, for those that are listening that have been a part of this saga, I will try my best to string them along. That's why I keep increasing the dollar amount for another week. And then Druff and I will talk off air, or maybe partially on air next week and figure out the best way to uh, reveal this or end it. Because, I mean, this can't go on forever. I know he's suspicious, but well, like Druff wrote, he's go ahead. 
Well, I was going to jump yeah. in and say, yeah. Brandon, I was brought on to make sure that that billion dollars that you inherited, you're just not pissing away. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> you should have mentioned that. But, you know, uh, regarding the email, if you get it, which you probably will because he thinks this is the way to do it, we really should send him some sort of form to fill out and then uh, – and then you know, make sure he sends a picture and say that we need that and get him to sign this form and send a picture and then we can post it. And I'll, I'll write okay. some like semi-ridiculous things, but it'll be hard for him to understand that are like not ridiculous. So I have my doubts that we'll ever receive a photo from him, but that'd be great if we did. I mean, it wouldn't be him, obviously, or maybe it would. No, maybe it probably wouldn't be him. Send us- no, he would yeah. do. I think he would do it. It's it's when like these romance scams when you're supposed to get a picture of the girl. Of course, it's always fake. Though though I will say, many years ago, and I've posted. I made this my avatar on Poker Fraud Alert for a little time recently. I think like in '06 or something on a Never Win Poker, someone was messing with one of these romance scammers from Nigeria and actually got a Nigerian girl to hold up a sign saying, "Dan Druff, will you marry me?" <laughs> it, it probably wasn't the person communicating with them, but they probably got some girl there who was either in cahoots with them or they paid her to hold up this sign saying, Dan Dreffel, you marry me. And so I, I think we really That's will funny. get a picture of him because they don't have much to lose by sending a picture. They're not really worried about getting in trouble. So if it's something that they can produce, they'll do it. Yeah. And boys, while we have been on radio... Bitcoin has plummeted to under thirty five thousand again. Ugh. It's at thirty four thousand right now. Yeah, it keeps yeah. kind of bouncing around like this uh, since the big crash. It it's been going from like forty down to the under thirty five, then it pops back up to forty again, then it goes back down again. So it, it seems like the whole thing's kind of unstable. This is all cryptos. All the cryptos are doing this at the moment of the yo yo up and down after the crash, and I'm not sure. Where it's going to go from there, I don't know if this this is a precursor to another big crash or if this is eventually after it stabilizes and stops doing this, it's going to rise back up. So I don't know what to say. This It's kind of a weird time for cryptocurrency. So I wrote to him, I wrote to Sharif, I said, Sharif, I am very worried about you. You did not sound well. He said, I really don't understand, Brandon. I think I need to see doctor. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. Well, that'd be sad if Tree somehow dies be- before we can reveal to him that we know he's been scamming. We've been messing with him. I, I wanted him. I, I at least want him to know this. If, if he's about to kick the bucket, I want him to at least know that uh, that seventy five hundred dollars in Bitcoin wasn't really coming to him. Otherwise, he, he he may take his final breath believing, "Oh, I had such a good scam going, and I won't get to do it." I, I don't want him dying believing that. I want him to know the truth. Hopefully, or, he, or he might die, and, and Brandon might get the million dollars, and he didn't even have to pay the seventy five hundred. Yeah, wouldn't that be funny? Like if he actually died, and then you actually received like a million dollars for or was it a billion dollars? And what are you supposed to be getting? A billion? No, it was one. It was one one point three million. Oh, one point three million. Okay, that's more reasonable. But, yeah, but it'd be funny if you just like receive one a check for one point three million after he dies. Like, well, Sharif <laughs> passed away, or the next of kin. Like, how bad would you feel if that happened? Jesus. He was the one legitimate guy in Nigeria. Yeah, he's the, the one guy yeah. out of Nigeria really looking for help to get the money out of the country, and we didn't believe him. And then he died. Yeah. Imagine yeah. that. So I guess lastly, uh, are we done with all the subjects? Uh, yep, we're done. What uh, what does everyone have going on? 
for this holiday weekend. I'll let you start, Druff. Anything exciting? Staying in? Going anywhere? Seeing anyone? No, I'm not doing anything because it's a holiday weekend because everyone wants to go out and do things. So it's going to be jammed everywhere. So this is one of these things where the, the crowds are keeping me away. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Uh, what about you, Trader Ruski? Do you have any uh, big plans for the weekend? No big plans. Just going to chill. Might go down to Morro Bay today. Yeah, that's it. Take it easy. Okay. Mm. And Druff, when will we, we when will we be back? Are we sticking for the foreseeable future to uh, Fridays? Yes, we should be sticking to Fridays for the foreseeable future. Uh, may occasionally have to go on a Saturday if uh, Friday is not working for that particular week. But this is the night I really prefer to do it, and then that should be the night we have going forward. And this summer we don't have the World Series in the way either, so it should be a pretty uh, reliable summer schedule. Well- I think any one of these uh, radio shows now, we should, anytime now, get the uh, press release from the World Series of Poker with the tournament schedule and what they're planning on doing. Um, Right, what do you think? I mean, we're going to be June the next time we do the show. Yeah, and I want to give advice. uh, Any any week now. I want to give advice to people who really do want to go to the World Series, at least at some point, and play an event this fall. As soon as the dates are released and you know what dates you're likely going to be there, I would book the hotel very fast because I think the rates are going to go up. I think what's going to happen is uh, you're going to have a lot of people who are really itching to play, and they're going to book. Oh, and of course. You, you, so you've got to beat them. And also, great advice. also you, you can even re-rate it or cancel and rebook if by some chance the rates go down, which I don't think they will. But you, you should jump on it very fast, and I've been waiting for this. The funny thing is on KevMath's Twitter in his description is, no, I don't have the WSOP schedule because he must get this question so much. So even KevMath yeah. doesn't know. But, I, yeah, I, the, I was guessing end of May, and here we are, and it has not been released yet. But hopefully we have it soon and we know what's going on. And as always, if I, I do play, which I am leaning towards doing – and you're there too, you'd like to come up and say hello, then uh, definitely do so. You can even text me if you're at the World Series and uh, you don't see me around and you'd like to uh, meet me. Uh, I I can't guarantee I'm going to drop everything and go and meet you if it's not convenient for me, but uh, there's a lot of times I'll be down there. I may say, okay, well, come you know, come over to me in this event or whatever and say hello. And there have been people every year who either just uh, see me around and say hello to me or ones who I tell them where I'm going to be and they find me. Usually it's actually the former, though. Usually there's just every year there's some people who listen to this show that I've never met before that just see me and and approach me. And fortunately, nobody weird yet. Or at least if they were weird, I didn't uh, notice anything weird. These have all been polite people who've come up and uh, we've had a good conversation, even if it's short, and I'm happy to meet them. And not one bad nice. experience yet. So that's, that's hopefully good. it stays that way. Be, uh, before we go, Trader Ruski, you still with us, buddy? Yo, buddy. <laughs> Trader Ruski. Trader Ruski. May have a mute issue. Jesus. Yeah. I had a <laughs> My, question for him. Here he is. Here, I'm here. Is he, he, okay. Well, buddy, you got to be quicker with that trigger finger. So the numbers for 
gaming revenue were released. And, you know, this is a thing we did uh, three weeks ago and we knew the, uh, I guess, March numbers. So I'm going to ask you just one question, maybe two, and let's see how good you were because Druff, no offense, crushed you last time we did this. So I'm going to ask you a question that I want Druff to guess if you're going to say, or you could, I'll just say it now. Druff, I'm going to ask Trader Ruski how much the gaming win was for the entire state for the month of April. Do you think he will be over or under the number? That price is right. Over I, or I under? think he's what going think? to be over. Okay. So Trader Ruski, for, without any other information, gaming figures, gaming wins came in for the month of April. How much did the state of Nevada gross in gaming wins for the month of April? Give me a number. Two hundred and fifteen million. Okay, he's way under. It oh, was one point zero two billion. One point zero two billion, Trader Ruski. Billion. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, last question. I'll well, ask. wait before you say okay. that. I actually see here a report on the uh, projected mm-hmm. profit for May, which is uh, thanks to Memorial Day weekend going to be even better. The the projection that I see here in this article for. The profits, the gambling mm. profits in May in Nevada are one hundred billion dollars. It's funny. Okay, are you guys there? No, I'm here. Yeah, just waiting for your last. Okay, thing. so Sharif, yeah, so Sharif just texted me, and this will be it. He said, "Do you need email for forum now, Mister Brandon? I'll try to give him a call soon. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> uh, so, what are we really going to do with this?" Because I'm not going to take the time to print up some. I mean, what, someone that's no, I'll make, I'll make a form. You, you can to... forward it to me. If he he sends you an email, so once we have his email address, and he send let him send you some kind of email. Okay. And then you can send it to me, and I'll quickly. Ma- I won't spend a lot of time on it, but I'll quickly make up some form on Microsoft Word uh, that he's supposed to sign and and uh, send a picture. Oh well, perfect. And then I'll send it back to you, okay. and you send it to him. Why don't you just Google some Bitcoin government form that's like 20 pages long that you have to fill out, you know? (laughs) Okay, so Todd, so I'm just going to text you his email address, or am I going to give him – how are we going to do this now? Um, Am I just going to text you an email address, and you're going to send it to him, and I'll just say it's coming from you? Yeah, I guess guess you can do that too, and I'll just – I'll send – in fact, I'll send it to him from from a BS address that – Do you have an Alan Finkelstein address? I Actually, do. I, I don't know if I have access. I'll just make a new one. I'll make a new Alvin Finkelstein address and email it to him from there. Okay. Now, the only other thing I'm thinking is I would like to introduce next week another character to this. So let's somehow figure out a way to have either the good colonel, Nigel Faversham, take a part in the, the conclusion of this, or if not, we could incorporate El Chico Loco into it. <laughs> okay. And just well, you know, maybe somehow the Scottish government gets involved. No, the Scottish maybe, military. maybe, uh, yeah. May, no, maybe uh, the colonel can be part of Interpol. <laughs> Interpol. <laughs> yes, that's funny. That's actually really funny. So, okay, well, we'll have an update, and I'm going to do my best, guys, to string this along one more week. Uh, shout out to that guy in, in Minnesota with uh, his mom, who loved the <laughs> who loved the uh, Nigerian scam segment. Sorry that. Uh, Sharif was under the weather today. <laughs> Shout out to PFA user Frank Rizzo, who I read also likes the uh, Nigerian scam uh, true, thing does, we got yeah. going here. Yeah. So 
good stuff. So anyhow, uh, as always, I love it when the three of us are on here with the banter. It's it's fun. Somehow, Trader Ruski, we got to figure out a way to have you on here when you're more in prime peak form because it's either you're too tired because it shows late or you're just waking up and you're still not. I don't know how. I don't know the answer here. I just don't know the answer of how we all can just kind of be in sync. Because Trader Ruski, I feel like you're you're kind of you're a little late on the the mute button today. That you're not just the rhythm isn't there. You know what I'm saying, Trader Ruski? See, Trader Ruski. I do. <laughs> okay, so I oh I I got his email. Uh, I would say it on the air, but I would I still would think sadly there'd be somebody out there that might ruin it for us. Yeah, yeah. So, so you can text it to me. I'm not gonna say it and. It's really a funny email. It's just like, like for someone that claims you're a lawyer, like just look at the I sent it to you, just okay. that right there. I'm gonna take a look. At this. <laughs> sure, it was just created right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just kind of funny. It's not even, you know, but uh, okay. So you I, let me know when you send it, and just uh, send me a screenshot because I want to know what I'm talking about when he gets it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's it, folks. We'll be back next week. Thank you, Druff, for having me on and always giving me the leeway to speak freely. And I hope everyone enjoyed the the Vegas uh, segments that we did. Yeah, it was good. You came up with a lot here. I had nothing this week on Vegas, and you you had a lot. So that's what I was hoping for. Well, what what should I tell him? Like sending within a few hours. Tell tell him tell him by later today that that they're preparing the paperwork. So this way, I don't have to do it right now. Okay. Okay. They are preparing now. You'll receive it later today. Yeah. Okay, perfect. You know, and the funny thing is, I didn't get to cover one last thing. I'm not going to, I'll do it next week. But this is really a crazy story. Um, there's been, because it really hasn't made mainstream news. I, I read it on two uh, news channels that have websites, but two different people were robbed in the middle of the night of their possessions and money at the win. Uh, last week while they were both sleeping meaning that they literally robbers opened the door and took cash and in one case a rolex um wet jewelry all kinds of things out of the uh actually it was the encore towers both times and when i read it at first uh i was suspicious i thought you know Remember, we knew someone, I don't want to say a name, but there was a poker player we knew that claimed she got robbed in her room. Yes. Well, yeah, other I, people fact, had reported I, I her shooting it, off money. Right. I referred to it so, last week without saying who it was, but yeah, same thing. Okay. Yeah. So I first thought when I read that, that, oh, this is a little suspicious. Like they came in when they were both sleeping. It's ballsy on all accounts. But then the article went on to say that a similar thing occurred in the hotel that had no connection to them in another room 10 minutes later which obviously gives more validity to the story. So anyhow, it's a whole long article about what was stolen, what they said. Uh, but remind me next week, uh, you know, if, if we're short of subjects or even if we're not, I'll, I'll go in. It will take about 20 minutes to read all this. And I'm, I'm getting hungry now. And I know everyone has to go start the day. But yeah, so there are two of them. And it's, it's just, it's mm. kind of crazy. Well, that's why it's that, always good claim, to, to do the yeah. double lock of the door when you're sleeping with the, the that uh, latch or the deadbolt or whatever. Because I, I always, I always, whether I'm with my by myself or with others, I always secure the room to the maximum amount. I put the deadbolt. I turn, you know, the, what do you call that protector thing? That, you know, the, the little metal. Yeah, it's thing like a latch. Put. Right, the latch. I, I do it all. I never just close a door. Never, never. Doesn't matter. And then even you know the funny thing is even when I'm in a room alone 
and I have everything secure, I still put my cash and my valuables in a safe too. Even with the latch and the deadbolt and everything on, I still put not only not like my jewelry, but you know, I don't walk around with high-end jewelry, but money and stuff always in the safe. Yeah, and that's so, that's, that's the best idea there. So yes, that but there's always going to be people who don't do that. So that's whoever's breaking into these rooms must have a way in. And and they hit the rooms that are not completely secured like that. So it, it's always the best to do that, and it doesn't take any time. It takes a few seconds to do. So it's stupid not to. And then I'm sure these people found that out the hard way. To it sucks that they got. You know, this was happened while they were sleeping. They now whoever did this must have been very quiet while they did it. But I, we'll talk about it next week. I've, yeah, and you know one other thing I was just thinking, but. If I'm motivated enough, it, it won't obviously happen right away, but maybe uh, a week, two, a month after Resort Worlds opens, I will go down there on a radio night and just do kind of like a on-the-scene kind of segment from there and kind of describe how it looks and what I see. And you know, I think people might enjoy that, like yeah. just to give a live account of this f- massive $4 billion uh, state-of-the-art facility that's luxurious facility that's opening up. Um so we're looking at June 24th, so it's a Thursday. So maybe not that Friday, but maybe the following Friday. Maybe the first auction. No, that'd be 4th of July weekend. <laughs> uh, it's maybe middle of July. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to go down there. You know what I'm saying. But, uh, you know, I did that once. Uh, I know people don't re- remember this, but I once did a live show from Binion's where I had a little lop- laptop with a Wi-Fi connection, and I walked around Binion's uh, interviewing I literally was walking up to people playing slots, sitting at bars, and had them on radio. And it was a, it was a very well-received episode. Uh, you were on there for that. Yeah, bro. didn't you interview Remember some that? lesbians or something that were there in downtown? Yeah, there were two lesbians. I interviewed an elderly black couple, African-American couple that were playing, all kinds of people. It was, it was, a, good, it was a fun segment, yeah. And funny enough to think that Binion's was so out of whack back then uh, – that and this is still when the hotel is open. That they didn't even kick me out. You would think now, if I'm walking around the Aria with a laptop and a, and a microphone <laughs> yeah, and I'm interviewing people, on machines, they they kick me out within minutes. But I I never had a problem. They let me. I, no one ever approached me. Crazy, unbelievable, really really crazy thing. So, anyhow, that's all I got. Thank you again, uh, both of you, for being on and Druff for uh, just being. Uh, yeah, thank you for you coming on again. Me for... tonight and reminded me and told me what was good. Your, the communication was great. Just uh, good times, good times, good times. Okay, very good. So, and t- tell tell Sharif it could be that natural gas in Valencia that's giving the headaches. So, what's oh. funny? So, I, I told him uh, a few hours from now, or I just said later today. So, please uh, try to do this. I mean, don't forget to do it, even if it's in the afternoon, at night, whenever. Yeah, that yeah, will I'll definitely I'll send string him things yeah. along. If he sees something that like shows that we're really being serious, that that will definitely buy us some time. <laughs> um, yeah. So, anyhow, you guys have a great uh, holiday weekend, and uh, you know we'll we'll do this again next Friday. Okay. Good night to both of you. Okay. Good morning. All right, bye Shalom. guys. Shalom. I'm hanging up now. All right, Shalom. We can't just finish with that, can we? No, no, no. <laughs> Again to Brandon, and thank you to Trader Risky for coming on for this portion of the show. Want to thank our two interviewers or interviewees who came on. 
Eric Benzamokin, who's the attorney for Chris Moneymaker now, and still for me. And Mike Holtz, the current WSOP Online Player of the Year, who's banned from Caesars. Feels like ages ago since I did that segment. Kind of has been. It's a long show, but yeah. Thank you to the two of you for coming on and uh, doing some good interviews here. And we should be back on this upcoming Friday. I am looking forward to the full reopening of California and the California card rooms. It's about time that it happens. People in Nevada, they've already got it. They've already got a return to normal life that we don't quite have here. If you don't have the vaccine yet and you're over 40, I really suggest you get it. I know you probably have heard some bad things about it from people who don't want to take it, but I'm telling you it's a good idea, especially if you haven't had COVID yet. If you've already had COVID, then it's not as important, but if you have not had COVID yet, and you're over 40 especially, you should take it. In fact, I have a real-life friend who didn't want to take the vaccine, at least not anytime soon, and he hadn't had COVID yet, and he just got it, and he had a pretty tough experience with it. Still doesn't have his smell and taste back, but fortunately it looks like everything else has come back to normal, but he's around my age, so he definitely didn't enjoy it. That's all. Good night, everybody, and... Shalom.